So, uh, I don't know how well this is going to work. I don't. I've. When's the last time I've had more than one person on the show? Probably when I was on stage at WWDC. It'll work out fine. You'll see. We do. We do yeah, fine, with yeah. ten people. It'll be fine. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and John, John and I have talked enough before. We 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 get the the gist of it. Uh, my my basic gist though is let's sh- uh, shoot the shit on Star Wars for two hours. Movies. So you know what's funny? Before you uh, before you said this, I, I I wanted to tell you to do the Christmas spectacular again this year, except then actually have a guest. <laughs> I thought about. We. Yeah. <laughs> And it's actually just to scoop people out. And it's yeah. actually Syracuse. Well, that's what it is. Here we are making up for last year, where it was a total sham. And, and I got a surprising amount of email from people who told me that in, that we must have screwed up the editing because we cut it off before John or Marco made it yeah. on. Well, I mean, show. they were a little bit in the back. They, they weren't really ready for the stage, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> poor Maltz. Poor Maltz. <laughs> And his wife had to drive him home, and that was not a pretty scene. <laughs> uh, so have you guys done uh, – John, you're on the, the incomparable semi-frequently. Frequently? Yeah. Semi-frequently? Pretty have, frequently. Have you done Star Wars on the incomparable? You obviously don't <laughs> listen to the show. <laughs> no, I don't listen to anybody's shows. Yeah, no. I, we have done uh, all of the Star Wars movies, the original Star Wars movies, and we've done episode one and two. For the prequels. And we did the, the Star Wars holiday special. Wait, see, I've never seen that. Guy, have you seen the Star Wars holiday special? No, and I don't want to. Yeah. Don't. Especially after listening to the incomparable. Yeah, don't on don't it. watch like, it. Yeah. Don't don't watch it. Yeah. I I feel exactly the same way you did, John. Like you were you, you sort of took one for the team there and I have to watch it. Yeah. If I can if I can possibly avoid this it. This is Jason's but, revenge for me making him watch like hours and hours of anime and try to <laughs> play video games and makes him watch a Star Wars holiday special. A couple of years ago, one of the sites published a a like, uh, what do they call them now? Explainers, you know, like this concept yeah. of an explainer, which I kind of like. Yeah. It's sort of like a blog post crossed with like a Wikipedia entry. Well, here, here's an exercise: try to think of, pretend the word explainer doesn't exist, and then try to think of another phrase or summary or description of what we now know as an explainer. Because whenever I do it, I come out with something that's insulting. Hmm. What like, would it be? I'm not sure. I don't know. What... It's like, it, I mean, I, I'm falling back on like the, the four dummies things or whatever. Let me simplify this to the point where it seems understandable, but what you're actually coming away from the article with is not a true understanding of the of the subject because it's really complicated. Let me take a complicated thing and make it really simple. Uh, let me, like, it just, I don't know, explainers... I understand why you, but some people are attracted to the concept, but the actual articles I've read that are described as explainers just leave me angry. Yeah. Like overview, maybe is a good word. Summary, maybe. executive summary, summary yeah. overview. Like it's not much. I don't know. Like whenever mm-hmm. I read something that's described as an explainer, it's just like, you know, because no one, like if there's an article in the Atlantic or something, nobody calls it an explainer. Like yeah. an yeah. article is supposed to explain things. Once you call it an explainer, that's like code for. Oh, well, we're not actually going to get the real. Anyway, I'm I'm unreasonably angry about explainer. Go on, I, I interrupted yeah. you. Well, I remember I the one that I remember that I appreciated was the one from Vox.com on. Uh, I don't know if it was Benghazi or or one of these things where it it seemed like I would have had to read twenty articles to f- catch up, and it didn't make any sense. And I read their ex- quote unquote explainer, and it kind of. Figure, I, f- I figured the whole thing out because, you know, in the gist of the explainer, they're like, this is really nothing. It's really just political witch hunt. See, well, they just, mm-hmm. just call that the news that you would right. watch and it would tell you a summary of, of what's <laughs> going on. And 
God. Well, I'm anyway, somebody wrote an explainer on the Star Wars holiday special, and it had a, just enough screen caps where I was like, holy cow, it really is worse than the terrible reputation would have you believe. And so I knew I never had to watch it. Yeah, and not only that, as I said in the, in the Incomparable thing, it's not even the type of thing, if you care about Star Wars at all, that you can watch and be like, ha ha, laugh at this, it's so bad, you know what I mean? You can't even do that. It's just It's just bad. It just it's not fun it's not interesting and if you care about star wars it's, it will hurt you right and it was shot on video <laughs> it's so bad how anyway. it was shot is the least of its problems so we're having a holiday special and we're talking about star wars but it has nothing to do with the star Wars star wars holiday spectacular or whatever they called it um not yet not yet at least <laughs> all right and also i only want to talk about the movies I, I, the whole expanded universe thing is a pile of crap as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I don't mind the cartoons as much, but I don't. They're a different thing. You know what I mean? Like if, if the movies are like a good steak dinner, they're kind of like a beef jerky that you'd buy at a corner store. <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean? They're meat, but, you know, not really the same kind of thing. Have you, have you watched all of the, the cartoons, Clone Wars and now the Star Wars Rebels? I have, and there's some, there's some things to commend them. There's some Star Warsy stuff. But I, I don't see how they could possibly fit into the, to the story that the movies are telling in any sensible way. I mean, I, I actually feel the same way about the prequels. So, you know, but, it's, you know, every now and then they light up a lightsaber and fun stuff happens. But but they're, they're spinoffs they're, in the traditional sense where it's like, all right, yeah. we'll make a TV show out of the movies. And it's in the same universe and it's, it's, it more or less fits in the same timeline. But there's no specific expectation that they feel... Or behave exactly like the movie because they're not. They're an animated uh, television show as opposed to movies. Well, well, right. And for what they are, they're actually pretty decent. Wasn't the original premise for Star Wars Rebels, though, that it would be live action? There was talk of a live action Star Wars uh, mm-hmm. TV series a very long time ago. Uh, around about the time I think the prequels were either in the process of being made or before they were made. And that seemed to fall by the wayside. It just didn't. It didn't uh, didn't work out for whatever reason. I forget what the actual situation was. And more recently, I've heard the idea of it coming back up again. Uh, I'm not opposed to such a thing. I think it would be cool. But uh, Clone Wars, uh, the the computer animated one, was kind of weird because there was another animated thing called the Clone Wars that was cell animated as opposed to CG. Yeah. Uh, and that Which was, was great. Yeah, right? that was, it was very the, uh, interesting, and and yeah. all of them very different stylistic choices than the movie. Wait, when was this? Uh, around about the time oh. of the prequels, around about the time of maybe I guess episode two or something. It was cell animated. It was and they, before episode two. Yeah. Very stylized, kind of looked like Samurai Jack. I don't know if it was the same guy. Was it Samurai? It Jack? was the same guy. Yeah. yeah. I, and it was great. And you know what? It ends with um, it ends with the opening scene from uh, episode two. The end of that arc, of that animation arc, ends with the invasion of uh, or the the assault on Coruscant from the uh, from the bad guys. Grievous's Grievous's army. From Grievous's army, yeah, it shows up and they they kidnap the the uh, the chancellor. Yeah, yeah, I think like that. That's the, the the final episode. Is it in the cell shaded one or the CG one where you learn why General Grievous is all wheezy and everything? It's the shell shaded. The shell. Oh yeah, oh, keep God. trying. Cell shaded. Yeah. yeah. So are these things? Yeah. Bit, how come I'm not aware of this? How could that because possibly you're... be? Your kids are kind of the right age. I don't know the cell shaded one. I don't. I don't think Jonas was born yet, but uh, because huh. I saw that, on it my wasn't. Own. It certainly wasn't as big as the Clone Wars. But, like but Clone the, Wars, my the, my son yeah. watching. He's what was it called? Age. Clone Wars. Yeah, that's the problem. They're both called Clone yeah. Wars. <laughs> yeah, and I think. Well, here's the thing. I think you actually had to be a bit of an animation nerd to get into it or to mm-hmm. to hear about it. 
That's right. Like, how did you hear about it, John? No, I like, got I them all in QuickTime like... movies, and I don't know from whence those QuickTime movies came, but that's how I watched yeah. it. Do you think I'm going to yeah, be able to get these on iTunes or something? I doubt uh, it. I would have found it by now, right? I, the CG Clone Wars has got to be available. Oh yeah, somewhere. CG is. I've, right. I've I've seen. I I I too am. I'm completely caught up. I've seen every episode of the Clone Wars. Uh, I saw the theatrical release, which is really just a two-hour episode of the movie or the TV show. Yeah. Uh, and movie. just recently caught up. Jonas and I caught up on the. I get. I think there's only seven episodes so far of Star Wars Rebels, right? Yeah, it's just starting. I believe so. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then I'm caught up. I like the way that the Rebels TV show is doesn't feature any of the characters from the feature films. Yeah, but it's very clearly in the world, and it's creeping up on a New Hope timeline. Right. So you start seeing TIE fighters look like TIE fighters and, you know, the right. kind of Rebels in the Empire in more or less the shapes that you would have expected. But, you know, it's a totally different thing. It's a you know a different cast of characters doing different things within the same universe, and... And it's a, there's a bit of a we- sorry finish uh, there's a bit of a weirdness in that the, the Jedi is running around whereas as of New Hope we know that there's well at least Yoda believes that there's no other well they're, they're Jedi right? in hiding I mean you got you're gonna have a Star Wars show it's a good idea to have <clears throat> some Jedis and some lightsabers and oh yeah, yeah and in terms of the narrative device yes for sure but I mean it kind of goes against what we heard of Luke being the last Jedi right yeah, that's what Yoda says on his deathbed, and or no, yeah. wait, is it Empire or is it Return of the Jedi when he's dying? It might be Return of the Jedi when he's dying, and he says something to the effect of, you know, in ten seconds from now when I die, last, last <laughs> of the Jedi you will be. Yeah, he'll last. The, he'll be the think, last accredited yeah. Jedi. Uh, so I, there's something new that I, I have to learn. But see, I don't know my way around the, the underground internet, so I don't know how I'm going to get these cell animated. <laughs> yeah, the cell animated ones. That so I said I have them in QuickTime movies. They're probably like 320 by 200. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like exactly. postage stamps, you know, like what QuickTime used to look like. I remember when that was the big size. I remember when 160 by mm-hmm. uh, yeah. 120 was the was the regular size. But Cinepack compression is high fidelity, though, so it'll look great. well i'm surprised though that that didn't wasn't like a bigger deal well anyway and and what i understand is with the disney purchase of lucasfilm and the 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 archive and i mentioned this with whiskus a couple weeks ago that they're they're more or less saying with this movie all those novels and shit that you've been reading for 20 years that's all out the door we we're not looking at any of that and uh you know none of that's canon anymore yeah, they have to do that because if they're going to make it chronologically after Return of the Jedi, the expanded universe has like told all those stories like twenty times over. Like we know what happens to all the characters that we love, and there's the whole other bad guys and good guys, and like they just wrung it out. So if you, you can't put anything chronologically after Jedi unless you either do exactly what happened in the books, which would probably be a bad idea, or put it way, way, way past where the books go or something, and then say, okay, it's the distant, distant, you know, right. it's way past. So. And, and it was always called Expanded Universe, so I, I think this is the only possible way to make a movie with the original actors. You just got to say, uh, forget about the books. Yeah, I yeah, read... I, I, I think there's a, there's, there's a problem with fetishizing the canon, right? Like, it, it's going to hamstring your story. Just go tell good movie stories and just don't worry about the rest. Doesn't mean you can't read those books and have fun, but, you know, you don't need them to be in the exact same canonical universe, really. Um. Yeah, and I, I only read the first of those books. The the first one with the Grand Admiral the Timothy Zahn. Yeah, it yeah. was, and it was so bad. It you know, it it, it 
kept me from ever reading anymore. But I, I at least am enough aware of what happened that it, in one of, I, you know, I saw the headlines that in one of the novels, Chewbacca gets killed. And you know, there's no way they're not bringing Chewbacca back in the new movie. No, everyone dies eventually. <laughs> yeah, but if they're going to kill him, they're going to kill him in the movie. They're not going to. They're not going to just say, "Boy, I sure miss Chewbacca." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like they did in uh like they did in Last Crusade where they just kind of panned over to a picture of uh Sean Connery on on his desk. Yeah, cuz they couldn't get him to do the movie. You mean uh, Indy 4? Oh, Indy 4. Indy, Indy 4. 4. I'm sorry. Yeah. Whatever Crusade. the title of that piece of crap was. What? <laughs> Whatever the yeah. title of that piece of crap yeah. was. <laughs> I always I, Crystal Skull? I, was that it? I like to pretend that that movie didn't happen. Yeah. It didn't happen. I don't know. I, I, Happened in the same screwed-up universe that the prequels did. Well, so uh, Episode Seven potentially, is in the same kind of danger zone, because everyone was excited about Indy 4 for a long time, and they couldn't get uh, the, the principals together to do it. By the time they did, Harrison Ford was really old, and it was like, hmm, you know, I don't know if they can pull this off. So here we have, I mean, it works out a little bit better here, because I think, chronologically speaking, everyone is more comfortable with the actors being the age they're supposed to be in Episode 7. It's like, how many years have passed since Return of the Jedi? Well, that's exactly how much older you're supposed to be, so you're fine. We don't need any makeup. This is what you look like when you're this age? Fine. Um, and and the other thing, too, at the same point, is there's clearly going to be a cast of 20 to 30-something heroes and villains who will be in major roles to do the sort of running and jumping and falling yeah. stuff that you need right. who so are you... not Shia LaBeouf right 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 yeah, so yeah, that the, yeah. the you know the classic characters can all sort of take on the roles of like Obi-Wans and Grand Moff Tarkins and just but, be but there that, be there to the fear though like when they said and guess what everybody's coming back it's like oh geez everybody's coming back and you start to worry that like it's going to be like their last hurrah and yeah there'll be these young actors but like it'll be a movie for the oldsters and they'll transition to the youngsters during the movie uh that that was the fear like you're gonna make these old guys run around for as long as you've got them and you'll kill some of them off or uh they'll kind of you know pass the baton and then the next movie will be really about the youngsters but like I, what they like what they did with obi-wan in uh, the phantom menace yeah, kind of. I mean, like, well, it it's like you're we're going to introduce um, what's going to be one of the flagship characters of the whole six movie series, Obi Wan Kenobi, and then we'll just spend the entire middle hour of the movie with him waiting on a spaceship in the desert. Yeah, <laughs> yeah or like, uh, I mean, you didn't, you just didn't know who the because you know so little, about, at least I know so little about the movie because I've been avoiding spoilers. That just based on the casting alone, you say, well, given this cast, I can make a movie mostly about the old people and about the idea of like now they're past their prime and they're passing the baton on a new generation. But this is their like one last heist or whatever, you know, if you want to use the another movie cliche or you could do a movie entirely about the young people. And these guys are just in supporting roles and they there are brief glimpses of them or whatever. Um, I still don't know what kind of movie it's going to be, but based on the trailer. There's no old faces in the trailer at all. So there's a clear signal right out of the gate that says, I know we've got all these great people, uh, but this is a movie about these youngsters, and here they all are on the trailer, and we're not even going to show you any of the other people. Yeah, who's flying the Falcon? Yeah, somebody. Well, I, I'm yeah. going <laughs> to... Good answer. It's, it's got to be either Han or Lando, right? Chewie, Chewie flies with... the Falcon. Either way. Chewie Han just gives it, orders. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Fly casual. <laughs> <laughs> It's a great line. Yeah. So, I, I mean, starting out with our anticipation of, of The Force Awakens is as good a place as any. Because it's really what motivated me to, to do the show, you know, to get me excited about Star Wars again, too. And the the 
severe letdown. I would describe Indy 4 as more of a letdown than even The Phantom Menace. I, I would I, not. I, I would not describe. I disagree. Yeah. That. Wait, you would not disagree? You think Indy 4 is more not of a disappointment? Think, no, episode 1 is the biggest Crushing. cinematic disappointment yeah. of our generation because of just the <laughs> massive anticipation and like we it was promised it was foretold right we wanted to know what happened in this whole you know how how did anakin turn into darth vader what's the whole deal you know like we wanted to know we were promised like a nine movie arc in the <laughs> fan magazines for so long and we waited and waited whereas indy 4 was like i suppose they could make another indie movie but if they never make another one i feel satisfied that the arc of indie you know he had three good movies hmm. well two good movies and, and another movie that was okay uh and that's fine. Like there, you weren't aching to know something that has been uh, talked about or alluded to for the entire run of the series. So whether or not they right. made another Indy Four, you would have been satisfied. But Star Wars was just massively anticipated with a huge gap in between, uh, and the disappointment I think was even more crushing because I've only seen Indy Four once. But my recollection is it was not as incompetently made as Phantom Menace. It's it's like yeah, it's pretty bad. It's like the Johnny Dangerously joke. I saw Indy Four once. 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 <laughs> God, we're all making the, that um, but, So you you and Whiskers were talking about uh, excitement about the new Bond or the, the new Star Wars. And hands down, it's got to be the new Star Wars. Yeah, for next year. As much as I'd like Bond, but I mean, come on. Like, new Star Wars? Uh, there's, Bond what, has, 25 Bonds now? Yeah, like, the Bond has the, has the, yeah. the out that it's like, all right, there's going to be some bad Bond movies. There's going to be some good ones. We're currently in an right. upswing because everyone loves Daniel Craig. And like, no matter how big a Bond fan you are, you're like, well, this is a bad Bond, but I'll wait. Like, it's 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 evergreen in the same way we were just mentioning Zelda before. In the same way that the Zelda franchise is, you're like, well, I don't like this Bond. I like it different. That you don't have to worry about continuity. You don't have to worry about actors aging out. They'll just it's or like Doctor Who, they'll right. just rotate in a new guy. There'll yeah. be ups and downs, and it's fine. So whereas Star Wars is a defined continuity and story with specific actors playing specific characters. That doesn't have that out, so it's like it's got to it's got to count. You don't get a million shots. Right. Well, even if Spectre ends up stinking, we would get just as excited next time when uh, whatever they cast it just Elba or something. Yeah. Like it would just be reset. You like and your expectations would be fine. Like oh cool, another new Bond movie. And I think it's safe to say I think I forget exactly when Goldeneye came out, but I would say in the last twenty years we've had four pretty good Bond movies. We've had Goldeneye and then the three Daniel Craig ones. So in twenty years we've already we've got four good ones under our belt. So a dud, a dud, it, you know, next year wouldn't weigh us down. So yeah, much. like I, a swing and a miss is not weird for a bond. I don't understand right. your attraction to Goldeneye, but I'm, I'm willing to concede that we've had a, a pretty good set of Bond movies sprinkled throughout the, the bad ones, and even the bad ones are like, well, whatever, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah I don't love Goldeneye. But Star Wars, but on the other hand, we're dry. Man. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. Um. Well, but I do think the long term. And this is another reason I thought to convene this. And, you know, I've done specials on, you know, Bond back in the day with Dan, and now we're doing Star Wars. I do think, though, that ultimately, like 20, 25 years from now, we'll look back at Star Wars as a sort of Bond-like franchise where I I think we're going to see an endless series of trilogies. Well, we hope so, because when it was tied up in Lucas, like Lucas is the one who waited 16 years or whatever to to give us episode one. And it was all because he controlled everything. No... I'm not going to say no corporation would ever have waited that long because it'd be like, you're sitting on this cash cow. What are you doing? Right. Uh, and turning it into a franchise frees it from the constraints. And all, I suppose by the time this new trilogy is over, we'll also free it from the constraints of those characters that we know and love because they'll, they'll all be too old or dead. And certainly the actors will. 
and then you're free to do whatever you want within this universe, which you could have done all along, but because Lucas didn't want to do that, that never happened. Right. So I have I have a weird take on that, maybe, that um, I, so I, I obviously love the universe. I like stories being told in the universe, but I'm kind of of the opinion that the universe exists in order to tell us, like, the, you know, the the Vader redemption story and the, the Luke becomes a hero story. And while it's fun to go play in that playground, I don't know if, I don't know if the, the value of the universe is, is worth it. Like maybe there's, maybe you can have another universe to tell other interesting stories. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it seems like just because you've got this well-defined sort of universe that's been laid out to tell this particular story, the fact that you can shoehorn other stories into it is cool, but maybe not um, the best use of your storytelling skills. It's not really shoehorning. It's, it's kind of like in the Star Trek universe where like the story of True. Captain Kirk and the Enterprise is one story. And, and But what you're left with when you're done with that story or you set it aside is essentially a sci-fi, a fleshed-out sci-fi universe with a built-in audience, and it's really just an excuse to make sci-fi movies. Like I'm looking for anything that will, that will let sci-fi movies be made, where they don't have to be constrained by world building, because everyone understands the Star Trek universe. That's why I mean, uh, Star Fair Trek enough. they use it for TV, yeah. you know, Deep Space Nine and all the, all the Next Generation. It's like Next Generation is not Captain Kirk again, right? But it is the Enterprise mm-hmm. or whatever, and all the way over to you know the 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 more you know Voyager and stuff like that. I mean. I'm not saying that those are all great examples of what you can do, but the idea is that once you have an established sci-fi universe, you can do lots of interesting sci-fi things in it. And I want to see more sci-fi. I think there's not enough of it. Fair enough. And every time someone wants to do something sci-fi-ish, they are faced with the problem of, I have to describe the sci-fi world before I can even tell my story. And yeah, you spend 30 minutes, 30 minutes establishing the, the 30 world minutes if you're lucky. Actually, Sometimes yeah. they spend the whole movie doing yeah. it. You know, right. I, think what you, yeah. I think what you need is exactly what you said, Guy, but it, it lets the writer just concentrate on, just give us a handful of really interesting uh, protagonists and antagonists who have an arc, mm-hmm. you know, and... Then you you have a world to put them in immediately, but give them a different. Yeah. You know, just give give us somebody. Don't give us a new version of Vader, for God's sake. Yeah. Don't just you know. Well, yeah, in a way, it's like like all of these superhero movies uh, sort of falter because they end up telling the origin story over and over again. Well, uh, that's, that, that's because they fine, don't have a you know? universe. They have like each each superhero is a universe in and up to itself. It's not like we've established a universe right. now we can just tell stories. It's like, well, I have a new character. Who the heck is Iron Man? Well, I've got to tell you who Iron Man is. And then you right. go, oh, Captain yeah. America. Wait a second, who is Captain America? Each character is a universe, and the yeah. universe they're in is just normal. There's nothing about it. like whereas the Star Wars universe or the Star Trek universe, you have rules about like. How do people get from place to place? How is the system of government organized? How do the alien races get along roughly? Uh, and mm-hmm. the, the beauty of Star Wars is that these stories, the original story that's told within the universe, so many things are hinted at and touched on that may be interesting that are already there. Like you just want to have an entire story about the, you know, mm-hmm. Bounty Ord Hunters. Mandel. What, yeah. Yeah. What happened to an Ord Mandel? Yeah. Or, really, or, I actually really want to find out. Like, and, and you can take that. You can end up with like, I'm going to do a Bounty Hunter story, not Boba Fett, maybe something else. If you're lucky and you give this to the right people, you can end up with a new mini franchise where, say, there's some Bounty Hunter that uses a very charismatic actor that becomes like, a cross between Indiana Jones and Han Solo, but in the Star Wars universe, and mm-hmm. they get a series of movies, and like you don't never know which one is going to hit. In the same way, you never know which one of these the superhero movies is going to hit. But there's mm-hmm. lots of things that are, that have been touched upon. They could say, "Oh, we could try that as a movie." And the stakes are lower. You're like, "Well, this is mostly going to be you can make a Star Wars heist movie, uh, or you can make 
a uh, a sort of uh, like the Clone Wars did a lot, like uh, Rebel Academy type movie where it's more like Top Gun and they're you know, jockeying to be the best X-Wing pilot. So many movies you can make in this universe with things that are already established that can just be plain old science fiction space movies. Right. Okay. Yeah. I feel better about it now. Yeah. Bounty Hunter sounds rich. You could do it. You could do like a protagonist bounty hunter who's a little bit more like a. Uh, like a privateer kind Well, of like thing, a real like bounty a, hunter, like though, who's looking to bring people in alive, not really an assassin, you know, which is, yeah. let's face it, what like Boba Fett and <laughs> some of the other, like yeah. those guys. No no disintegration. Right. Um, who's maybe like Han, you know, or like, like Indy, the way that Indy kept losing out to Belloc. Everything he went for, Belloc got first. Like a guy who's you you want to root for because he's, you know, he's not evil. He just, you know, he's just a bit of a rogue, but he keeps losing out to IG-88 or something like that. <laughs> And IG-88 keeps disintegrating his his bounty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they that, are doing, like, so they yeah. have, you have the three, the, you know, episodes seven, eight, and nine that they're doing, right? And there's also going to be standalone movies interspersed with them, in my understanding. And the standalone movies will feature, you know, one of them will feature, like, Boba Fett and one of them will, you know, mm-hmm. with the right. well-known characters. But that's try, starting to establish the cadence of, like, all right, there's, there's a trilogy, there's an arc here for these three movies that's going to be a main story. But then we're going to start having these standalones to get people used to the idea. And I bet you if any one of those standalones like really catches, they're like, oh, that standalone, you know, those characters that set or that conflict or whatever now spins off into its own little mini arc. Like right. it's giving you the freedom to try a bunch of things, see which one sticks without people being upset, of, you know, that like, oh, yeah. this is the only three chances we get. Episode one, two and three. And when episode one stinks, well, maybe episode two will be good. Episode two sucks. I'll forget it. Now there's no hope for episode three and that's it. Yeah. I'm actually really excited about uh, eight and nine because it, it's it's friend of the show uh, Rian Johnson, right? Well, at least writing. We don't. Uh, Ryan, I don't think it's, it's Ryan. You pronounce it right. Ryan, yeah, yeah. I don't think. I think he's directing eight, and then he's doing the the, the, the sort of the, the treatment for nine. I thought, but maybe I'm confused. I I'm not quite sure what's official on that, but either way, okay. it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. But a lot is and riding Lupu, on episode Lupu's 7, though, because episode 7 is going to set up the conflict that I assume will play out over the course of yeah. the next three movies. I do think and that's the strength of J.J. Uh, of Abrams, though. He does a great setup. Yeah, I, I just hope it's a strong arc, because that, like, in, you know, so the original trilogy had such a strong thing with, like, an iconic villain and a, a an iconic hero, a, a young hero. The, the hero gets to evolve over the course of the thing, but it's such a clear conflict Rebel Empire, yeah. Luke Vader, a little bit of twisting, some Yoda, you know, Yoda stuff in there, I, and I am your father, and all this stuff. Like that is such a good, satisfying, sturdy, simple arc. Uh, mm-hmm. And modern movies, I find, tend to overcomplicate things with like too mm-hmm. much. I don't know. Not going to say too much nuance, but like it's that the bones are not as sturdy. Like there always has to mm-hmm. be a, a lot of th- a, a lot of things in the mix, and it's uh, it just Star Wars for me seems to be. More about clarity, simplicity, and sturdiness of you know archetypes, uh, and you, yeah. you have to do it well, uh, and that's that's what you can hang your three movies on. The start, yeah. the the talk show research department has just beat me. Um, according to IMDb, at least Ryan Johnson has been named as the director for both episodes. Uh, oh, cool. eight and okay. nine. So that is good. That's good because I like Looper a lot. Now I do agree with that, and I think what John just said is is in a nutshell, and I I feel like we can continue on for most of the rest of the show and sort of compare the first trilogy versus the prequel trilogy in detail and in broad strokes. But in broad strokes, the single biggest problem between the two, 
Well, it's hard to say it's the single biggest because there's maybe three or four enormous problems. But one <laughs> one of them is the simple lack of clarity over who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. In the first one, right before you ever see anything, it you see the logo, you hear the fanfare, and it's already very exciting because it's a cool logo and it's really cool fanfare to start the theme song. And then, boom, you get the scroll, and the scroll says right at the beginning of the scroll – there's these good guy rebels who've just won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. And they're, 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 you've already got the basic gist of it. You could, If you're a little kid and you can't even read that fast, if you could at least get that first paragraph, mm-hmm. rebels win first victory against evil Galactic Empire. Just right there, evil. And then all of a sudden you miss the rest of the words and then you see a little tiny spaceship being chased by an enormous badass looking spaceship. You know exactly what's going on. You've already got it. Good guys, outgunned, bad guys, enormous resources. And there's that's that's the whole three movies right there. Yeah, the and it's prequels, very clear. The prequel setup, like, the, the type of movie it would have to be to use that type of setup is, like, it would have to be kind of like, uh, not even this, even this is simpler, like, uh, like, like Rome on HBO or, like, you know, it's all about political intrigue and the fall of a decadent empire. And that is a much more complicated story than, you know, underdog rebels versus uh, oppressive uh, empire. You know, like it's 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 a different story. It's like it's like turning it into a political thriller. It's like, well, that's not really what Star Wars is. And then you fail to competently execute a sort of <laughs> geopolitical thriller because, because geopolitical thrillers don't have a lot of uh spaceship chases and gunfights like they're all about backroom dealings and and you know it's like what is it house of cards in space like they just it's not yeah. no one involved in that movie was equipped to do that the script didn't support it the characters didn't support it. and that's not the story we wanted to hear we wanted to hear hey <laughs> this darth vader guy who supposedly was nice turned into darth vader that's what we wanted to hear you got three movies to tell me that and you're just like actually i want to tell you about the the fall of the decadent Jedi, and I'll do a really crappy job of it. It's like not not interested, and you did a bad job. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's two levels deep. Where one, you didn't want a political thriller anyway, and two, the political thriller that George Lucas wrote made zero sense whatsoever. And I don't mean that in a small sense, and like to to exaggerate how little sense it makes. It just it just doesn't hold any water at all. Like I, you I, just, I can see the story he was going for because you, it's sort of like this is. He, he tells you flat out, like, this is, you know, he has characters say things that are basically like the, the text of the movie, you know, and it went with the emperor saying stuff. It's like that I can imagine a story like that as like a side story or as like maybe one of the expanded universe novels describing the fall of the Republic and why the Republic fell. But it would have to involve entirely different characters and it would have nothing to do with Darth Vader or anything we cared about knowing in these prequels. I always think it's a mistake to tell the backstory of your most intriguing villain or uh, anti-hero. Because all you can do is lessen them. Like, a lot of their power comes from their well, no, uh, you can, because being he, mysterious. Here's the thing with Vader. Vader is a, is a cartoon villain in the first movie, and by the final movie, you sympathize with him. So that's the arc of his character. Like, yeah, you, so that's it. You're done. That's, that's, right, that's what but, I mean. But, but you want to know. You still want to know, how did Vader get to the place where he is in A New Hope? How did this supposedly I, sympathetic I, person... You know, come and I always compare it to like the best case scenario of this is the Godfather series, not counting movie three, where you take Michael Corleone, who is a good person, smart, mm-hmm. uh, he he means well, he's thrust into a difficult situation, 
and he tries to do the right thing in every every time he's presented with a decision he tries to do what he thinks is the right thing for himself and his family and a series of what he thinks are good decisions lead him to the place where he is at the end of godfather 2 mm-hmm. it's how can a, how can a good person make a series of moves they think are right end up in a super dark place and the godfather yeah. is obviously this is a high bar right you know but yeah. if you want to say what is, well and, good is just the same thing in a way right yeah well, except kind his, of his bad place is being witness protection like that's yeah the, that's more like yeah. how do things fall apart whereas what you sure. want to know okay. in vader is how do things come together how do they come to a right. head where you are just this you know where you are the one of the the top people in the empire and eventually with the, the, the end of the death star by the time the empire strikes back you are you know the the fist of the empire crushing everybody else you're like this was a good person how did that happen and so we we catch it at the end right i would like to see the story of how does this good person fall into that because that can be a very i like that story it's kind of like i don't know what you would call it it's a it's a tragedy it's the downfall of a great person it's a person so I, who you I, care I, yeah. about, who you identify with. It through all through the Godfather movies, you feel for Michael Corleone, you identify with him, you 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 feel like he is the the protagonist, that he is the good guy, which is why Godfather Two is so brilliant. Like this is the good guy. Mm-hmm. Like it it takes you through that journey and realizes, makes you realize along with everything else in the movie that this this arc has bent in in a particular direction. I, yeah. I would like to so, see that movie yeah. about Anakin. So I so I agree with you. I would like. To, I'm certainly, you know, since I was a kid, I've always been curious about how. Uh, Anakin, like Luke, Luke's father, turned to the dark side. That that's fascinating, but I think the degree of difficulty of telling that story in a satisfactory manner is so high that you basically just run the risk of ruining the the, the character. Well, you could... Darth Vader is basically ruined. If you, if you pay attention to this, uh, the prequels, Vader sucks basically. Uh, like I, I disassociate he, he, them. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't you have to. You have to, right? Because you can't believe that that's the same guy. Yeah, because it, it doesn't make yeah, any sense. You don't root for him. Really? I mean, yeah, it has no, to be. He's, he's, Michael he's Corleone lying. is a good example because you do root for Michael and you sympathize with his decisions. Like, I mean, I think clearly probably the biggest decision, you know, that starts him on a path he's never going to get out of is when he volunteers to, um, I don't remember his name, but he volunteers. Kill Salazzo. Yeah, Kill Salazzo. Yeah. Is, you know, all of a sudden he's not, you know, up until then on the on paper, he is clean. He's a war hero. He's, you know, I think he's college educated. You know, his father said he blood up. all over your Ivy League shirt, something like that. Is the yeah, is you know yeah. he's he's set up for a career in politics, and where maybe his family isn't clean, he is. Like somebody could look at whatever he's done, and if they knew the truth, they'd find out that you know he was a good kid from a you know gangster family. Whereas once he pulls the hit on Salazzo, that's you know he's got to keep that secret. And, and it's motivated by love of family, love of right. father. Like so, here's the thing that could you know you said like oh it's very difficult to tell that story. Uh, one of the the videos that John sent around that he wanted us to watch before this was uh, the kid yeah. bash thing, where they're trying to show some of the influences that, that George Lucas has yeah. by intercutting those influences into the the uh, the video of A New Hope. Uh, like like George Lucas was inspired by you know these Kurosawa movies and westerns and Flash Gordon, and he just pulls from those and puts in the movie. And the mo- the modern example that I love the best is look at Quentin Tarantino, all the movies, all the, the genres of movies that he loved, particular movies, particular scenes, particular images that he grew up with. He repurposes and, and remixes and filters through his own mind and imagination and makes something uh, greater than the whole. If you wanted to tell the downfall of Darth Vader story and you didn't have any better ideas, you could do that same appropriation and remixing directly from gangster movies, The Godfather, yeah. or like you said, Goodfellas or any, there are so many sources for you to, to perform the same creative function of saying, I mean, you could, you could just pull that story straight out and 
use that as the bones to have everything on use particular scenes and like just yeah. you know just there are there are other examples of this type of story from yeah. cinema and it is essentially a tragedy and even when we know the ending that makes it all the more poignant because the first few movies you'd really wanted to have us identifying with and rooting for Anakin and then at the end it would be all the, all the worse for the audience they would feel terrible that they know what's coming kind of like Titanic I mean you know the boat's going to sink right but you just got you got to build up to it and then <laughs> yeah. have the sinking be meaningful because now you've become attached to these characters right well it's you know it's even like historical precedent like uh, I don't know Caesar in Rome like where he goes and basically becomes the emperor that's a seems like a decent model for for the takeover of the republic right and you know what's going to happen uh, to yet, him, too. They've yeah. told that story many times. Well. Exactly. Like, you know what's I mean, going to happen to Caesar. You just got to, yeah. how can I tell that story so that I care when it happens? Yeah, knowing exactly. knowing yeah. knowing the ending is actually a very well, it's a well-trodden path for, for especially, I think, tra- tragic fiction. Um, yeah. I mean, Shakespeare, all of, most of, so many of Shakespeare's plays were not original stories. They were either historical yeah. uh, or they were these, you know, parables that had been passed down by spoken word for a hundred years. People knew the gist of them. All he did was do them really, really well with really clever dialogue and really crisply defined characters. But the fact that people knew where they were going emphasizes the tragedy of it. Mm -hmm. It's like the Hitchcock thing where the Hitchcock thing was uh, have the bomb under the guy's chair. The character doesn't know the bomb there, but show the audience the bomb under the chair. So the audience knows ahead of time that there's a bomb under the chair, but the characters don't know. So when you know Anakin's going to turn, if you're rooting for Anakin, everything Anakin does that brings him closer to the dark dark side, like the audience knows, like, no, Anakin, there's a bomb under your seat. You're going to turn. Don't you see? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this this ample precedent for how to do this well. Just because it wasn't done well doesn't mean it couldn't be. Right. You, You lose the surprise. And you gain tremendous tension, tension that lasts. Whereas, like, and I think in that the other side of that Hitchcock uh, parable, you know, his advice on show the audience the bomb under and put it under a little girl's seat. Have it a little girl eating a piece of popcorn and you show the bomb that's under her seat. Uh, He said, you know, everybody's first instinct, though, if they're making a thriller is to make the bomb a secret. And we don't find it goes off until it goes off. And that makes us, the real audience, no different than the audience in the theater where the bomb is. And he says it's, you know, you you surprise you can surprise the hell out of the audience that way, but there's no there's no tension. Mm-hmm. You know, the tension is what what makes cinema interesting. Um I think that it, there it, Yeah, there's 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 just no arc with Anakin in the in the prequel trilogy. It's all no. just annoying, 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 and then all of a sudden, with forty five minutes to go, flip to the dark side. So yeah, I for, don't for no good reason. I mean, we'll we'll talk about yeah. this when we do the episode three and the incomparable. I'm sure, but it's like you've got three movies to explain why this guy's going to turn, and just the movie hours are ticking by, and you're talking about the emperor, and you're talking about people running around and shooting each other, and very other inconsequential things, and at no point you're like. So why is he going to suddenly turn evil? Oh, because the script tells him to. Like, all right, I guess mm-hmm. and now I kill children. Sure, that comes. Yeah, right. That fits perfect. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was so shattered after the, um, like, for, for the original teaser trailer for Phantom Menace. Uh, there's one shot of Anakin standing and everybody's cheering him. Anakin, the little boy. Uh, and I totally had this weird... Like my interpretation was that he's just so force powerful that everybody thinks he's awesome, and he and it basically his his ego is going to end up eating him and turning him to invader. And then it turned out it was whatever because he ran a goofy 
Padres, which what a letdown! Like there's yeah, so and, many and rich that, things and, that they could have done with that character, and that is a simplified way to go. Like, oh, he's super powerful; yeah. it goes to his head. Like that's more of the Marvel villain type of thing, where if you're a super yeah, genius yeah, yeah. Yeah. and you're just like, you know what? I'm such a super genius. Everyone else on Earth are just like ants to me. I should rule over them, and they're you know that's one way to go. It's a little bit more cartoonish villain. It is definitely not as sophisticated as the Michael Corleone thing because that's what you want no. to happen. Because the the arc promise in the original trilogy is that Vader is actually a thinking, feeling, sympathetic person who finally connects with Luke and has a you know cares for his son, re- repents for his sin, dies for mm-hmm. them, uh, and you know has like that's the person that you're promised and. The, the the crazy egomaniac, uh, it's difficult to reconcile that. So I think you have to go kind of a Marco Carleone route where it's like he did want to do the right thing. And they tried to do that. It's like Anakin, Anakin is whiny and annoying. And the, and the romance angle, there's no chemistry there. There's yeah. Romance is a way you can kind of go bad, but that's more like leads you into a crime of passion. doesn't lead you to <laughs> become, you know, rule over yeah. a giant empire and kill all the Jedi and start by slaughtering children. And then it's like, well, I really didn't want my mom to die, so I guess now I should kill these children because some guy promised me I'll be able to help people stay alive. Like, if you want people to stay alive, you're not going to be killing children. I don't know. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I, there's some other... Dis- sorry. Well, go there's ahead. There's some other go disappointing ahead. stuff there where, um, I mean, they... they advertise him as being incredibly powerful, more powerful than Yoda, right? And he doesn't do anything powerful. Um, I felt that when... I felt that they sort of lost an opportunity in the second movie when... First of all, I don't like any of this, but when uh, the Sand People have captured his mother and he loses it, I kind of just wanted them to just force destroy this city, you know, or the, the, the encampment. Like, just tear it apart with his mind. Yeah, like, if, and, if you like want to go time. with that angle, yeah. like the, he, that he's super powerful, then you can start pulling from child prodigy movies. You know? Yes, like, exactly. Where, that, where there are child prodigies right. who are, who are yeah. very good. or you, know, you can do, like, a Bobby Fischer type thing. Like, they're yeah. a chess genius or, like, you know, an Ender's Game type thing where they're, they're a child and they have amazing powers, but they're not emotionally ready to deal with them. And, uh, you know, but that wasn't mm-hmm. played up. Like, he was, he no, was preyed, he up, he was preyed upon by the Emperor, but it wasn't about his strength. Otherwise, he was just like... He's a pretty good Jedi. Seems fine. Yeah, he seems. I mean, he seems equivalent power to Obi Wan. Yeah, least, he's he's but... not as wise. He's stupid. He doesn't listen to instructions. But he's not super. Like the, the Jedi powers are kind of like the Marvel powers, and that depending on the scene, especially in the prequels, there there's no real arc to the Jedi powers, and it's not clear what they're able to do or not able to do. Like whereas in yeah, the original it's whatever trilogy, the writer needs at the time. Right? Yeah. And in the original trilogy, it's like the force is mysterious and weird and pretty weak. And by the time Yoda is, is pulling next wing out of swamp, it's genuinely impressive. Whereas in the prequels, it's like sometimes we're moving a giant rock. Sometimes we're, we, we're pushing one dude away. Sometimes we're moving a salt shaker or an apple. It's just like, <laughs> it's, sometimes you've got lightning, but you can block the lightning, but it's like, that the rules aren't all worked out. Whereas in, in the original trilogy, there was a clear arc. There was three whole movies they made an arc of force powers. Lightning doesn't appear until the third movie, and when it does, you're surprised, and it's clearly a higher echelon of power. And the prequel yeah. sits all over the map. Yeah, I thought that the other lesson that was very, very clear in the the original trilogy from all three movies, but in a growing, especially in the second two, where Luke is, you know, more in in training to be a Jedi. Or, and then in the third one, be, you know, be growing as a young Jedi, was this this point of you? If you're going to be a Jedi, you cannot, you can't touch the dark side. Like once you go, it's it's all corrupting. Like you can't just dip your toes in the dark side. You're you know, once you touch it, you're, it's it's going to corrupt you. 
so I have a theory on that. Um, I think I might have told John off, offline some other time. Um, I think, so, I mean, Vader's supposed to bring balance to the Force, and effectively he does that by murdering everybody who's got a Force powers except for Luke. And I think the, 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 the thing with Luke is that he does touch the dark side. Right. Um, he uses a Force choke on a guard. That's not cool. No other Jedi has done that, but he just walks into Jabba's palace and strangles a guy. Uh, he's dressed all in black in Jedi. Um, and he beats, he defeats Vader by just getting really, really angry. Yeah. And be, beating the crap out of him. But that's and not, I think, I think but, the balance is where, he, when he tosses his lightsaber aside, uh, and decides that like, no, I can, like Luke uniquely can pull back from the dark side. Right. I'm so, I'm so willing to reject the dark side that I'll leave myself defenseless. But yeah, the balance like he, thing but, is, but he did entirely... it, he, but he accepted it. Right. Yeah. Isn't that entirely Sorry. a creation of the prequels, the whole balance Entire, business? Yeah, entirely. Yes. Right, and yeah. th- I, that's why I think it's BS, because it's like yeah. it's like saying, well, we need to have a balance between, like, you know, uh, murder and, and safety. We need to have a balance between robbery and having your goods be secured. We need to have well, some I, robberies, but then sometimes things are stolen. And we need to have some I, murders, I but mostly not murders. Like, we need to have some, uh, you know, anger and hatred, but not so much. It's, it's, no, I, dis- I disagree. I think, so I think... Um, if anything, ham-fistedly, the Jedi Order is depicted as being um, emotionless and detached, and ultimately that kind of leads to their their downfall. Um, but that's not the type of balance think, you're talking that, about. You're talking about well, light side, dark I, side balance. You're not no, no, talking no, no. about think, emotional detachment. That's dark like side, Zen versus. But I think dark side is embracing the 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 passion angle of it. But only only Jedi, the hatred. Jedi, They're not passionately loving anybody. Uh. You know what I mean? Like I know what you're I, saying. I mean, like there's the you know, emotional yeah, detachment I mean, depicted again. This is all dependent on the prequels. If you ignore, if you pretend the prequels don't exist, the arc is clear. The dark side is using your powers for evil, and Jedi have tremendous powers, and sure, you know absolute yeah. power corrupts absolutely. That's the dark side, and the whole idea is, look, we're going to give you these powers, and it's going to be really tempting to use these powers to essentially get your way. And even if the way that your way is the good, like, well, I really want to defeat the Empire, you still should be careful because it's really easy to slip into like, you know. Uh, using your emotions to 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 tell you what you should do with these powers and his whole arc is like uh i'm gonna try he's a hothead and we're gonna try to stay away from the dark side but you know by the second movie that you know his father had problem dealing with this and he's a hothead too and he really wants to defeat vader and vader does terrible things and you as the audience are like pound him luke kill him or whatever but in the end as i've talked about in the episode we did about return of the Jedi, in the end it's a story of pacifism where he's the only uh movie hero ever to embrace passivism in the climactic scene, yes. he, he gets away with it because Vader, who's already completely uh, you know corrupted, has no problem killing the Emperor. But he's like, I would rather die than fall to the dark side because it's a personal victory for him. He essentially says, mm-hmm. I've he, he's had his victory. His whole victory was like, can I master the Force? Can I master myself? Can I not give in to my hatred and everything? And in the end, he does. And that is his victory. And even if he had been killed by the Emperor and by Vader, he still would have won and Yoda would right. have been proud of him. But we still get the happy ending because Vader does that. That's his arc. It's not like, well, I had to, I had to choke that Grimorian guard. I had to uh, get angry to defeat Vader. You didn't have to do all that stuff. It, it, that was his battle against himself. And when when he's doing yes. that, when he's wailing on Vader, the sad music is playing, not the happy music. There is no right. balance exactly. in him. Yeah. There's no balance in him using his anger to beat up on Vader. That is his slow defeat. The balance angle coming from the prequel, I think you'd have a, a better argument for the balance being that the Jedi have to, you know, sort of be more in touch with their emotions and not be, you know, it's kind of more like arguing that priests shouldn't be celibate in the church. Yeah, like because the, the, I don't the, think Luke walks away from this. Of... 
Yeah, but I don't think Luke walks away from Jedi squeaky clean, right? Like, he's he's gone to the dark side and he's come back. Well, yeah, he's gone ways. to the brink. Yeah. Let's put it that he's way. Gone because to the, because, yeah. he, because yeah. he stopped himself. And, and the thing is, like, he was not trained for his entire life to be a Jedi, like right. like the other. And the part of the training, it's like you know, too like, mo- like too monks or like priests or whatever, where you are denying in, in our parlance because we just map humans and everything. You're denying a part of your humanity. You know, if you're going to be celibate mm-hmm. because you're a monk, it's like, well, that's important for your spiritual inner life and so on and so forth. But the number of humans who deal well with being celibate is, is very low because it's a strong you know urge that we have. And so wouldn't it be better if there was a philosophy that embraced everything that it means to be human and just took the good from that? And that's what right. the Jedi are. And blah, blah, blah. Never mind that they're aliens <clears> and it doesn't really make any sense in that context anyway. Uh, yeah. And never mind too, though. To also, that like, let's say with the Catholic Church, where where priests are uh, celibate, there is no argument within church doctrine that what makes somebody a good priest is an inheritable <laughs> quality, like genetic. Whereas right. with the Jedi, even in the, not even going to the second trilogy, where they backwards, you know. Rewrote in a bunch of yeah the yeah. metachlorine. The, I was going to call it the M word, but even <laughs> even in the first trilogy, they say you know the force is strong with the Skywalkers and stuff. They even admit then that it's you know it's a genetic, genetic. Trait. It's hereditary. Yeah, no, it, so it makes sense. Why like, in the, why in the world would the Jedi Order have everybody be celibate if like the best well, <laughs> the best source for new Jedi would be their offspring? So the, the celibacy angle makes sense in this in this respect in that. Uh, because priests don't have super magical powers, right? So <laughs> these individuals have tremendous power. And it seems if, if I had to describe what the whole purpose of the Jedi would be, is like, look, some percentage of people in this universe have, have this amazing magical power that is like super dangerous. So we need to get these kids young and we need to tamp down some aspects of, you know, human nature, essentially. We need to get their tempers under control. We need to make because it's very easy, you know, if you give if you give like a, a, a five year old, you know, the ability to use the force and learn to, you know, by the time they're 13 year olds, they will have built up an amazing ability to use this force and they'll just be they'll be very destructive. And we like we need to act as a balance against the the, the worst parts of human nature, because if we don't, we're going to have a bunch of these people running around with you know that, that their power would corrupt them that they may have been good people but we need to get them the early and what we need to do is give them more of a monk type mindset because if we don't we'll have a bunch of hothead teenagers running around with superpowers and that is a really bad formula for for peace and so there is some i could i could come up with a justification for why it's really important to find force sensitive kids young get them into the program and teach them to maybe they took it too far of like total detachment and celibacy and whatever like that i think is too far but have them in a program that lets them deal with their emotions and understand that they have, you know, with great power comes great responsibility to pull line from another movie hmm. that they have to deal with that in a certain way. So it makes some sense that, that the program for Jedi would be like, dude, chill. Like, not, <laughs> otherwise you've got serious. Can you, can you imagine teenagers with, with the force? It would be a bad scene. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll come back to that. I'm going to come back to this question of the, the Jedi Order. I want to thank our first sponsor, and it's our uh, very good friends at Backblaze. You guys know Backblaze. Online, unlimited, unthrottled backup for the Mac. You just go to their website, you download the software, put it on your Mac. You get a free month. You're done. Everything on your Mac, your external hard drives, your internal hard drive, it just syncs up to the Backblaze cloud. Everything's there. You want to restore your whole disk? 
you can restore your whole disk. You can order a USB disk. They'll put everything on a USB disk. You pay them for the USB disk. Like they charge like wholesale prices. You don't pay a lot. Next day delivery, you get your disk. You want to restore one file, just one file. You can do that too. You can do it from your iPhone. They have an iPhone app. You log in with your back Backblaze credentials. You can get one file. Send it from your phone, email it to somebody. You're done. You're not even near your Mac. You have access to your files. I've been talking about Backblaze for a year, probably two years. I can't believe that there are people who listen to this show who still haven't signed up for Backblaze. They keep coming back to sponsor the show, though, because people keep signing up. Sign up for Backblaze. I'm telling you right now, you, 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 you won't regret it. Um, you, you have nothing to lose. Free trial period, no credit card required, no add-ons, no gimmicks. You don't pay more if you have more data. Everybody just pays five bucks a month per Mac. No catch. Risk-free, no credit card required. Here's where you go to sign up. Backblaze.com slash Daring Fireball. Backblaze.com, which I can never pronounce correctly, slash Daring Fireball. Uh, Jedi Order. See, this is one of those things. Big picture. Big picture Star Wars 2 double trilogy. The thing that has always stood out to me, even... I thought even with the original trilogy, by the time we got to Return of the Jedi, that Lucas didn't really have all this shit worked out at the beginning. I mean, not no. even by a long shot. But then with the, the second trilogy, it just, it, it just reeks to high hell of stuff that he made up on the fly. Like almost yeah. everything in the, the prequel trilogy, to me, shows, and it, and it almost wrecks the stuff in the original trilogy. So I think it was great. I think it was sorry. I, I think it worked really well when you're doing Star Wars because you can just say stuff as throwaway lines, and people can fill in the background because it, it's not particularly pertinent to the, to the to the tale of destroying the Death Star, right? Um, and Empire kind of builds on that a little bit because there was there was a flimsy enough sort of shell before that, that it could build into it a bit. Return of the Jedi just kind of goes a little bit off the rails. Like I don't understand what's going on so much. But the prequel trilogy makes no sense at all. I don't understand the Jedi Order. The Sith seem like the most ineffective. Like, really? There's only ever two of them? What? I don't get it. I don't understand the the rationale for that at all. Or how that can be like a like a legitimate threat. To to um, a Jedi Order of thousands. Of, yeah. It's, I, I mean, well, I turns out they makes... were because they took them out, but still, you know. I'm sure it's explained in the Expanded Universe that I haven't read, but it makes sense yeah. to me that kind of in uh an evil organization where like might makes right uh if you are mighty enough uh there's no reason to have a bunch of henchmen hanging around and so if these sith all kill each other until there's only two left i mean i, I didn't listen to the, the talk show with whiskers yet but uh, I, the title leads me to believe you came to the same conclusion like why why have an apprentice then because yeah. the whole idea with the apprentice is he going to kill it. But it's like a wolf pack where, like, eventually the lead wolf gets old and some other wolf challenges him to a fight and wins. And then, then he's the head wolf. He's the alpha wolf, right? Th that type of model where th the strongest survives and the Sith tradition, you can hang a lot of stuff on tradition because tradition is like, well, it doesn't make any rational sense to talk about It's just the way it's always been done. Like, sure. the biggest okay. the biggest bad is the big bad. But you always got to have someone who's an apprentice uh, because eventually you're going to get old and die or get defeated, and we need someone to replace you. What we'd rather have happen is you train some guy up, and eventually he gets stronger than you and defeats you, and it's kind of like that's an honorable way for you to go out, and it keeps the Sith going. And so it's not an entirely crazy system. 
Okay, fair enough. But, you know, two against the entire Jedi Order is weird. Also, the way the Jedi Order sort of sits next to the the, the Republican government. That That's exactly what I think is a huge mistake. I felt like... I, I, being in exile makes some sense where, where, you know, because of the empire, Yoda and Obi-Wan are both old and they kind of have to hide. But I thought that the way that the Jedi were set up in, in the first trilogy was that they, not that they were, uh, all in hiding, but that they, they weren't centralized. There was an, or, you they, know, they were like knights or like samurai. Yeah. Or like they, yeah they served, sam- they... Well, Samurai is exactly what I'm thinking, where there's not like one central like samurai headquarters where all the samurai come out of. There's there's a tradition and there's a code. Clearly, there's a code. And and the training might be, what would you call it, regularized? You know, there's a systematic training to become a new one. But then once you do, you're all sort of lone wolves, you know, and they're, you know. Well, that's that true because like they're, they're giving, but, you, but you're, you're serving. They're serving the, the the good government of like the republic, essentially. Like they would, you know, they would be the sort of benevolent enforcement arm. Like, like I think you could make again. You could make an interesting sort of geopolitical thriller about. Well, look at this weird system of government. You know, where they have a kind of weird Jedi order with these magic people. It's an uneasy truce with the democratically elected non-magic people. Like that could work out. That's a different kind of movie, uh, and you could see how. A government could get into a really weird shape, especially if there's legitimate magic running around. You're like, well, who should run the show? Should it be those magic people or should we like vote for people and that we're voting for a queen and she's a teenager? And like there's all sorts of government ends up in all sorts of weird, distorted shapes. So I'm willing to uh, to believe any weird galactic government shape could work out. But if your movie is going to be about that, then that's what your movie is about. It's about like, well, how do we reconcile this thing? And what if the magic people start to go crazy? And what if the political people start to become a correct? And what are the checks and balances here? And how do empires fall? And so on and so forth. Not the story I was interested in hearing. I wanted to hear about Vader and Anakin, but that's that's a story. You know, right from the start in A Phantom Menace, where the first thing we see is Qui-Gon and his, you know, Padawan, Obi-Wan, you know, being sent by the chancellor to to do some you know fix a trade dispute or whatever it just that just didn't seem to me what the jedi were about it didn't seem to me like the jedi were people who did the bidding of the government like cops you know well that they, like i mean like knights serve the king right uh yeah and, or I, like samurai serve their their feudal masters well and they had I, loyalty I, to that but I think they were well, Ronin. I think is the right word. I thought I always imagined the Jedi as as a sort of Ronin. You know that they didn't serve a master; they served the the Force was their master, and like a, a natural sense of ju- truth and justice. Yeah, that would make sense. And then, I mean, and then you don't have the Jedi Council at all. But then you have basically a government. You could still do the government angle if they're really into that. It was like, well, you've got this Republic, but what's the deal with these Jedi that don't serve any master that are super powerful that are running around? Are we just supposed to trust that they're going to be like benevolent or whatever you can the other angle you can go is like merlin serving king arthur it's like well there's not that many of these guys but they are running around and we would like to have one in-house but there's other ones out there how do you deal with wizards how do you deal with people who can who are not not constrained by any government and uh have powers that you don't understand it but that are significantly powerful yeah, well, and then you could have something like that where maybe one or so, a very small handful of of Jedi could volunteer to be the handful of ones who serve the uh, the Chancellor of the Senate or something like that, but not the whole order. I feel like you know they were they were like a sort of quasi independent police force, which I thought was just way off for the tone that was set by the original. Well, and they did once they bring in the whole youngling 
uh, and like the the kids yeah. and everything. I mean that that the precedence for that was set in the movie when Luke shows up on Dagobah. He's like he's too old. Yes, too old to begin the training. It's like well, I remember when I watched the movie. I'm like, what do you mean too old? He's not too old. He's like he's just just barely an adult. Like it's that's isn't that the perfect time to? That's like when you would go into the army or be trained or whatever. But the uh, that comment from Yoda and the prequels make it clear that the whole idea was like get him when they're young. Get him like. Pull them away from their parents. Either get when they're toddlers, bring them in here. And that again, my explanation for that in my headcan is like, well, you really need to get them when they're young because if you left to their own devices, you'll have a serious problem. So that the whole order and system is like that seems like it would be the the most important function of the Jedi Order would be finding these people and bringing them into order and training them. And they could disperse after that. They don't have to remain and become a Jedi Council who sits around in a circle and makes pronouncements. You don't need to do that. But once you've established that. Uh, very young kids get the force early, and the Yoda said that we need you need to be trained from a very young age. I think you it's reasonable to stick with that and say we there's got to be there's got to be like a school like Xavier School for gifted you know same thing with the X Men like if you don't get them into Xavier School they might end up falling Magneto and then you've got but a problem. even even yeah. with just the original trilogy even not even going to the prequel trilogy I always thought that Yoda's protestations in that scene were it, he was just playing hard to get. To make Luke work for I don't him. Know he had no that. intention that he meant it. Because even in even from what we only know from the original trilogy, we know that Ben lived near Luke his entire life. And that he'd sort of had a you know, and they'd met each other before. He mm-hmm. knew him as Ben. And uh, you know, they'd met each other before. It wasn't the first time that they met when when he rescued him from the Sand People. So Obi-Wan Kenobi clearly, purposefully, for the first 20 years of Luke's life, never even mentioned the Force to him. Not even, like, as, like, telling stories. Like, Luke didn't even know what a lightsaber was. Yeah, that they have a timing problem with the prequels, too. It's like, you, uh, you're, you're to tell me that these Jedi were around, but then within one generation, they're so forgotten that, that Han yeah, doesn't, doesn't even believe they exist. Like, And Luke doesn't know what a lightsaber was. If every kid in our world where right. the Jedi are fictional knows what a lightsaber is, how in the world doesn't every kid in that galaxy yeah, know Like, what a even if Vader had killed them all be- just before you were born, you're still going to know about them. Like, they have, you know. Right, we, we know recorded. in the they same the way that... In the same way that we all know who the samurai were, exactly you know? right. So that I mean, that's timing wise, that's a problem. But, but when when Yoda said he's too old, the reason that always stood out to me because because he seems to be the perfect age, and yeah. the fact that Yoda would pull out the too old, and that you know because it would be ridiculous. Like, well, it would say like he's too short. Like it would be the same. What do you mean he's too short? He's like average height for a person. Seems fine. Maybe Jedi have to be super short, right? So when he said he's too old, he wouldn't pull that out. And yes, he didn't want to train him. He was trying to back out or whatever. But why pull up something so preposterous? And the answer is it's not preposterous that Jedi actually are trained from a super young age, and you well, don't usually yeah. get them by the time they're they're practically an adult yeah. because by then it's. They're, they're too set in their ways. It doesn't make much sense in the context of Luke because, again, my whole rationale of wanting them young is like uh, they should be feeling the force when they're very young. And by the time they get that old, they'll just be like completely reckless force users, whereas Luke has no idea that he even has the force until A New Hope. So that's Well, there's, there's two things there. A, I don't believe for a second that Yoda did not intend to train Luke. He's just saying that because he wants to see what, how Luke reacts. That's my... He's testing him. No, he's he's, uh, he's think, arguing with Obi Wan because he doesn't. He, what's he going to do? Not train Luke yeah. and then just let let the galaxy go on being the way it is? No. But he like he he's out of the game. Like he's on Dagobah. He's hanging around. He's looking at the animals and the lizards and stuff. He's kind of checked out. <laughs> yeah. And like he's trying to try and pull I, him back I, in. I, like, oh, we just can you train one I more think Jedi? Best, like, I think it's a at best a protestation. Like, I don't want to get out of bed. 
fine. I know I've got to get out of bed and train this guy. That's fine. Well, I think and it's the, a the thing would be the thing. Well, yeah, it is a legitimate argument, and and this is where I back you up. Is that um, Luke doesn't believe he can lift the X wing, and that goes to him being too old because he's got an experience and he's got. Um, like he he understands how heavy one yeah, of these things yeah, that's is, the, and like the other angle, and like too old, yes, yeah, and so Yoda's like, this, this is no why spoon, you fail. Right? You can't, you don't believe in this stuff enough. Yeah, so you, it's, you, it's like in the Matrix yeah. when the little kid has no problem. You know, you just don't realize spoon, there is right? no spoon, and when yeah. you're older, you're like, what do you mean the spoon is totally there, and it's harder because right. you're more set in your ways. That's the that's the other angle for him being too old. Yeah. I think it's it, it's the least the, his age is the least of the problems with the chronology there. The boy is reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, the, the 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 empire just it should have been around for like hundreds of years at this point. Yeah, it should not have been only yeah. fifteen years old. And in fact, yeah. they don't say that though. Well, they do say before the empire because you could have had a benevolent empire. Yeah, it I mean, seemed to be up, until, up until and maybe the Clone, the Clone Wars. Wars. Yeah. But you don't know yeah. how old Obi Wan is. He could. Right. You don't know how long lifespans are in this universe. And he's a Jedi, and Yoda's super old too. And like, there are many outs. Like the the chronology made sense when you just had the original trilogy. But yes. when you when you connect it up in the way they did, then you're like, then you it think totally of New Hope. It's like, well, yeah. has everyone forgot about the Jedi? I, mean, I know you're on Tatooine; it's far away and stuff. But seriously, man, like you get TV and like you yeah. Know, I mean, what, what's his name? Even calls uh, tells Vader it's an ancient. You're the last practitioner of that ancient religion. Yeah, it's not too ancient. It's like yeah. you know. Yeah, it's like twenty for, years out of date. What are you you kidding? I have like computers that still work that are that old. Like yeah. The, yeah. I always yeah I always just had the vague sense. Just as a rough chronology, and whether it actually worked out or not, but that let's say like in that scene on the Death Star where the guy is saying, you know, you're the last practitioner of that thing, that at least the the age of the Empire and the age when the Jedi were either a dominant force m- missing or reduced to just a handful hidden around the galaxy was around the length of those men's ages. Like that guy was born in a world where the Jedi were already decimated. Yes, you know, like thirty five, forty years. You know, yeah. because if it wasn't, you know, it's sort of like for what for like people like us, like the 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 world without TV. Like we know that there was a world without TV. We believe in a world without TV, but we don't. We haven't experienced it, which makes it because it predates our life. You know, our us being born, it seems mm-hmm. ancient. Or even it, black and white TV. Black and white TV seems ancient to me. Yeah, it's intellectually fathomable, but kind of viscerally, just you can't really picture it, right? Right. Whereas if I was maybe 10 years older, then black and white TV would just seem like something from my childhood. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and the other, the other angle you can go to explain the chronology is the backwater thing where, yeah, these things were around, but information is not evenly distributed. And so if you are really far away from all the action on some remote planet, uh, maybe you're not interested in the history of the Republic or any sort of pan-galactic government or anything like that. And maybe you just, you know, like, the, the, the Jedi story. We heard the samurai stories because Japan's not too far away, and we had had a, a war with them, and we know about Japanese stuff, and their culture came over here. How much culture about maybe Tatooine? They didn't get any culture about the Jedi, and it still doesn't. As as John said, that all right. Well, Ben is down the street. He's purposely not mentioning it. Maybe that's part of his strategy of keeping an eye on Luke. Put him in a backwater where they've never even heard of the Jedi. You can kind of explain it, but once you get like Han Solo, who's supposedly been jetting all over the galaxy, and he's like, "I've never seen anything that made me think uh, all powerful for you." Never seen anything like you should have seen like movies of Jedi moving <laughs> things with their mind, and you'd be like, "All right, well, I guess that was a thing." Yeah, and then in the new trilogy, I mean, again, he's supposedly super, super powerful, but we see Anakin as a kid doing some things that would require the Force. 
you know, that if just because the Jedi are decimated doesn't mean that human beings who have force related powers, yeah, you know, that you wouldn't run into them with what we can only assume to be the wide variety of action that Han Solo has seen, you know, heretofore in his, his adventures. Well, I mean, Anakin's whole thing was like, he's got Jedi reflexes. He's the only human who can pod race. You could just be a child prodigy and have amazing reflexes at that point. You don't necessarily have to, you know, he's not, he's not moving salt shakers for his mind quite yet. I just, I, but I just think that if a seven-year-old is showing those type of abilities that Han Solo would have seen, you know, something, a guy who could cheat at dice, you know, in a casino because he can. Yeah. Know. I mean, there's no expl- explanation for Han not being so doubt. I mean, other than the fact that it works in the context of the original trilogy, but as soon as you tack on the prequels with that timeline between them, then all of a sudden uh, everything in A New Hope is just doesn't read as, as true. Yeah. You have to be willfully stupid at that point. Yeah. Um, I, so I want I want to touch on some of the writing things that to me just clearly showed that it wasn't thought out in advance. And I, I'm going to say this though before I do that, there's so many writing complaints that we can do and should do, and I think it's fundamental to the prequels' emptiness. Um, I'll say though I'll forgive Lucas for the those expositional problems, like like Luke not knowing what a lightsaber is or the Force is. I'll forgive those completely because of the need to explain to us the audience what those things are. And yes, it was a little clumsy if you try to, you know, if you really think about it, it it thinks a little clumsy. But it, you know, I it's in hindsight though overall it was a good scene. Like I remember, you know, very fondly looking back on that scene in Obi-Wan's house where he, you know, gets the lightsaber and turns it on and hears about the Jedi and the Force. Well, that, that scene is perfectly acceptable if the prequels don't exist. It's perfect right. because he, he yeah. really wouldn't have known. He's a farm boy. How would he know about this stuff? He's a farm boy. He shows up with the old man. The old man shows him something from a box. It's an ancient thing. It, 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 it's it's exact, it's exact. it's a device. Yeah, you get someone who's naive and then you have the wiser person explain to them and you really explain to the audience. I, but it, it works perfectly in the context of that story. I think it would be a little bit more elegant if it was a little bit more, and I hate to say it, but a little bit more like the scene in A Phantom Menace where young Anakin asks if he's a Jedi because he's, you know, he sees his laser sword. He doesn't even know the name lightsaber, but it's like, even if Luke had just said, you know, it just expressed some sort of, I've heard of lightsabers, but never believed I'd see one. Uh, you want it to be more mysterious than that. Like, you don't want Neo to know about uh, the, well, the Matrix before I get, like, you want him to be com- a complete neophyte because he's got a, his arc is he's a farm boy who dreams something more and then this wider world opens up to him. So I'm perfectly happy with him not knowing at all. And the explanation as delivered by Alec Guinness but so laid back and not going into a lot of detail, like right. sure as hell not mentioning midi chlorians. It's like two or three sentences of vague. It's the type of explanation you would get if this guy's like, I've decided that I'm going to bring you on board this thing, but I can't explain it all to you now. Let me just give you the broad strokes yeah. and let's move on to the next scene because yeah. we got to go to Mos Eisley. Right. And it's a well, you know, it, Luke is our, you know, he, he's there for us. We see yeah. this. We, we see that whole thing through Luke's eyes. And uh, up until that point in the movie, you know, it's actually it's not like this hybrid fantasy science fiction combo. It's more just science fiction. It's just spaceships and laser guns. <laughs> and then all of a sudden in that scene we're we're explained that it's also a little magic. Yeah, and that movie, A New Hope, is not Force-heavy. Like, it's like, all right, lightsabers, Force, Jedi, guess Vader's got one. It's an excuse to have a sword fight. But, like, really, Luke is like, 
he's not. I think so it's only the mind. I think it's only the mind trick that is uh, that is magic. You, they don't even do the force move stuff. That comes. Yeah, but what I'm pilot. saying is like Luke. What Luke dreams about is being a pilot. Like he wants right. to fly a spaceship, and he's interested in the rebellion. You know about the rebellion. He's totally interested in the rebellion. So he's a, like he's a liberal, basically. Like he, he's against the empire. <laughs> he's for he's for the rebellion. He just wants Biggs. His friend has gone off to, into war to join the rebellion. And he's totally into flying things, and be, like he's he's a young uh, punk who you know wants to get off this stinking rock and do great things. And none of that has anything to do with the force or swords or sword fighting yeah. or moving things with your mind or anything like that. It's totally the second movie gets him into that. In, yeah. in the first movie, he's just like you know it's, it's like a coming of age story and going off to the war. And even though he does a little bit of force stuff, like it's like. Obi-Wan says taking your first step into a larger world he has but that larger world does not yet interest him and he doesn't realize the importance of it until more or less he sees Obi-Wan disappear in a puff of smoke and then starts talking to him through his you know he can hear him in his mind he's like "Mm, maybe there's something to this force thing and and that aspect of it I do think was loosely plotted out by Lucas where here in this first movie the force is really just for Vader and Obi-Wan and Luke gets a, a taste of it he gets a few drops on his tongue you know and, and it helps him it helps him have final victory in the movie like in right. the end his piloting skills are not enough and he has to you know use the force Trust. that's the whole yeah. big takeaway from him and that's the, the climax of the movie but what has he done he's barely scratched the surface of like right. he's, he didn't find anyone with lightsaber the whole movie right he got shot in the butt by the little floaty ball but in the end it was all i mean this is why the movie resonated so much it was you right. know the the force stuff is like uh, it's a little bit of Ludditism of turn off your targeting computer, but like, you know, that the, the things that are inside you, your emotions and feelings and thoughts are that feel so powerful inside you can actually have an external manifesta- manifestation yeah. of that power and it will lead you to victory and it'll be a good victory and the Death Star will blow up and no one else could have made that shot and so on and so forth. All right. I think, and I know this is might be controversial, I think, and I think, John, you and I have even talked about this. I think that when Lucas wrote Star Wars, or what I call Star Wars, A New Hope, Episode (laughs) 4. And I think he thought, if this is a hit and I get to make the rest of the trilogy, you know, that was the whole thing. It's like, I've got to make this first one, and if it's successful, holy shit, then I can, you know, worry, I can write and finish, you know, this planned trilogy. I think he wrote it with the idea that Luke was going to be the guy who gets the girl. I think so. Yeah, it's reasonable, and the whole first movie completely supports that. Right. I don't think there was any plan at all for Leia to be his sister. No, I think it, he did plan on Vader being his father. I mean, and there's the whole thing where Vader's, I think, the German word for father. Uh, I think that might have been there. Although I'm still not even convinced of that because when Obi-Wan tells him that Vader, he was killed, killed, by, killed by Vader, uh, it it plays well in hindsight, but I can't help but think that in, from what we know of Lucas overall, like he's, if that's what he thought overall, he would have overplayed it and it would have been like he kills well, your father. Well, so if I, you watch the scene, I just well, – actually, as it happens, I just watched that scene just before coming on this podcast. And there's two ways you can take it. One way, if you look at it with hindsight, it has acted perfectly to be like, mm, let me know. He's thinking of like what he's going to say and, you know, how is he going to say? Because he knows he's going to lie, right? So in hindsight, it can look like that. The other way that the same performance from Alec Guinness can look is – you don't want to tell a kid what happened to his father, especially when his father died. You're like, ooh, I don't, don't ask me about your father. i got to tell you that, you know, he was killed by Darth Vader and it's unpleasant. And the same performance reads, like, either one of those things reads on it perfectly. Obviously, the one with hindsight, you're like, oh, it's totally that performance. But it could also just as easily be, 
a little kid just asked me about his father and i know that his father was killed he didn't he didn't die peacefully in his sleep uh he was killed by darth vader darth vader's mm. a bad guy he's leading those people who are you know like it reads that way as well i don't know if, if luke is told alec guinness by the way when luke asks about what happened to his father you're going to be essentially lying even if i can't tell you what did happen to his father what you're going to tell him isn't the truth so play it that I, way. I, That's I get the feeling too. i get the feeling that luke has made up vader being his father in the second one and i get the feeling that he just went back in so many things in jedi i feel that he just went back to the well he made another death star like that even as a kid, I found that kind of boring. But no, but but it makes it, it makes he, a nice circle. Like I, I sure. mean, again, I was thinking, thinking of a new hope when when uh, when three PO is going to the oil bath and uh, I forget Luke is talking to him or whatever, and he's like, you know, I'm just a protocol droid and not very good at telling stories. Like throwaway lines like that that get paid off two movies later. I'll give so you that I, one. Right? I, I agree, I agree. But I do think that he he shoehorned Leia into being part of the the, the Skywalker family in Jedi because I think he felt that he needed the reveal that was akin to the one in Empire. But he but, but yeah, but he did in Empire he said no there is another. So he's got to pay off the is, there is another. I'm glad he didn't leave that dangling. The fact that the the another That's is true. Leia, eh, yeah. it's mostly immaterial unless they unless they build on that in episode 7 or something. It's mostly immaterial. It's like basically he says there's another, which means that, like, basically that's there to let you know that Luke could conceivably die in Empire, and he came pretty darn close to dying. Like, yeah. to make you think, guess what, guys? I'm willing to kill off a main character because there is another, right? And it hmm. just so happens that it turns out that he lives, and in Jedi we find out who the other is, but it's mostly inconsequential because, hey, Luke is alive. If Luke, again, if Luke had died a Jedi, then the other yeah. would be yeah. uh, what we would be hanging our hat on for the future. Yeah. Uh, well, the the, the, I mean, the, con- the consequence is that it makes uh, Luke go ballistic and ultimately defeat yeah. vader through anger right yeah yeah i mean yeah. It, it was it was worked into the movie uh, it's just yeah. that, like talk about making it up as you go along i'm i'm willing to believe that like having uh vader turn out to be his father fine that works but how many surprise familiar relationships are you allowed in a trilogy right Lucas was yeah, pushing it by saying oh and guess what yeah. another main character is also related to you really is yeah. everybody related to me yeah, yeah. It could have been. It didn't have to be a sister. It could have just been that Leia was the the other one. Yeah, I, I mean, exactly. Late, latent, and, untapped force power. Right. And, and what's yeah. next? We're going to say Darth Vader made C three PO. Come on, it's ridiculous. And actually, he does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. Don't let's not talk about that. But he does. Uh, he does like uh, do the the Vulcan mind chat with uh, with Leia as her escaping Bespin. Yeah, no, there's the who the other is and uh, the fact that they can have their rela- that, that communication with each other is either they're related or they're both Jedi's or both. And yeah. either one would be semi-plausible because there's plenty of movies where are like, oh, I just feel that my non-magical movies, like I have some, somehow a feeling yeah, that my, my, my brother is in a terrible car. You know, people totally buy into that stuff. Yeah, but, especially but in twin movie, stuff, right? Yeah. In this movie, we have established uh telepathic links between people even when one of them is dead like the first movie yeah. <laughs> told, you know ben is in his ear saying you know use the force luke or whatever so as soon as he's communicated telepathically with leia like oh, i guess she's the other see and i think and if you look remember the original posters and it's like the even the star wars logo is a little different and maybe even a lot different it's still got like the connected letters but it's like in a different almost like a pyramid shape mm-hmm. uh and it's like there's it's a lot more stylized it doesn't i don't know that any of the characters quite look like likenesses of the actual actors but luke is holding his lightsaber above his head his chest he's got his big chest coming out and leia's wrapped around his leg leia's wrapped around his leg it it to me that that poster gets authorized because it's a tale of this 
boy from a farm, which is what it ended up being, who goes on this grand adventure and gets the girl. Well, he rescues the princess. He rescues her. Right. They swing across the canyon on a rope together. Like, and know, she gives him a kiss for that for luck. And then there's the famous kiss in on Hoth. In, in right. Well, uh, by that time one. you're doing actual romance, and the first but, movie was so gentle. It's like yeah. even but Disney, no, even Disney movie has like Belle kiss the beast on the lips at the ends. There was not like in, in Star Wars. There's no kissing on the lips. It's just like all kind of. It's understood that Luke has saved the princess. Nothing uh, is you know. nothing is as as sexual though as that poster, right? And you know, oh, yeah, and because, who, the, because that was the way they did movie posters. Like you had to promise, even if there's no actual sex in the movie, you have to promise there's going to be a guy, there's going to be a girl, and the girl is going to be a submissive princess who wraps herself around the hero's leg, and the hero's chest is going to be gigantic. I mean, Mark Hamill's chest is not gigantic, but on those posters, it's busting out of his white tunic. You know, it's just the way they <laughs> advertise things. I'm looking at it now, and I, and I, if I'm correct, and Han Han and Chewie, I don't think are even in it. It's you know, there's a big Vader behind him, but yeah. it's Han, it's it's Luke and Leia and uh, the droids. Yeah, and it's a good call. What they like, if you're if you're going to call an audible, it's a good call. It's the reason Empire is so great. It's because after the first movie, you've got you know the childhood fairy tale. We're going to save the princess. Luke gets to swing across the canyon with her. They all get medals at the end. Leia gives him a special smile during the medal ceremony. It's appropriate for like prepubescent boys who understand the concept of uh, getting the girl or whatever. But once you're about to make the second movie, you say, you know what? You know, Leia, actually, the bickering Leia did with Han is a, a better indication of a budding romantic relationship than anything that happened between Leia and Luke. And that is a much more interesting relationship. So why don't we go in that direction for Empire? And they did. Hmm. And it was smart. And she did, again, she doesn't have to be Luke's sister to do that, because that that is the actual relationship with chemistry. Right. There's well, no and, chemistry between Luke and Leia for the yeah, second movie you, to build. Uh, you could. Uh, well, I don't know about at the time when I first saw it. Probably not because I was very young. But uh, you can tell when he when she kisses Luke that it's basically just to get at Han, right? Like it's, it's got, oh, yeah, it's got, yeah. it's got very little to do with kissing Luke. And, and Luke is not ready to handle Like Luke is no. like putting his hands behind his head going, Oh, a girl kissed me. It's like, that's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that's, and, yeah. and Han is, is, you know, yeah, but he plays it cool. He's like, yeah, take care kid. Like, yeah, well, easy, uh, Luke is yeah. not Luke is as far as we know Luke hasn't even had a girlfriend here whereas Han yeah. is you know is, is worldly wise and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, like he's wise enough not chemistry to chemistry yeah he, did, Le- he doesn't he's Han. not even upset with Luke or anything he's just like okay well she wants basically he's resigned that she won that argument right you but know? it's, still like, it's got nothing to do he, with he a kiss still knows, he still knows it's the two of them and Luke is just a bystander in this that's that's exactly it that's you know that's the way he plays and Luke does not spend any part of Empire pining over leia or thinking about no. leia and as any no. way except for a friend like when he's having these trances on dagobah he's like oh leia like in terms of his friends that he's got to save han yeah. leia he's got to go save his friends he is not he's not hung up on leia at all right speaking so, about uh the sort of the beginning part of, of empire what i loved because uh, i you know after we decided we were going to do this I, of course i watched them all over again um the story of han in 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 the first one ends with him basically turning around and saving the day right or at least helping luke save the day um and then we come immediately into empire strikes back and we keep building on that like as soon as he finds out that luke is out in the cold he's willing to die to go get him like the the character progression starts exactly where it where it ended like han had already decided that like no he's all in he's committed to saving like these people are his friends and he's going to go help them 
Uh, and also, we don't, we don't, time, but we don't repeat remember. the arc. You know, we don't need to repeat the arc. It's like immediately he's jumping on his tauntaun and seeing yeah. people well, in hell. There's a continuation like, of the arc of like he's being chased because he's got a, a price on his head. Like we know. Well, there's that there's that bit, yeah, but but he, but he but we don't see him being the, the scoundrel to his friends anymore. Like he's completely right. dedicated. Oh yeah, no, he goes out. And, he and, goes out. He goes out for Luke, and when uh, the Imperials attack the base, he immediately goes to get Leia and try to tries to get her out. Like that's the first thing he does. Like there's and we've had time removed because the the end of A New Hope and the beginning of Empire. There's a substantial amount of time during which there's more skirmish. Like that they've been to war together. So now they're essentially not just friends but war buddies. Yeah, there's hijinks in there. There's Lord Mandel. Well, <laughs> exactly. But that to me is like the brilliant. That's like Star Wars at its best is the Ord Mandel story, where it's yeah. just they just mention it. It's a cool sounding name. Uh, you know, something happened. You know, there's just this in in the in the quickest way possible, simply through dialogue. They just imply, and it feels genuine that they've been through some shit in between the two movies, and we right. haven't seen it. Yeah. And, and, and it that, reminds you that bounty hunters exist in the universe, which comes in later. And right, they're, and that they're after. Yeah. All right. I think I can't. I could do a whole show just on Empire because I think Empire. Yeah. I think Empire is what what holds the whole thing together. I think Star Wars was clearly, you know, the original one was a huge sensation. It was the biggest pop cultural, you know, movie of the whole series. Nothing is ever going to top that. But the one that makes it something that we're going to keep hoping for sequels that are good is Empire. I agree. I mean, how when when else has there been a sequel that is, you know, as good or better than yeah, the original? God, Godfather Two is the, the other. Godfather Two comes to mind. Aliens, the, aliens. Here's, maybe? here's the thing about maybe aliens, but here's the thing mm-hmm. about uh, Star Wars versus Empire. Uh, Empire took it to another level. Like it's not just because Godfather One and Godfather Two are at the same level. They're both the same kind right. of movie. They're movies right. for adults. They're serious. They are they're they're aiming for the same type of things, and the fact that Godfather Two was just as good, and some people might say better, but they're still the same. Because Star Wars: A New Hope is like kind of more of a kids' movie again. With the, the romance is not real romance; it's very simplified. It's very sort of fairy tale. You know, it's, it it it, it, it aged right along with the kids. And Empire is like actually we're going to take this even more seriously, and not in a everything is gritty. You know, Tim Burton's Batman or Dark Knight or Batman Begins, like everything's got to be dark and gritty or whatever. Just say, we're going to have real emotional stakes. We're going to have relationships right. between adults that read as true to adults, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, it will, and kids will pick up on the fact that the relationship between Han and Leia is a more legitimate re- adult relationship than anything that, that took yeah. place in, in A New Hope. And that's why I, it I, stands out. It's like, it's taking it to the next level. That there's this I love you. I love you. Yeah, I loved your observation. Uh, it's probably on the incomparable. In fact, I'm sure it was that um, Han and Leia kiss on, on the Falcon, and then they get interrupted. But when they end up in, in Cloud City, and she's they're 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 in that uh, the suite that they've been hooked up on. Uh, it's kind of I never thought of it before, but you had the observation that it's clearly they slept together by that point. Yeah. So just their that demeanor was, was... together, like there's so much more like relaxed around each other and a release of tension yeah 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 they're just like pretty chill with each other and yeah yeah the way they relate to each other is that finally so much more you know will will they won't they the answer was that they will and they did and now they can relate to each other directly without because they're so guarded with each other before kind of like you know they're they're trying to guard themselves but not reveal too much of themselves but show that they want to get together and like and eventually that settles down and they can finally 
relate to each other directly without sort of yeah. the artifice of yeah. like and it happens it happens off camera cool. and all you see is like that just the familiarity and like the like he's they're still teasing each other but it, it's so much there's less tension going on you know up yeah. until then nothing that they've said to each other is actually what either one is actually feeling exactly right yeah except maybe uh the oh you the, uh you you do have your moments not many but you you do have them. Yeah. 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 I mean, that, that was one moment, of, yeah. And by again, the way, that observation about the, the fact that they slept together where I believe both me and Dan Morin, as often happens, had the same thought at the same time in that podcast. Hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. But Han's whole take up until then is I could take you or leave you. And hmm. which isn't true. He's obsessed. And her angle is I'm not interested in you at all, which is not true. She's interested, even hmm. though she knows she shouldn't be. Right. Like if there's a, a line that's, that is honest, it's her, uh, I like nice men. Yeah, I'm nice man. I'm, I'm nice man. <laughs> so, uh, but that it's brings so us, basic. <laughs> that brings us to to me. What was the great thing about Empire was that it seemed as though George Lucas recognized his weaknesses and recognized everything that was could have been improved in the first one, mm-hmm. and then did th- either took action to rectify it or or delegated. So, for example, stilted character dialogue. Guess what? George Lucas, very creative at making stories, brilliant, seriously brilliant world builder. Mm -hmm. Probably, I would argue, the most brilliant cinematic world builder we've ever seen. Like, you could argue that The Lord of the Rings is a more fully realized world builder. Yeah, but that's based on But that's a novel. It's it's not cinema. You know, as a purely cinematic world, I I would say he's unparalleled. Guess what? He can't write dialogue. What was the Harrison Ford line? Uh, George, you can't say it. We can't, you, you can can't write this, this, but you shit. can't say it. Yeah, you can, yeah, say you can write this, but you can't say it. So he brings in two great screenwriters, Larry Kasdan, who uh, I guess, yeah, did Raiders came first, did mm-hmm. great work on Raiders, uh, which is a fantastic story and has fantastic dialogue and mm-hmm. a fantastic relationship between Harrison Ford mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Marion. Yeah. Well, Larry Kasdan's like a and, legend, right? He's, he's right. Yeah. Well, and but the talk about legend though, Lee Brackett, right? Uh, who wrote stuff for uh, like Humphrey Bogart and uh, um, you know from that whole era from the '40s, those '40s yeah. film noir, which is great. And that's what you know. Now that I'm older, I mean, obviously in 1981 when it came out, I had not seen the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought black and white movies were for, you know, old people. But now that I have like a richer film vocabulary and I've seen movies like that, the billion, uh, yeah. that's what the Empire Strikes Back crackles with. But they, crackles. Threw, they threw away most of that script, though. Like, and, and the spirit of it still Im- uh, embodies it. Like, but if I, in the big Empire, Making of Empire book by uh, what, Risner or something like that, the, the big giant coffee table book about the Making of Empire, yeah. which is great, and I recommend it to everybody. Reading that made me feel like that Lucas. Pick these people who are amazingly talented, who he'd worked with before, or knew, or you know, like he picked he picked people who whose work he admired, and then when they said about doing things, either he was disengaged from it, or if he was engaged, the feeling that I got from him is like, guys, it doesn't have to be that good. Like that he would be fine with it if it was like <laughs> that that they were they wanted to make it the best it could possibly be, and if it, up to him, he'd be like, you guys don't need to argue, just go home. Like what you've got is fine. Like for today, yeah, that's fine. Whereas the people actually involved in making the movie were just like, we're going to make this as good as we can possibly make it. And they were arguing with each other about every little thing, right down to the actors of Harrison Ford arguing about Han's motivations and what he would say in the scene of like very collaborative, very 
contentious, aggressive filmmaking on the part of actually making the movie, and that Lucas would, would be like, "It's just, it's just a kids' movie, guys. Just chill. Like you don't. It's not that. Like if it was, if Lucas was more involved, he would not have been pressing people to. And and we see what happens when he did have the say over everything that gets involved. It's like what he cared about deeply was like the design of the ships and <laughs> the computer graphics and stuff like that. And what he cared less about was like dialogue story acting performances you know all that type of stuff uh so anyway to, to be, i'll take a time out for a sponsor break but anybody who's looking for some good older movies to watch would could do worse than some of the ones that lee brackett worked on the screenplay for um going backwards in time i'm just looking at her imdb credits some of the ones that i've seen that i know or stand out um the long goodbye from 1973 that was uh uh a Robert Altman movie, but to make a, a Philip Marlowe detective story set in the seventies starring, um, uh, what's his name? The guy from, Oh, Elliot Gould from, uh, young kids will know him from oceans 11. Uh, like a seventies take on a forties film noir, which was awesome. Uh, probably my, one of my favorite Westerns ever made Howard Hawks, Rio Bravo. You guys ever see Rio Bravo? Yeah. Uh, oh my God, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Dean Allen, or not Dean Allen, Dean uh, Martin plays an uh, alcoholic uh, <laughs> you, sheriff. You don't say. Yes, him <laughs> with, but it's actually, to me, like a pretty interesting take on alcoholism in a kid's yeah. uh, action movie, you know, with John Wayne as his boss. Great, great, great movie. And uh, The Big Sleep from 1946 with uh, Humphrey Bogart and... Uh, Lauren Bacall. Lauren I mean, Bacall. Man, on, that's, right? yeah. Yeah. that's probably the one. If you're only going to watch one of the ones I just yeah, listed, watch sleep. The Big Sleep. Yeah. Uh, and I know, you're right. They, they didn't use a lot large parts of her script, but it definitely infused the 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 dialogue of Empire Strikes Back. Uh, all right, second sponsor. Let me thank our good friends at Fracture. Do you guys remember Fracture? They were here. They were sponsored the show a while back. Um. Uh, Fracture is a service. You send your photos to them and they print them directly on glass, right? How many of our photos never even get printed? They're all, we, all, we never look at them anywhere except uh, iPhoto and your, your phone. Uh, you don't get to hang them on your wall. You want to start printing some more photos out. Go check out Fracture. They do this in an amazing way. Uh, with Fracture, you send them your photos. They print them directly on glass. It's not like a piece of paper behind glass. They have this, I don't know how the hell they do it. I've never seen anything else like it. Uh, you send them your pictures. They print them directly on glass. It's almost like the effect, like the whole thing, like with iPhones, like where it used to look like you had a screen under the glass. And then when they started fusing the screen closer to the touch, you know, to the surface, it looks like the pixels are right on glass. That's what fracture photos look like. They look like pictures printed directly on glass. The prints come with a foam back that's ready to mount right out of the box. It's like a frame and you get desktop stand or something you can hang on the wall all in one right out of the box. Really clever packaging, frankly. Um, and it just looks like no other picture that I've ever seen. Uh, it's a really cool gift uh, just in time for the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, they're the ones who booked this week. But it is. If you have future gifts to give out, birthdays and stuff like that, uh, seriously, Fracture is great. We do it all the time. It is like the – it's like just a go-to thing in my back pocket like Mother's Day. Just find a picture of my kid, print a couple fractures for all the 
grandmothers in the family, and boom, there's a great gift. Here's where you go to find out more. Here's their website, FractureMe, all one word, FractureMe.com, and use this code. It's just my last name, Gruber, G-R-U-B-E-R, and you can save 20%. They have a whole bunch of sizes, ranging from really small, square ones, which are perfect for printing like Instagrams that you want to save and print out, to it's enormously big. All sorts of sizes, great, great quality. You won't regret it. Use the code Gruber and you'll save 20%. Yeah. And I know our friend Marco uh, uh, uses Fracture for his, uh, he, he makes fractures out of his app icons and hangs them on his wall, which I think is a nice idea. Yeah. That's only useful if you come out with a new app every year like Marco. Yeah. And yeah. sell the old one. Yeah. But it's a cool idea. I like it. Yeah. It yeah. is cool. I've, I've heard other people say that, yeah. that they do that. Um, Empire. We could go on and on about Empire, but yeah. it's there's almost no wasted exposition. You're just like you said. You're thrust back in this world. It feels like yes, some stuff has gone on, but the characters are on this exact same arc that they were before. Yeah. Uh, I always use this word, I, and to me, it epitomizes the sense of camaraderie between the heroes of the original trilogy. Right. It's this palpable sense of camaraderie, which I think is so hard to capture. In movies, I feel like TV shows do a better job of it because can do a better job of it because they have so much more time, right? If you watch Mad Men for six seasons, there's a camaraderie between yeah. Roger and Don because yeah. they've been through so much together because we've seen them through, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know, 140 hours of television. Whereas it, for Star Wars to have gotten to this palpable sense of camaraderie between these characters that you truly believe. After just, you know, two hours and 15 minutes of of film so far, when Han says, you know, they say, you're never going to survive the night. And he goes, well, then I'll see you in hell. And he goes out. Mm-hmm. You just believe it. I believed it as a kid. I still, it chokes me up. I get a lump in my throat when when he does that, when I watch yeah. that. Because I feel to me like it's the it's not just serving the story. It's that's what this guy would do. Yeah, of course he's going. Of course he's like, what what else is he going to do? And the way you build that camaraderie is you have to have the the people, the ensemble cast, you have to have them uh, not sort of come together and just be friends from the beginning and go through. You need to have them be like at odds over certain things and have them butt heads about those things and come not so much resolve those things, but come to an understanding about those things, whatever things they disagree on. Uh, I'm totally into the force and think it's great. You think it's uh, it's hokey. I'm with the rebellion. You're not so sure about it. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm a hothead. I'm more calm. You know, like just whatever thing, whatever personality traits that that you know don't mesh. You have to show them clashing, and then you have to show that they, through the, the other things, become more important. They they come to an understanding about those differences and become friends. And then mm-hmm. you also need to have them go through things like like John said about Mad Men. You have to have them go through the moment where they succeed in business, fail in business, where one person is vulnerable because he's drunk and says something, the other person have one or two true moments between people and have like, or you could even have on a TV series, you could have a misunderstanding or betrayal that, that eventually, you know, they, they figure out how to work out. Like you have so much more time to have those things, but in star Wars with the ensemble cast in the first movie, you throw these guys together. They don't know what to make of each other. They probably never seen anybody like each other. And there's other characters in the mix and that, you know, that Obi-Wan is there and, and, and Han is just, you know, going to do a job, but, you know, it kind of it, it feels for these people and the old guy's weird and he dies and they're both there when the old guy dies. Like 
you have to have that, right? I think the problem with a lot of ensemble movies, the more modern ones, is you throw together this group of attractive, personable, well-adjusted, uh, smart, witty people, and they just kind of walk parallel to each other side by side through the plot. And yeah. that does not build camaraderie. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like Han, it's very clear, because I just watched A New Hope recently, and it's very clear. Han, when he first meets them, he just doesn't even believe him. He doesn't believe he doesn't know what the hell kind of trouble they're in. But he it's just his his cynical self thinks whatever problem, whatever it is, they want me to take them to Alderaan for it's yeah. no big deal. They're telling me it's the Empire. I've trust me, I've seen trouble with the Empire. This is bullshit. Yeah, he doesn't believe them gonna, in, until the two Star Destroyers show up. And he's like, whoa, yeah. OK, I didn't, actually didn't but expect it, this, you know, yeah. in the cantina. All he's thinking about is ripping them off. Right. And vastly overcharging him. <laughs> yeah, and as, as I pointed out on the uh, the Incomparable episode about Empire, so Han is doing the thing where he's talking to them and you know negotiating the price, and and Luke is being not a good negotiator, and Obi Wan's trying to you know tell him to calm down, work it out. Right? They both leave the table. What you're left with at that point, I think at that point you had seen Han. I forgot if you'd seen him with Greedo or not yet. But anyway, you saw Han dealing with these guys as like I've I've got a fast ship or whatever. As soon as they leave the table, he talks to Chewie person to person with his true self. These guys must yeah. really yes. be desperate. And at that point, yeah. when you see him talking to Chewie with his true self, you realize this guy's not such a hard ass, right? right. He is, he's, he clearly cares for, for Chewie. They have a real relationship with each other. He doesn't talk to Chewie like hired help. He doesn't yeah. bl- bluff, have this bluster and everything with Chewie. So you know that sort of like there's a heart of gold inside this scoundrel. So that's yeah. set up from the very beginning. Uh, and that's what, that's how it works out. It's not like this guy is, you know, a hard ass and then suddenly it turns over a new leaf the whole movie he is he's has this conflict about i have to show that i'm tough on the outside but on the inside mm-hmm. uh i'm i'm a sensitive soul there's a yeah, great and there's also, a, go ahead john well just also that the the sense that he's in some financial trouble to some uh, bad you know right. some bad people yeah that's and it. he's scared Gu- about Gu- it yeah. like yeah you know. yeah guido comes almost immediately after this after they yeah like the, the stormtroopers show up and then the next time we visit han uh guido's there there's and, a and great he does scene the, like he that. He does the indie, the indie thing in that scene where it's like, yes. don't have it with me. That's kind of the sarcasm. Like, yeah. Indiana Jones and Han Solo blended a lot in my mind as a kid because there's yeah. a lot of crossover in terms of Harrison Ford playing yeah. the kind of, uh, you know, going to talk his way out of a jam type of thing. Like, he'll fight his way out of a jam and he'll talk his way out of a jam and he's able to do both and he'll switch between them based on the needs of the situation. So eventually he does yeah. have to shoot Greedo, but he tries to talk his way out of it first. And if that yeah. doesn't work, he's setting up his shooting the way yeah. out of it. And I think, so I'm... I'm getting my own self off point but i think that's why it's okay that that han shoots first is that he really did try to get out of that without any trouble and only when it became ultimately like, really clear that greedo was just going to shoot him and he, as Paul know, storm he, say he, that sets up his yeah. moral journey in like that he is slightly more amoral at the beginning of the movie because he's like i just care exactly. about my he, he's exactly. trying to he's trying to put up a front that says I'm tough. I only care about myself. It's not true, but that's the front he's trying to put up. See exactly. you later. I don't care about your rebellion. He can't actually stick to that, but he's totally willing to shoot first because that's what a tough guy. He's he's play acting the tough guy that he wishes he yeah, was. He's kind of, yeah, he paints himself into a corner by being a tough guy and then has to yeah, shoot the guy. And, and, so and when there, he shoots Greedo, like Greedo is scum, and like uh, Indy, would, yeah, yeah. Would, you know, Indy shoots the guy with the sword in the street. Yeah, too. you don't. It's yeah, like, you don't feel. At you don't some feel point, bad he about is it. a little bit of a hard ass because he's survived this long doing this job. Yeah, exactly. I think there's one. So sorry, much, wait, they're just. Two seconds. Right. There's, there's one scene in Empire that I think really speaks to this uh, aspect of Han, which is he's already saved Luke, and Luke's being rehabilitated in that in a back to tank, and Luke is about to go out in the snowspeeder to, uh, you know, try to slow down the the Imperial assault. Um, meanwhile, Han is on top of the the Falcon, trying to patch it back up, and uh, Luke says goodbye to Chewie, and Chewie gives him a big hug, 
Uh, and then there's just no words spoken between between Han and Luke. They just kind of smile at each other and nod. And it's still, it's it's um, Luke kind of accepting Han's uh, tough guy outer outer shell. Like he can't say, like they can't actually say anything. But there's there's just such a good connection between them then that that I love it. I love that there was an intentional choice not to provide any dialogue there. Because I think anything you could have said would have just ruined well, it. Well, he stops character. him when he's walking away. Like uh, Luke was walking away. It's like, well, I got my hug from Chewie. I'm going to walk away. And then yeah. Han basically stops him by yelling, hey. But then after after he's gotten his attention, there doesn't need to be a big, you know, yeah. like, exactly. just kind of do, do the macho they just, nod they just to nodded. each other. But it's not even that macho. It's more like... I, uh, I think there is a line there. I don't, I don't there have could be, but it's like... But, but it the, line is not, to... the line is not what they would say. The it's line like, is not yeah. what George Lucas would it's write like, for them, which is take care out there because you are a good friend and I like you. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's it's something like take it easy or something. It's or yeah. maybe good luck, but it's so mi- it's so minimal. But the way that they're communicating, it's not a tough guy thing. It's more of um, like a good friend thing. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. not like yeah, like fist bump. It's not that. It's more well, no, like, it's, it's the, it's the there's slight, caring. It's there's the like, slight like, reveal like, of like bringing down that wall ever so slightly. Exactly. So there, they just are like, communicating without that wall being in the way. But if people looking on the outside, they don't see. It's a, still a little bit of a macho thing because you can't show your emotions. You're, you're yes, I, t- I take that. But it's yes. But and it's an interesting contrast with Chewie, who is I think the, the actual toughest of the heroes, and yeah. you know the one with the worst temper, and he's the one who just lets the hug fly. Uh, he's like, a, he's yeah. in touch with his emotions when the, right. the, yeah, the, really the doors close. Yeah. He wails because his friend is out there. He is right. he's much more if able. He's much more in touch with his emotions. Does not feel the need to tamp them down like Macho Man. Right, yeah. right. He always lets his emotions yeah. fly. As, as Lando finds out. <laughs> um, I was just going to say to me, uh, circling all the way back to earlier in the show when I said that I found Indy four more disappointing than Phantom Menace. I agree with your assessment that the Phantom Menace had more uh, – the hope that it would be good was bigger than the hope that Indy would be good. My thought my, – my line of thinking on that was simply though that Spielberg is still a very talented filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And I thought that meant you know there was a good chance it could still be a good movie. Whereas by the time Phantom Menace came out, because of the special editions, I was already so deeply pessimistic because – Almost everything. I would say like nine out of every ten changes in the special editions was for the worse. Yeah. yeah and it just yeah. made me think this man, George Lucas, has lost his fucking mind. And now he's gonna make a whole movie. Yeah. And I it and it, to me it, it everything that I thought would be go wrong because of the special editions of the original trilogy was exactly what went wrong with the whole original trilogy. So I will and, say this about Empire Strikes Back. It is the only one that survived being special editioned and I think came out better for it. In many ways. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think yeah. the changes they made to Empire and Special Edition were pointless. They did not need to be made, but because Empire was so so perfect, right? So, yeah. so perfect. Like, what can you do to it? Like, he had to fight to even find things to put in. Like, well, when Vader so, leaves Cloud City, how does he get back to a Star Destroyer? We should see that. So we wait, that's that. stupid. Like, that's, but, that's, but the that's running the level around, of crap. That is that is stupid. But the running around in the hallways of Cloud City makes it look nicer because you can see uh, outside. I kind of like when it was all white. But that that's was Lucas's whole thing. Is like. What could I not do because of budget or technology or time or both? Yeah. Like, well, I couldn't have things through the windows. I had to paint them all white, so I'll put stuff yeah. in the windows. I didn't right. like the stuff in the windows. I liked it being all white. When I was a kid, I didn't feel like, hey, why are the walls opaque? I felt like this is a weird futuristic-looking set where everything yeah. is white. And when they changed it, 
it, it jumped out to me. And uh, sure, but it didn't make it of, worse. It was it was the movie that didn't get worse for being special yeah. edition. It, it didn't get a pre- because who cares about that? Like it's minor right. point. Like oh, we get to see them fly into Cloud City. Nah, it doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie. It sticks out. You don't need it. But like there was so little they had to do. Like they exactly. weren't inserting yeah. entire new musical numbers, for example. And yeah. they weren't you know they weren't they altering did. major plot points like having Greedo shoot at, at at Han. Like there was nothing. They didn't load up twenty more ad ads in the in the Hoth battlefield. Right. Yeah. Like they're like, oh, right. they're, I wish I could have had more things going on in the Hoth battlefield. No, the, the amount of things in the Hoth battle scene was appropriate. It was fine. Like you don't need to have. Oh, let's yeah. put a bunch of things in the background too, and then we have a whole other sec- uh, section where we fly around. Like it didn't need yeah. to be there. Yeah, they right. they cleaned up the mat lines. They added a few things here and there. They showed well, they, the Wampa arm the, getting the chopped off. Things. Here's the, the thing that annoys arm, me with, yeah. the, with that is I don't know if you guys remember, but they redid the mat lines. It wasn't called special edition, but they did a cleaned up effects version of it. I don't remember what release it was for. Maybe it was for like VHS Laser or disc, maybe. maybe like. But they they he did go back and clean up a lot of the worst of the optical matting, and that was the like. That's why I kind of had high hopes for special editions because mm-hmm. it was kind of like. Oh, it's going to be more of that stuff. It's going to be like yeah. things yeah. that were limitations of technology at the time, where the mat yeah. lines were super annoying, or when there was something. Well, the other, yeah. just clean that. I don't know if you remember, but in the snow speeders, you used to be able to see through the cockpit into the yeah, yeah, behind yeah. it, yeah, slightly translucent. And you oh, yeah. you can make that if you can make that opaque now, fine. Because that's you feel like that's not changing the movie. In this, it's a special edition, and it's like cleaned right. up, but it's not like insert entirely new footage. Yeah, yeah, and I I remember, and I believe it too, as I've read that. Uh, with the mat lines on the spaceships, like in the dogfighting in A New Hope, when it was theatrically shown originally, they might you might have been able to squint and see them, but just because of the nature between projecting versus the home video transfer, they were nowhere near as noticeable. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was really just that it was that the first home video transfer was too light. They they blew out the blacks. Yeah. Whereas everything looked, it was a lot richer black. It wasn't like, wow, I don't remember seeing those lines around the TIE fighter, fighters when I was a kid. Well, that's because you didn't really see them. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that was my thing. Is I th- and, and to me, nothing epitomizes it more than the Han shooting first. And I know it's a cliche. I know yeah. that it's like a super popular t-shirt, you know, Han shot first. I, I, but I feel like the it's one of those things that it... it it's a cliche because it really does it it's a way to just put your finger on everything that's wrong with the special editions because it seems to me it always and this is the way i put it is it's almost as though like if george lucas had sold star wars to disney in 93 and then disney did the exact same things you'd be like oh my god this corporation doesn't know jack shit it's like the, they don't even understand star wars and they're ruining this great thing it's almost mind-boggling that it was all done by the guy who made it. Well, I mean, it's not mind-boggling. It makes sense to me because the guy who made it got older. It's the same thing that happened with the walkie-talkies in E.T. It's like b- both people are like, I'm I'm very well known for this famous movie. Now I'm an older person, and when I go back and look at the movie that I made when I was a younger man, I, I feel differently about it. And if I was making it today, I would make it differently. And I feel it's, it's too harsh for... For Han to shoot first because Han is a sympathetic character and you start thinking yep. of the children and I'm a father now or whatever and like the whole lesson from this is fine then make a different movie now this is the movie you made when you right. were you, when you were a, a, you know a young man and this it's is the exactly. type of movie made by a young man and if, when you go back and change that like that is the worst sin of the movies is like 
I know that you have changed. If you have changed, make new art that expresses where you are today. But don't, and Spielberg, the fact that his contemporary Spielberg did the same thing with E.T., oh, it's too upsetting that the, the people chasing after E.T. have shotguns. Put a walkie-talkie in there. That's how you feel now as a 50, 60-year-old man. It's fine, but you can't go back and change the thing you made when you were did, young, man. Did, like, did he go back and change that back to guns at one yeah, point? Yeah, I mean, he was yeah, he was yeah. guilted into it because he's also, you know, less stubborn than George. And, yeah, you know, yeah. He did, he's did like, yeah, that was... It's the same impulse because the people who made right. the movies got older and they still had the creative control to say, you know what? I want to make a new version of this movie that better reflects who I am today. And it's like, no, make make a new movie for who you are today. That's right. the movie you made then when you were a different person. And it was right. a valid thing to be. I, I agree with both of you. I think we're saying the same thing, which is that, you know, the you would have to write an entirely different scene to not have him shoot first because the thing if you if you've seen the film even once you can see that that he tries to talk his way out of it he realizes he doesn't and there is no way out for him other than to shoot Greedo. Greedo is going to kill him right there. Yeah, over my dead body. Yeah, that's the right. idea. I mean, and right. the thing is he's he's prepping for, like he's he's a KG person. He is prepping for that the whole time. He's like he's not going to say oh after I fail to talk myself out of it then think of a plan B. Plan right. B is already ready. Plan B has to already be ready because that's how it, he lives this long in this business. It feels like a change that was mandated by like Disney corporate, you know, like we we can't have a hero shoot first. Disney corporate, this has Disney to corporate barely can be bothered right. to take out the blackface in their old movies. So I feel <laughs> they would have just left the shooting first. Like that's I, fine. Well, all the things I'm just to get upset about. I'm just saying, no, it feels like somebody outside the film who hadn't even seen it is just holding up a check lock, a checklist that says the heroes can't do this. It feels you know? like it feels like somebody from like the what is that thing? The uh, something parents association. The people always write to the FCC to complain yeah, about cursing yeah, and yeah. stuff. It's like right. sort of like an old person who's like, oh, kids these days and they're cursing in baggy pants and we really need to clean this up. And when, like it's that type of that type of idea that older people who are uncomfortable with things that younger people think are cool like because yeah. you know it's just it's just too harsh and that character feels he feels like han solo is is a lovable likable good character and he would never do something that bad whereas a younger filmmaker or anybody with more artistic integrity to say is good people do bad things people grow the same reason you know that he grew he should have been able to say this is what han was like when he was younger and less wise and you know and when I made the movie, that's the character I made. And now Han is older and more wise and kinder, and he has changed. But you can't retroactively go back and make yourself. It's like retroactively going back in your own life and making yourself not do stupid things when you were a teenager. That's part of who you are. We haven't spoken much about Return of the Jedi yet. Hmm. Uh, just the opening where Luke, you know, is sort of, you know, vaguely touching the line on maybe what a, a Jedi would do in terms of the dark side. Uh, so that movie, that movie, I think the more I watch it as I get older, the more I like it. Really? Yeah, I don't love it, and it's nowhere near. It doesn't make me anywhere near as happy as Star Wars or Empire mm. does. But I almost feel like I don't know how else. I he I'm had to close the trilogy. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I, I put it. I put it above Star Wars for me, just because I really? feel like it is a. It is a more. It's like so. Empire took took it up to the next level. Say, here's a movie that's appreciated for all ages. It, is, it has sophisticated story, emotion, things for adults in it, and also kids will love it. So that brought it up to the adult level. Jedi brought things back down a little bit with the Ewok business, but I feel like the culmination of the arc, how this story ends, and with the whole angle of like Luke doing something that movie heroes never do, which is 
you know, pacifism is the victory. Like that never happened. Pacifists are wimps. Nobody wants a pacifist. You want John McClane to shoot the guy. You want you want the cop who was guilty about shooting and drop, a little drop kid. Him off, drop him off the roof. Right, right, exactly. And you want the cop who felt bad or couldn't pick up his gun again because he accidentally shot that kid to get his gun back and say, now I'm confident enough that I can shoot people again. Like pacifism never wins. Can you think of it, any other movie anywhere where pacifism leads to victory again it's a kind of a cheat because vader vader does a thing maybe gandhi like but that's you know you gotta dig you gotta dig pretty deep down like that that is the struggle at the end that it is it is a a sophisticated struggle uh, an emotional struggle between luke not giving into his anger and fighting fighting uh vader and in, in the moment when when luke is winning the fight which is what you want the good guy to do in most movies kids are rooting for the guy beat the bad guy good guy beat the bad guy good guy may be down for the count good guy may be on the ropes but he's going to come back and he's strong and he's going to beat the bad guy that's the when that's happening in jedi that's the bet you're like no luke don't do that like you you're, yeah. to bring little kids along on that journey because all little kids want is the good guy to beat the bad guy to bring little kids along to the point where they are sad when the good guy is beating the bad guy. I think it's a nice message. Yeah. I think it's a message that is never, ever seen. And I think the sophistication of that culmination, yes, they do blow up the Death Star again, but the sophistication of the resolution of the Luke Vader story elevates the rest of that movie, silly Ewoks and all. Okay, so I, I totally agree with you in terms of uh, Luke's arc. And yes, that is the most satisfying thing. And it's ultimately, it redeems Vader and, and Luke. And, and, and I, the space battle is good too. It's oh yeah! Cool. Oh my god! It's, like, a, good, it's, it's, a, it's good a good space, space battle. battle. They don't make space with, battles with, like with that anymore. That one actually it's makes not just sense. A bunch of, yeah, it's not yeah. just a bunch of ships flying around. You care about Lando by that point because you know him. You yeah. care that he's flying someone else's ship, right? Yeah. You care like the the three fronts thing. People down on the planet. People in the space station. Luke and the Death Star. The coordination between those three lines of action is, I think, very well done. I it's totally attempted agree. to do in many other movies. I think this, you know, it's in a modern device. It's like, oh, we see that all the time—the multiple lines of action culminating around one thing. But this was an early occurrence, and I think the balance between those three plot lines is, is just very nice. So sometimes when they're on the Ewok planet, you're not that interested, but at least it's all connected in, in a way that you understand, and in a it, way that it, sure. But, but what I and don't it, like it, about it is. Um, Sorry, John, I think I cut you off, but just... Well, I was just going to say that it makes sense, not scientifically, not like if you really try to think it through, but if you just go with the flow of Star Wars level logic, it makes sense that all three things are simultaneous. Yeah, I mean, just as as a narrative. And and that they're they're relying on each other, like this this, this cast that we've come to know, and they've, they've been with each other, they're ensemble cast, they're friends... They are spread out to do different missions for this final battle here, and they're all relying on each other. If Han doesn't get that shield down, they can't do the attack. And if if Luke doesn't defeat the Emperor inside there, it doesn't matter because you know if if he gets turned, then they could blow up the Death Star, but then they have a problem anyway because right. the Emperor will survive. And the only person who kills the Emperor is Vader. So all they're all depending on each other, and they're all leverage of each other. Like the Emperor saying, "Oh, your friends out there, you think they're we know about their plan? They're screwed." Like it all it all connects nicely. So I, I so I completely agree with you that i guess the the last third or at least the second half of that movie is is great uh we've got akbar he's amazing the 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 ship battle is great uh the surprise appearance of the uh, like the bulk of the imperial fleet amazing the shield being up and all of those ships having to dodge amazing everything's great i love it and and you're totally right about everything coming together jedi for me starts out with the world's most inane higgledy piggledy plan of like what the hell are you doing so you give you give the droids to java and you've got lando embedded and 
then you, it made then, sense to me. As then a you kid. hand like, over, I mean, but then wait, then you hand over Chewbacca, and then you try to get Han Solo released. But so here's but the thing. Han, the but Chewbacca's trying, already people, in the thing, and then when it comes to down get, to it, you you thought you were going to get dragged over a Sarlacc pit so that. R2D2 would be serving drinks and jettison a, like a lightsaber well, to you, just, so you could not if none of it makes sense. Backup. It is the stupidest plan. Well, in, they they in, had no, here, they're outgunned, right? Because the people who are going after Han is not the entire rebellion. The entire yeah. rebellion is not coming down to Tatooine. No, 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 no. It's, it's his just, buddies. It's just his it's, friends, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so they a frontal assault is not going to work. Sure. So yeah. they seem to have planned A, B, C, and D. So they have a lot of things going on here. They have people embedded there. They have the droids. Luke goes there. Like he's plan, you know, he's probably his primary plan is probably, you know, talk his way. Maybe out we can get maybe we can yeah. get him out with these guys who are embedded. If they can't send in Luke, but don't send in Luke with his lightsaber because if Luke gets screwed, we need to have his lightsaber available. So smuggle that into R2. Right? It's a lot of contingency plans. And basically all their contingencies needed to be there because everything goes wrong and they're at the brink of, of death. And their final contingency was Luke can get out of this as long as he has his lightsaber. We do have his lightsaber. Like, yeah, I don't see them as contingencies. Yeah, so much as like we're going to set up a bunch of things that may be useful, and maybe it'll all work out. Like, but but that's a good opening scene. It's like a, a good Bond opening scene. It's like it's, yeah, it's, that's exactly. It's contrived. It's silly. It goes on a lot longer than a Bond opening scene. It is a little bit contrived, but you get to see. First of all, you've got to resolve the Han angle and get that out of the way for yes. the rest of the movie. Yeah. And second of all, it's it's like a, a a series of fun action set pieces. It's it's like it's you know three Bond monsters. You've got the yeah. Rancor. You've got the 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 Sarlacc pit. Uh, and then you've got a lot of like intrigue with people in this guy. Bob, Bob Fett, sadly. Sorry, John, I keep cutting you off. We, well, yeah. the only Star Wars movie that doesn't have any scenes on Tatooine. Empire. Em- yeah. Right. And here they are back on Tatooine. And instead of feeling at that time, because at that point, 50% of all Star Wars movies had scenes on Tatooine. Just, you know, yeah. half. Just the one. Here it is. It It felt like a, you know... He started on Tatooine. He didn't know shit about the Force. Now he's back on Tatooine, and he's a Jedi. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a closing Full another circle. loop. You're not just closing the loop on Han being kidnapped and frozen in carbonite. You're closing the loop on Luke's, uh, you know, childhood. And, and, and my and that sets up the rest of the arc of the movie, though, because he you saw him at the end of Empire, and he is defeated. His hand is cut right. off. He's a mess emotionally. He just found out Vader is father. He is at his low. You see him in Jedi, and you're like, who is this guy? Because last time I saw him, he was drenched in sweat with his hand cut off and looking yeah. like crap. Now this guy is confidently strolling into here. Being and like, strangling people. Everything. Yeah, but he's strangling yeah. people. And, that's and, that's and a bad co- sign. And confidently going in, and he's like super powerful. You're like, wow, Luke is super powerful. I guess his, his arc is done. And you find out his arc is not done because what he's got to deal with now is, oh, so you think you're the master of the yeah. force and everything. You don't even know what the actual battle is against your nature of not using your newfound powers for evil. And that is the actual battle, and that's why he goes back to Yoda and is like, yeah. oh, you think you're a Jedi? No, you have to face Vader. Why does he have to face Vader? It's not like some trial. Like, oh, you have to... The understanding of me as a kid is like, you have to face Vader because when you beat him, that shows you're the best guy because the no. best is the guy. Yeah. No, you have to I, face Vader because you have to You have to deal with the whole dark side angle. Like, remember your failure in the cave. You have to face Vader to show that you really do... Un, that you really are on the light side of the Force and not the dark side. The only way to do that is to test yourself against someone that you totally want to kill and not do it. Right. I agree with you, guy. That it, it logically, he probably should have just gone in with the lightsaber. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know that the whole idea that instead of going in with the lightsaber, I'll smuggle it in R two, and I'll just assume that if and when I really need it, he'll be in shooting. But but, you but know. he can't go in with the lightsaber because if he, he's got to kill every man, woman, and child in Jabba's palace, because it's not like he's going to ru- race out of there with a gigantic carbonite no, slab he, on his he, back. No, but he but he grabs somebody's gun and tries to blast Jabba in the face. 
Well, that, he, that, is not, that, that is point, not Jedi I mean, stuff. That is He's improvising at that point. Because improvising? It's like he's trying he wants to, to shoot an unarmed guy in the face. That is not... He's trying to negotiate his way out of the thing, and they're like, oh, actually, we're going to send you into the pit, and he tries to use the Force to get out of it. It's like, yeah. things don't go well for him. And like isn't he, isn't that the first time in the movies we've... Because we, you know, the whole, the whole original trilogy is relatively light on Jedi action. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it's the first time we've seen the Jedi mind trick not work on somebody. Uh, it, and yes. that's where we learn yep. that it only works on weak minded fools. Yeah. Right? Well, no, actually, you know? I think uh, Kenobi says it. The Force can have a powerful yeah. influence on the weak mind or something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. the, yeah. the original trilogy is really good at paying off things in ways that movies are not patient about now. Movies today have something in the beginning of the movie and they're going to pay it off by the end of the right. movie. Very rarely do you have something in one movie and pay off in a second movie. And the, the, the Star Wars trilogy has th- tons of things in the first movie that do not get paid off until two movies later, which right. almost yeah. nobody has the guts to do anymore, except right. for maybe like the big Marvel arcs now that they have. I mean, but even that is yeah. like, you're much more assured. Like they set up so much stuff in A New Hope. Even Jabba the Hutt himself is set up in A New Hope. Right. Would have been in the movie if they had the time or budget. They didn't put him in the second movie. He's in the third movie. Right. Yeah, pay off that whole, the debt that we, from the first scene we meet Han Solo 40 minutes into A New Hope, we don't pay it off until the yeah. third movie. But he, he, and I he think is alluded good, to in Empire, right? Like, you've right. got to assume that the guy on Ord Mandel is sent by Jabba. Yeah. yeah. No, they say that. Yeah, a death, a death, what does he say? The general says, like, a death sentence. Is yeah, but I don't know death if they mention... not an easy thing to live yeah, with. Yeah, they don't mention yeah, Jabba by name, but it's clearly, right. yeah. Um, and I think Luke's idea that, hey, I'll try the Jedi mind trick on him. Maybe this would be easy. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been dissatisfying if Jabba was like, okay, I'll yeah, yeah. you have to end up you have to end up puncturing Luke's confidence because he comes in as this dark hooded figure. Who could this be? And like he works in, he's super confident. You will give Han Solo to me, and like yeah. gradually things fall apart. And by well, the time he, he Han gets comes out, the... he's like, "How we doing? You know, same as usual. Yeah. Is that bad? Huh? Like, like at that point, like his his confidence in Bluster has been pierced, and he's yeah. back to the old likable Luke that who's like, well, he's more powerful now, but things really aren't going well anyway. No, because he do, he My... does get past the butler with that. Uh... The Jedi mind trick, right? And that's what sets up yeah. Jabba to be like, "Oh, yeah. you fool, you idiot!" Like, you know, yeah. I got to, I got to get higher, higher hand better hand help. Guy. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. His his twisty headed consigliere. Yeah, I'm sure there's a name, and people are yelling at us right now. But whatever. My only problem with the opening scene, which I agree, pace wise, even more than the battle at Hoth, which is almost more of like an opening act because it involves everything from Luke you know, getting captured by the Wampa and Han rescuing him to the whole battle. The, to me, the the the, the Jabba scene pace-wise feels like a Bond opening yeah. thing. Um, my only problem with that whole bit is the ignominious way that Boba Fett yeah. meets his end. No, that yeah. is it's, just, not, it's not good. It's not, let's just not talk about it. It's a sign of things to come. Yeah. You know? I don't know how you could uh, do that. What, I think I, they what, do give him a Wilhelm, which is a little nod of respect, but other than that... Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't. I just don't understand. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he they gets, knew they knew how cool that guy was. They knew how cool he there, was. Why would you? There's do that? a lot of a lot more slapstick in Jedi. There's a lot more humor and slapstick stuff, which I think for the most part works. But the, the fact that Boba Fett gets wrapped up in a slapstick joke and that ends up being his death is a shame. He's the only guy that can go toe to toe with the Jedi, and he looks like he's going to win. Like it. Yeah, and normally he's crafty and waiting for his moment. Like he's established as, as uh, not the toughest bounty hunter, but the smartest, the street exactly. smartest bounty hunter. That's yeah. in, in Empire that establishes his character. Yeah. And he doesn't even right. get taken out by purpose. He, he gets taken out by 
what, like yeah, like a blind hand. He just solo. should not. Like, have, he either should not have been there at all, and just leave. You know, he's not there, or he should have gotten away. Well, I mean, right. they, I mean they, I'm, yeah. I'm okay with Luke cutting his gun in half because, like, well, you're up against a Jedi. Yeah, that right. that can happen. I'm not okay with the way he died. No, accident. that's garbage. Right. Um, but they made him even worse by having him like basically be all into that musical scene that they added. Like they just keep making Bomba Fett more and more sad. Well, they did in the original run. He just gives the little nod to, yeah. to the the sexy girl dancer, which yeah. is totally a Bomba Fett thing. You can see him doing. Of course, that. yeah, that, that's badass. But yeah, you know, and let's not even get into Jango Fett and the whole. God, what a waste of a character. Well, I, you know, and the only other thing I'll say about Return of the Jedi is that to me the weak spot is the whole thing on uh, the the Endor moon, that third moon of Endor. Oh, like the, the, whole the middle bit with the Ewoks? The, yeah. The, mm-hmm. it, yeah, it just doesn't live up. And it's it's partly just that the whole Ewok thing was where the merchandising started getting out of hand because it was yeah. like, have you guys heard this? There's the, I don't know, you know, you never know how much of this is apocryphal and how much is true, but that the toys had already been put into production before they made the costumes and the costumes were like just incredibly hot. And just and it really limited the actor's ability to move. That's why they just sort of waddle instead of walk. Uh, I hadn't heard that. I, I, I had heard that originally it was going to be uh, the the Wookiee planet, Kashyyyk. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, which would have been a lot cooler. Well, but, yeah, a uh, bunch of Wookiees taking on stormtroopers. You can believe that, right? And there's just a silliness to it that these little furry, you know. Two foot mm-hmm. tall creatures are beating stormtroopers literally yeah. with rocks. I do like the. I do like the. There is a good insurgent angle, like native people insurgent type yes. thing. But the Ewoks yeah. are are one of those characters that are mostly made for kids and yeah. don't have much value for adults. I, I do like the notion that the Ewoks represent um, nature, while the Imperial troops represent like a, some kind of technological terror yeah, angle. There's that, like that obvious angle, and there's also yeah. the angle of like an insurgent force against yes. a, a much more dominant military force, and the fact that insurgents could, could yeah, have like any you know, like Native them, Americans you know. versus uh, you know, yeah, like, already, like, yeah. during the Indian all, all Wars, like kind the, of stuff. Yeah. The, the same type of territory that was trod much more seriously in Balstar Galactica. Yes, I think yeah. that yeah. was an allegory for the Iraq War. Yes, yeah. and I feel like the other thing that was evident with the whole segment is that they had these characters. Han and Leia, who we wanted to see more of, and they just they so we got these scenes with them, you know, having this act, assault on the, the 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 shield generator. Whereas the real, what really mattered, <laughs> what was left to really matter in the story, was the other two angles, which was the big space battle with the fleet, the two fleets fighting each other. And, uh, you know, and then primarily the Luke Vader Emperor. Yeah, I mean, so and that, yeah. the whole Endor thing, in addition to being silly, just because they're little Ewoks, it, it it really felt a little forced because it's like, well, we just want more Han and Leia yeah. and we're never going to well, see Well, I mean, but so. that was the guerrilla action supporting the larger thing. It's like you got to yeah. deactivate the shield generator, which is in a remote place. You're going to send a small strike team because this is your stealth mission. That's why Luke doesn't right. go on it. He's endangering the mission. He shouldn't have come because they could sense him and all stuff. You get to have a speeder chase. The, the redwoods that's also that a nice great. action scene there oh that's brilliant yeah. yeah well it fits a lot better than like the pod racing scene which is just this whole giant digression whereas the the 
the speeder bikes on the moon was just a really cool action sequence. Yeah. And, and the and speeder it, bike is like, uh, you know, the whole idea is that stealth, and so it's jam their comlink with just a little, right. yeah, little yeah. script he used to say, we want to have a chase scene, and the stakes of the chase scene are as if you let these guys escape, they're going to tell the whole empire that you're down here. Never mind the emperor already right. knows you're down here. At that point, the audience yeah. doesn't know that. But there's a reason for the chase scene. There's a reason for the desperation. It's basically hide-and-seek. We don't want the empire to know we're down here. If some people start getting us, the whole thing. You think you got them all, then you see two other guys get off on speeder bikes, and then you got to jump on a speeder bike and make sure they don't get out of here. Yeah. So one thing that used to bother me as a kid, and only recently have I come around to the thought that maybe Lucas actually, this is like his last hurrah, and he knew what he was doing, and it's actually pretty good character development and screenwriting, is it always bothered me as a kid that in Empire – Vader doesn't really want to, he, and not even really, he just doesn't want to kill Luke. He wants to turn Luke and doesn't want to turn him for the Emperor. I, I think he truly and sincerely means it when he says, join me. And we'll oh kill no! Emperor. Totally, he yeah. me- he meant that in Empire right? too, because that's the whole. That's no, the no, whole no! Angle. It's only an Empire. He doesn't even make the offer in Return of the Jedi. You know, he I, just takes custody of Luke, and I, at that moment where he takes custody of Luke, and he and he takes his lightsaber, he says he was carrying this, sir, and he gives him his lightsaber. And it's the little I've said this before on other podcasts. It's one of my favorite little moments in all of the whole series is what does Vader do when he gets Luke's lightsaber? Well, of course, he turns it on and he tries it out a little bit, Mm -hmm. just waves it around, feels the weight. It's like that's what like when I used to ride a skateboard when I was a teenager, you get somebody else's skateboard. What do you do? You take, you know, you may not take it all the way around the block. You just try it out a little bit. See what it's like, you know. Well, you're, so the, you're... the whole father son angle, like you're coming in, in the beginning, like in Empire, it's like, oh, my, you're, you're identifying with Luke. You're like, oh, Darth Vader is my father. What a dramatic revelation. And I'm upset about it and so on and so forth. By the time Jedi comes around, you're looking at it from the other direction. Vader is going, Luke is now, he's known as Luke is always a son, but now he's like, I've seen my son. This is my son. If your son made a lightsaber, you'd be kind of proud of like, hey, my son made a pretty yeah. good lightsaber here. You know, like your the, training it, is it's, now it's, complete. It's a, if you yeah. are internally a, 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 you know, a thinking, feeling person and you meet up with your son, like those feelings are going to be there. Like the fatherly feelings are going to be there. And that is the feeling that Vader has in Jedi. You know, there is no conflict, but there is. And the conflict is that, you know, my son is actually pretty cool. And I, I wanted him to join me in the last one. But that was me rationalizing my, I can still be evil and still have my son here. But when it's clear that my son is, I'll never join you, right? Clear that he's not going to join me. I'm not too gung-ho and kill him because I actually kind of like my son. He's actually pretty cool. And he does some great things, and I feel ashamed of the things that I've done in front of my son. It's too late for me, son, blah, blah, blah. That conflict is present, and because Darth Vader wears a mask for all of Jedi, you get to be like, is Luke, like, wishing that was there and it's not really? And Darth Vader, you know, and, like, many times he's like, you know, Father, we can-. he tries it right there on the, in the scene on Endor. He's like, yeah. come with me, Father, we can go. And, like, you get nothing from Vader's face mask because it doesn't change expression. And, you, you know... Yeah. Is is Luke totally wrong about Vader, or is he right? And they is, is that, that is that when he end. is that when he turns Vader in, or at least starts to turn him? Like he walks off the Adat and just calls him father immediately. Yeah, no, like Luke is playing up the angle. Like as that's well, a super say, power move, right? Like, hi, Dad. Yep, yep. Like, and, well, and, yeah. and well, Vader the whole the, is resisting it. Yeah. The hole that I always thought I saw as a kid was that why doesn't Vader try uh, make the same offer again and just be like, "Look, I'll give you your lightsaber back. Let's go kill this guy." You and I have our differences. We can sort them out after we kill yeah. the I think, I think he's established by the whole, you know, I, I was threatening to kill you. I cut off your yep. hand. I was threatening to kill you, and yep. you still turned me down. Like, that's yep. not going to happen. Nope. And in watching it again in recent years, I think that that's actually the way it, play, it plays out. And it also fits with the way that Luke is clearly a more mature character and, and more yeah. composed at the beginning, yeah. even just at the beginning of Return yeah. of the Jedi, than he was that, that's, that 
scene on Bespin in Cloud City, that was Vader's chance to turn him. Well, just the fact that he surrenders willingly, hands over his lightsaber to the the Stormtrooper Patrol, uh, shows a resolve in Luke that I think Vader recognizes he won't be able to break. And also, yeah. Luke was optimistic. He thought he thought yeah. he could turn Vader. He was right in the end, but he thought he could turn. Because, because yeah. there is good in him. I have felt it. When did he feel it? He felt it after the end yeah. of Empire when Vader... Basically, Vader could have killed him many times oh, and didn't. Yeah, he was trying totally. to turn him. And then yeah. when, when Luke was going off, he's like, they're communicating telepathically as father and son, right? Yeah. That's the point where you feel there's some good in him because he is not communicating telepathically. Boy, I'm going to get you, Luke. When I see you next time, I'm going to kill you. It's <laughs> yeah. like father-son across this distance. Not right? only that, one of, my, one of my favorite parts of Empire is when the Falcon finally jumps into hyperspace. Vader doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. He's, yeah, Vader he's, just he's turns act, around. He's like he, he's too. There's two. He's there's too two things. Now. A, you did everything I told you to. You did. You disabled the hyperdrive. Everything. It didn't go. It didn't work out. But my son got away. I'm kind of depressed, and I'm, I can't even be bothered to murder anybody at this point. Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's an emotional moment for Vader, and again, yeah. we don't see emotion on his face because it's just a mask, and it never changes, and it's not even that much body language. But what you've got is no, it just turns know, around and kind of walks off, like, kind of dejected. The, like. the hothead that was constantly killing people, like, you know, the frustrated hothead that was constantly killing people because he wasn't getting what he wanted. He realizes that nothing could get him what he wanted here because what he wants is his son to love him. <laughs> for some reason, the helmet is oddly expressive yeah. in certain ways. I'm, I wonder it's if like, that's like lighting. Oh, it's it's like a blank they, canvas, yeah. right? Right. And and it's you know, I think it's all tied with musical cues, but in like the, in the whole first movie, it just looks like the most evil badass mask you could imagine. And there are some differences. I know that in the next two it was a lot more polished. Like in the first yeah, one it He changes he changes armor in each making, movie. It's, yeah, yeah, and they and they had a problem in in uh in the original one of getting the eyes to be completely black and opaque. Like sometimes they they were a little bit lighter gray and it was a little bit dingier. Yeah. Empire I think is the best Vader because it is it is sleek and menacing, but like you said, also there is more body language now. It's more expressive with like him reaching out with his hand and doing yeah. all this stuff. Like he he's able to act more with his body yeah. uh, in Empire. Also, but, in, yeah. in in Empire, his cape seems to not cover his shoulders a lot. Like you see those big, massive shoulder pads a lot more. Yeah, yeah. and it waves behind him, and there's wind. And yeah. Like you've got like the body language of Vader when you know the surprise dinner with uh with oh, know, that's... Orlando leading them all open the doors. That Vader standing at the head of the table. Boba Fett. How cool is Han? Han Solo. Yeah. Everybody, come on. Let's just get Han Solo tattoos yeah, he, at this point. He knows, he knows Tuco's law. Yeah. Proudest moment. It's so good. Proudest he moment. He stands in front of Leia and just starts shooting. That's <laughs> that's what you do. That's it's that's the answer. So perfect. Doesn't work. Yeah, the best the best <laughs> James Bond ones, the best James Bond, speaking of James Bond, like the best James Bond sequences are the sequences in which uh, Bond does, Bond reacts in the appropriate way before the audience has time to think about what the appropriate way exactly might be. because he's yeah. the one who's been in the situation many times before and the only reason he's still alive is because he immediately knows what to do yeah and there's not a lot of oh reaction shot what should i do blah blah, blah. bond is a man of action he immediately we knows when it's action is called for he immediately goes into action and it catches the audience by surprise that's the kind of bond yeah. i like so that, that everybody wants bond. everybody wants to think they're good in a pinch yeah but han solo is good in a pinch uh, right. but that's the only time I think we've ever seen that. I don't know if it's the Force or because he's a robot, but he just catches a bunch of laser bolts, which is super well, I mean, super it's, badass. It's, but it's kind of it's like... this steady ramping up of what is possible with the Force. And, yeah. You know, we knew that you could. At this point, I think we might have known that you could block the blaster bolts with the lightsaber, but he does it with his hands, and it shows that he's. We don't. On we don't see that. Edge. We don't see that till Jedi actually. 
Yeah, especially like uh, Yoda moves lots of stuff with his mind, yeah. so that shows that it is powerful. But he's not teaching Luke like you know karate moves or yeah. like how to chop things. There's not a lot of scenes on Dagobah where he's showing him fancy lightsaber moves. This is how you chop stuff. He up. never That's does. Not what the force yeah. is yeah. Yeah. Yoda never. So you never don't. Changes. You know. So so the dark side force. Like what would you what would you do with the force if you were not in the Yoda school of how of what the force is all about. Uh, and that could involve, you know, blocking things with your hands and in a third movie, shooting lightning bolts out of your hands. Like, you know, we, we don't know where how far this this leveling tree goes. But it, it, I, you know. I would almost say that it comes right out of like a horror movie where yeah. you don't, you know, like the monster. You just, oh, shit, you can't even yeah, shoot yeah, this yeah. guy. You empty your gun into right? the vampire or the mummy or something and just yeah. nothing happens. It's like. Right. And, and what you want to show there is Han being a man of action and not going Vader, I knew I would find you because that's stupid. Yeah. Tuco's blah, right. blah, 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 right? And also showing that Han may have that inclination, but he is not of the magic-using class right. in that, yeah. like, his, his all, everything he can do, it is, you know, it's like a child's toy. Yeah. Now, he'll block a few things and then take Han's gun and say, please, sit down, because you, you, you yeah. Han, are, is that something people want? Like, why can't Han Solo go and fight Darth Vader? Why does it have to be Luke? Well, the reason is because... He's, he's he's so outclassed. No, no you know? yeah. yeah, it's never been clear to me though. I'm not quite sure though if that that move of blocking the blaster with your hand because we never see that even in the Clone Wars no. where the Jedi nobody else shot. Does it. I, it might be because he's got robotic. That's hands. what I was thinking. I'm not sure. I'm just going right. to go with whatever. Uh, you, would th- you would think the force has to be involved. Uh, yeah, in some I'm going to go with it yeah. force because it's the most powerful thing we've bit- seen Vader do. And- Fine. I'm gonna go a little bit column A, a little bit column B. It's both. Like maybe Vader's like the only guy who could really. Yeah, do maybe it would really screw up your hand if you had a real hand, but whatever. Yeah. You know, like, like either way, you've got a robot <laughs> hand afterwards. Exactly. <laughs> As a, as, just as, a, as a small small observation, this is such a small detail, but it seems as though the uh, the advances in uh, what would you call it. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Like, like when a, somebody uh, gets a an artificial limb? Oh, uh, prosthetics. Prosthetics. Prosthetic technology advanced pretty significantly in the twenty two. You think years. it's the only technology <laughs> well, it, that it advanced? It could have also been a fashion choice. Like one is yeah. try to make it look most like a human hand, and the other one is can you make me into a machine of war? Yeah, and that's yeah. two different goals. So wait, we're, we're well, talking about even... the end of uh, episode two, right? When he's got. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even talking about Vader. Like I'm talking about thing going on young anakin yeah. that, you know that like, could also be a style choice too because it wasn't it was like steampunk it was like yeah. well kind of brass and gold it was kind of like art deco steampunk kind of thing which is a lot of the aesthetic of, of uh, <laughs> like luke went to a nice cosmetic surgeon yeah. You know? yeah he got a real hand like his, his his poor old pappy got like steam like a steam engine attached yeah. to his wrist how are we doing on time i know that it's getting late uh, can we have 15 more minutes Sure. Do you got to do another uh, sponsor? Uh, maybe I do. But <laughs> at the very least, Who's I want the show. At the very least, I want uh, I want John to get a good night's sleep before going to work. Oh yeah, no work tomorrow. You don't work tomorrow? No, I get off. Well then, we oh, man. okay, we got yeah. another couple of hours. Yeah. All right. Well, let me take the, uh, one more break and thank our third sponsor. It's our good friends at Casper. You guys remember Casper? Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses. 
and they sell them for a fraction of the price. Now, first time I heard about this, I thought, holy shit, this is crazy. Who the hell would buy a mattress online? Well, guess what? It makes a lot of sense. It's almost like, you know, uh, I, eventually we're going to buy everything online and we're never going to have to leave the house. Um, the mattress industry is so crooked, it's ridiculous. You go from one mattress store to another, you can't compare prices because the Sealy's they sell in one store all have different model names from another store and they're all marked up and there's almost like a cartel of a few high-priced uh, manufacturers who collaborate together in, in, to keep prices high. It's, it's just a racket and it's a real pain in the ass if you've ever done it. So what do you do? You go to Casper. And it's so much easier. They don't make you choose between stuff you don't understand. They have one kind of mattress. It's a hybrid that combines uh, latex foam and memory foam. Uh, new mattresses in retail stores typically cost over 1500 bucks. Casper mattresses cost between 500 for a twin-size mattress, uh, 750 for full-size, 850 for queen, and just 950 bucks for a king-size mattress. Now, how do you get a mattress shipped to your house? This is the part that baffled me. I had no idea. They vacuum pack these things using, I don't even know how they do it, but it comes, it doesn't come in a tiny box. It's not like you're getting like a, a little pill and you put water on it, it turns into a mattress. It comes in a box like the size of a, like a dorm room refrigerator, maybe a little bigger than that. It easily fits through a door. You can see how they ship them. Uh, then you open the thing up and it just, expands into a i one thing i would say follow their directions open it in the room where you want to use it (laughs) (laughs) it's really really amazing and uh they sent me one a couple months ago when i first sponsored the show it's a fine mattress it is really good uh i don't expect that i'll ever buy a mattress in a store again um where do you go to find out more go to casper sleep c-a-s-p-e-r S-L-E-E-P, caspersleep.com slash talk show. Just talk show. They don't have the the. Um, it, it's got a nice sink. It's got a nice bounce. It's not the memory foam thing where like when you wake up in the morning, there's like an outline of your body on the mattress. I can't stand that. Uh, I wouldn't like that. Uh, it's not like that at all. It's just a nice mattress. It just feels good. Uh, and here's the thing. They're made right here in America. Made in America. Uh, and the other thing too, you think I just can't see spending, you know, 800, a thousand bucks on a mattress online. They have a risk free return policy. Try sleeping on any Casper for a hundred days, get three months with the thing. And if you don't like it free for free, they'll take it back, take it out of your house. So you can't lose, go there, buy a mattress, open it up in the room where you want to use it. Three months, and then if you don't like it, you can send it back. Uh, if you need a new mattress, you're nuts if you don't check out uh, Casper. So go to caspersleep.com and uh, slash the talk show. Oh, slash the talk show. No, the. Even I got that wrong. So that brings me to a point. Here's a point I wanted to make. It's a funny tie-in, but I wanted to make this before we wrap up the show. One thing that Star Wars does, and I think it's a good thing, but it doesn't really make any logical sense is there just always been very hand wavy yada, 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 dot, dot, dot about how long it takes to get from one planet to another in hyperspace. It's, it's seemingly a big deal to get from Tatooine to Alderaan because they have to pay, uh, 10,000 credits, 10,000 credits, and it's enough that Luke says we could almost buy our own ship. It's, you know, uh, 
But how long is it? Nobody changes their clothes. Well, you know, they do. The movie is not about long space flights, so that's not an important part of the movie that needs to be in there. And all you got to do is make it seem like a really long car trip, because that's what people can relate to. It's going to be like right. a really long car trip, guys. And then yeah. that's how much time you have in terms of time passing in the movie. And that's how, like, well, if you're in, if you're in some town in the middle of nowhere and you want to get to the big city. You got to somehow get there either by doing a long car trip or taking a bus or a train or something like that. I guess it's not a lot of public transportation in the galaxy. But if you're going to have any galaxy spanning civilization, you just got to hand wave the yeah. travel time. Yeah, and there, there yeah. is some notion of that. Uh, uh, Tarkin does not want to blow up Dantooine because it's too remote to make an effective demonstration. Yeah, I, I don't know what the media situation is in yeah, the like galaxy it's... far, far away. But the media situation is, again, you know, if we're going to say, well, Tatooine is remote, like they don't have any kind of galactic media that is sort of giving any sort of shared like they're not all watching space seinfeld together they're not all on the same page <laughs> in terms of culture they're not listening to the same songs they're not interested in news about what's going on in the other systems if you're a remote enough system you could be like rebellion empire doesn't really affect me we're kind of in a lawless planet run by the huts anyway so no big deal it's more like the entire galaxy is about the size of the united states and it's in the united states like in the in the pre-interstate highway age yeah yeah. Tatooine is like Arizona, Nevada, maybe. <laughs> you got the Wild West. It's a little bit of the Wild West, and you got right. what's going on with the big city, and there is organized crime, and maybe there's prohibition, and you know, like yeah. that type of communication delay. And, well, and he, here's <laughs> you a, guys I, in I, your American centric line of thinking, but yeah, I, I, I tend to right. agree. I, I know what you in mean. Canada, I don't know. <laughs> what about this timeline? So this timeline to me is all. It's just is very. I accept it. I don't mind it. But it, if you think about it too much, it's pretty hard to explain. Is the Falcon leaves Hoth, and oh, this is totally the hyperdrive. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Hyperdrive doesn't work, so they go hide in an asteroid field because, at the very least, we can go there, and these star destroyers will start stop shooting at us. So far, so good. Uh, I'll it just just forget that the space worm somehow gets huge on an asteroid with no atmosphere and yeah, whatever, what, what, what whatever the eat? biology of that thing is. It, it, eats, it eats spaceships. Yeah, whatever. it eats hydrogen. Maybe, maybe, atoms. maybe it eats know. meteors. Who, who knows? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what? So yeah. what? It's a, it was a cool scene and a great surprise, so I forgive yeah. it. Um, but they don't have a hyperdrive, and they never fix the hyperdrive. Mm-hmm. And then Han is flipping through his computer, and he goes, Lando, huh? And so somehow he can get to Bespin, which well, is planet wor- in cloud you city. Mi- you they're already in that system. They're in the Anoad system already. That's Where it. are we? He's Anoad already system. left Anoad the Hoth system. system. There's not much there. That's it. He, he's so, left yeah. the Hoth system. They're in the Noad system. That's what I said. It's going to be like a long car ride. Well, hyperdrive will get you there faster, but if you're willing to just you know go along the highway at 55, you'll eventually get there. It's, which is preposterous, scientifically speaking, yeah. but that's the way it works. But then, but then he's right. going to go but, to Bespin, or the Lando system, quote-unquote. So, sorry, continue. But, that, but that's a different solar system, yes. right? It's not. They're not trying to say that Bespin is on a different planet in the Hoth solar system. I don't. Right? I actually don't know. Someone, someone I don't, who knows more about Star Wars could probably map this out for us. But I don't think well, so. Because the I system think could also the, mean the planet being the central and the moons being the, the system, right? I think that the loosey goosey, uh, uh, you know, Star Wars scientific explanation is that hyperdrive is really, really fast and gets you, you know, like you said, like a couple of hours you can get from one A to B, and. If you don't take a hyperdrive, there's still some kind of faster than light way that you're going to get there. Not not like a hundred years from now, you're going to get there in a couple of weeks because that's the whole period where Luke is training on Dagobah. Yeah, exactly. Right. The time it takes the Falcon to get from the asteroids to Bespin is the time, the entirety of the time that Luke trains. Yeah. Either Luke spends a grand total of about eight hours training, or 
Those guys were sitting around playing an awful lot of that See, video, John, that, that, that really table video to game. These incomparable episodes because we covered these same to- topics. In fact, this was the uh, the title of one of the episodes about Empire was Jedi Weekend because we were discussing how long <laughs> does he spend? How long does he spend on Dagobah? Is he there for a month? Is he there for a week? Or is it just like a Jedi Weekend? What's the show you speak of? Uh, you should put it in your show notes. <laughs> I will. Yeah, and by the <laughs> way, I just googled that, and there's a, there's a question on the uh, on. SWTOR.com. How did Han get to Bespin with no light speed? It's a question right in the forums. And the first answer is that it's a pothole. Yeah. No. Do you know what? I'll tell Wait, you. it's, it's what? a pothole. Oh, a pothole. Do you know what? I'll tell you what. Um, this is classic comic book writing. Like, the hero's only ever as powerful as you need him to be for any given scene. Like, Superman can move the moon in one scene and then just get beaten down by Batman in the next scene. It's, it's fine. Like, I, I think... You know, Scott McNulty, forgive me, but Star Trek kind of overly fetishizes this kind of thing, and it's just a detail. It doesn't matter. It's it's it has nothing to do with the narrative expression of the story, right? So, like Star Trek has gone on to, like to explain that the warp factor, uh, the warp factor going from zero to ten is like a logarithm. Yeah, and they've they've or... changed they've you know they've changed it a couple of times in order to make it make more sense. Given yeah. So apparently Hoth and Bespin are both in the Noad system. You, I sent you a, a, oh my a Noad god, look at Oh my god, look at this. Just, <laughs> you know that this was backwards. This is somebody who this really bothered. This, yeah. this really bothered them. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. they like... And bless them. It's like watching... awesome. I like it. I mean, because yeah. the, the expanded universe and everything has to explain all this. Like, you know, people who are more intimate know all these answers already because they have to make, yeah. you know, the movie gets to do throwaway lines, but when you write novel after novel in this universe, you have to eventually figure out where everything is. Oh, no, wait, no, wait. That's a sec... It's not the same solar system. It's the though. same it's sector. S- same sector. Right. So, yeah, what does that mean? It doesn't matter. It's all just, it's all just hand waving. But you still need faster than life right. travel. Life. Faster right. than life. I've... <laughs> I, I, and I feel like the movie doesn't suffer for it no. at all. And if they had, and it would have been a whole midichlorian moment if they had gone the whole Star Trek factor exactly. and explained that we can no longer go in hyperdrive past speed yeah, one. But, but, uh, it doesn't Star matter. Trek does just, Star Trek doesn't do that either. Star Trek basically just says if, if it's a dramatic part of a plot, we will just simply right. have someone explain in the moment that right. whatever speed we're going now is either adequate or inadequate. For some right. made-up reason to escape right. or not escape from, it's like right. when they're trying to do yeah. the uh, try to get out of the black hole in the the JJ Abrams reboot, like the yeah. the big hole yeah. going and the red matter, and they're trying to get away from it. Like, oh, we're at maximum warp, we're not going to make it out, blow a thing up behind. Like, they just need a dramatic moment. Like, there's yeah. no, there's no uh, before that they didn't have long discussions about what it would be like trying to escape from an antimatter bomb right. with warp engines, whether it could. It doesn't matter. It's just you just need a dramatic moment in the moment. Yeah. Someone yells something that set that. Yeah. Tells you the rules. And it, you can't do that too much because then you get Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. But but, it, but in terms know, of it, Empire, what we needed is we needed Luke to be trained by Yoda, and we needed uh, time for uh, Han and Leia to um, sort of come together in some kind of way. Uh, and sort of the downtime in both the asteroid field and on Dagobah provides that story tempo, right? And then right. after you, after and, you're done with that, it's you know wave your hands and it's on to the next thing. Right. And it also makes sense then that the empire could have gotten there before they did, because they have ships with fully functioning hyperdrives and could get there and, you know, work out their dastardly. Yeah. Plan I mean, flame. clearly, I mean, well, yeah. What does Lando say? They got there just before you did. So, Oh, does he say that just before? I well, was, I mean, obviously yeah. enough before that, you know, Vader's has time to plan a dinner party. So, <laughs> 
I always thought that was pretty classy. He's like totally in a classy. Bond villain sort of way. <laughs> yeah, right? that, was, that was that was the Bond villain in yeah. the moment in, in Star Wars. Yeah, and yeah he yeah. was pretty classy but, the whole time. And and I I you know I think it makes sense to test the uh, the carbonite freezing on Han. Yeah. Why would you yeah. not? Why would oh, you yeah. not do that? Like. And again, it's like well, we don't want the Emperor's prize damage, but even at that point, you'd be saying maybe he doesn't want to. Of course, he doesn't want his kid. Of course, he, he does. wants to. Wants to. He has to meet his son. I mean, even at that point, if he's got delusions that it's going to be like father and son, the evil duo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Either of course way, he doesn't want to test it. Who would want? You know, test it or not, that's fine. Do you think it's made further uncomfortable? I mean, I presume that they did get a meal. I do. You know, I they got to. Oh, no, that's yeah. uh, they did that in Robot Chicken. I think the the Robot Chicken parody where they they play out the rest of that scene where they're awkwardly eating. And like Next I didn't see. Oh, I have to put this in the show. Notes. I think it's so, robot chicken. It's got to be. Right. Yeah. What, so what's Vader doing? He's just sitting there. So, uh... well, Vader, <laughs> Vader, and Boba Fett both wear masks that they don't take off. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, I forget. Boba Fett steps in from the side. They just, they just want to see other people enjoying their food. Really. Boba, Boba right. Fett being in that scene is basically just a fuck you to Han Solo at that point. Yeah, because he, he, he has no, re- side. He's he like, has no uh-huh. reason to be there other than like, I got you. It's just to rub it in. Oh, I guess he wants the bounty. He's like, you know, yeah. that, that guy's he's worth a lot to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you think Vader ate ate his meals alone in his little meditation chamber? Yeah, it's the only way he can take the uh, the helmet off. Just well, ate, maybe ate in front of the big take... screen, put on some sports. You know, just... <laughs> oh my god! Do you remember in the prequels when they had like robots playing uh, football, some kind of American style football? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's so horrible. Oh, well, in, in Star Wars Rebels, they bring back that little whatever it's called—the circular table in the Falcon with the little uh, yeah, stop motion clay yeah. animation monsters. Yeah. What is that game called? I don't know. I'm sure there's names. Anyway, I'm no, cool with that. Whatever. You know. Yeah. But really, playing American football, droids playing American football is just come on. What? It's just. Or even something vaguely. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I mean, the guy had basically. Terrible. Yeah. He, they look like a line of blockers and like somebody with a with a football. So. All right. Once you've got a so, 50s diner, all bets are off. Yeah, I know. Uh, so uh, <laughs> let's blow through the prequel trilogy. and Can we just blow it up instead? Yeah. But to me, among the worst things, all right, the dialogue is terrible throughout. The character motivations are terrible throughout. Yeah. The definition of who's the main characters in this movie are terrible. Yeah, through. so you get you get that from the the Plinket things, right? And I am. Uh, yeah, that's the you know red what? letter I would, media. Uh, it's I watched them again. Uh, I would hardly recommend them, except for all of the weird uh, side plot stuff. That yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like the Plinket things. I don't like the characterization of the framing device. I think no, it's pointless. And, I think the and, framing and device annoying. And, I think it, and the is, the thing about the no the no main character, which a lot of people pull away from that. Uh, in ensemble movies, it's perfectly fine. Not that who's the main character in The Usual Suspects, right? Who's right. who's the main character in Firefly? Like it is impo- it is possible to have you know. Or you can have arguments about oh, Mal's the main character in Firefly. Well, sure. is, he, is Kevin Spacey the main character in Usual Suspects, or is it uh, Gabriel Byrne? Like you know, like yeah. it, ensemble casts are fine. Who's the main character in Ocean's Eleven? Is it George Clooney because he's the most famous and got paid the most? Got like yeah. ensemble casts are fine, but that what he was trying to get at with the who's the main character in the Phantom Menace is that we don't care about any of these people. Like, right, you know, I totally the agree main character is like who do I care about? Who do I, who do I identify with? Who should have been Kenobi? Who, do I, who am I rooting for? And in, in Phantom Menace, the answer is nobody because they're all yeah. just cardboard cutout pieces. The, the entire prequel should have been Kenobi. And, and yeah, Kenobi's I, ultimate I totally failure uh, to uh, effectively save Anakin from going to the dark side. Right, like who the hell's Qui-Gon? Never heard of him before. Yeah. And he's pointless. No. Yeah. There were, and in fact, there Kenobi were said he was trained by Yoda. So what? Why yeah. are we, you know, 
And I like Liam I like, hand I like that Liam way Neeson. Like, well, yeah. every, everybody's trained by Yoda. It's like saying, oh, I, w- I was taught by a famous professor at famous school. You really weren't right. really. Maybe you had one class with him. But like yeah, said, that's you know, it. So everyone's yeah. always trained by Yoda because he's sort of the head of the training hierarchy. Right. But anyway, yeah. like, yeah, introducing all, like, like, every level of the prequels has problems. You can get a little picky in things. You can complain about them in the micro level. And you can pull all the way back to the level that I always like to go out and says they just failed in their fundamental task to explain why Anakin turned to the dark yeah, side. They f- yeah. I, I think the reason Qui-Gon exists is because of, I, well, one of the reasons is that I feel like Lucas got a bug up his butt to have a parallel to the first one where, you know, there's this great moment where Obi-Wan sacrifices himself and dies. And, you know, oh my God, this Jedi who was so wise and sage and powerful throughout this movie, all of a sudden he's dead. I didn't expect yeah. that. Well, I want that again, but it can't be Obi-Wan because I need Obi-Wan, you know, yeah. <laughs> for the next six movies. And so we'll invent this new guy. And then what happens to Obi-Wan? Well, he gets to sit on a spaceship for 45 minutes. So the one thing I will say about that Obi-Wan thing is that uh, Qui-Gon's death kind of gives him uh, the the option, at least, to do what Luke did in Return of the Jedi, where he just goes bananas and, and really wails on uh, Darth Maul, another character we don't care about, but that doesn't really even happen, as as the Plinket thing points out. Well, well but but he he does, but then you don't get. The, there's no payoff. There's no there's no, no idea that Obi Wan is constantly teetering on the edge of the and you, yeah, yeah. What no, you get, exactly. what you get is more like Qui Gon is kind of like the 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 problem student who's always a little bit uh, disrespectful and uh, and kind of you know. I don't know, like a, like a little bit of a rebel, but never do you get the idea that Qui Gon is teetering on the edge of the dark no. side, or that Obi Wan. And so, so it's well, just no. that they're kind of like they're kind of like the 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 you know the the trouble students, right. but it's never you never. Whereas the Luke's whole thing is like, yeah, you're teetering on the edge of the dark side. So when Obi Wan goes nuts and starts wailing on him, we're not. Sad music is not playing. We right. are rooting for Obi Wan to win. He does win. There is well, no you know pacifism. So angle I, or anything. I've, got, I've I've got two things about that. First of all, I loved. I mean, so visually, that battle was stunning, as as contrived as as it was. It looked pretty cool. Um, I liked that uh, as those arbitrary doors closed, like laser doors closed, uh, Qui-Gon sat down and meditated while Darth Maul stalked back and forth. That was nice. I liked it. Uh, I liked that after um, Qui-Gon had been killed, Obi-Wan was like, jumping up and down like just ready to go like he's clearly pissed right uh but you're right there was no payoff and worse than there being no payoff and this is horrible um he ends up in uh like a tactically inferior position he's basically fallen halfway down the hole and he's got no lightsaber and he manages to beat darth maul by jumping over him force grabbing a lightsaber and cutting him in half yeah, it's the, it's the henchman thing when henchmen's in movie yeah. henchmen in the movies like just get into position in front of the hero and then stand motionless while the hero does some cool move. To exactly. Them. Now here's the thing, that is an incredibly inferior position, and at the end of um, Revenge of the Sith, we see <laughs> we we have right. Kenobi in in a, a, a marginally elevated position. Over right. over uh, Anakin, and the, and they have to, they have and to they do the same. The lines out because like, like I need you to understand that now I have the advantage because right. I want you to know that the but next it, decision Anakin I makes, know, whether it, to fight or not, it doesn't will make be, like it's just it doesn't make any sense no because sense. we've seen it, we've seen Kenobi beat way crazier odds against a guy that was you know argu- arguably no. Maul was like probably one of the better fighters that we've seen right so 
it's uh, it's just it's so no, it's, it's all, so it's frustrating. All non, it's all nonsensical. So it, frustrating. Is, it, is, it is nonsensical yeah. at every possible level. You go yeah. you go really picky. You go like medium level, like from from yeah. moment to moment, scene to scene, action to action, motivation to motivation. Yeah. Like the fight scenes make no sense. Yeah. The the larger stories yeah. make no sense. It's, it's just like at, 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 at any to, level to, of zoom, you still get the poo emoji. Is is what? Yeah. 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 To 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 jump to that Vader, or not Vader. Uh, well, he was yeah. Vader. He was Vader. Know, yeah. But the Anakin Obi Wan's fight in in Revenge of the Sith. In in that very fight scene, it is. I never thought about it before how it parallels the Darth Maul Obi Wan. You're in a yeah. lower position, and he didn't even have a lightsaber in yeah. his hand yet. It, you're right, though. That is, it's pretty damning. But even <laughs> in that one fight scene, in the ebb and flow of one guy having the upper hand, one guy having the lower hand, you know, uh, upper hand, lower hand, you know, ebb and flow, the fights going back and forth. That was so far and away not the worst <laughs> position one of them had right. been in. I mean, those guys yeah. had come back from so much worse position. Yeah, and if you want to go farther level in that in that scene where the two of them fighting, you want the fight to not be about the fight. Yeah. You want it to be about something else. But the something yeah. else it's about is so stupid, and you don't care about it at all. And you've totally checked out an Anakin as a character for three whole movies. You yeah. couldn't give right. a damn about what the like the underlying. You didn't issue, even check really out. You never checked in. Other. You just yeah, yeah right, right exactly. But no, it's it, like if you're gonna have a long fight scene like culminate you know a trilogy of movies a long fight scene between two people you have to have established whatever the underlying issue is to the degree that the tension of the fight scene is not just about the fighting part but by the time episode three comes along you're just like oh, whatever just, just that's why it just seems like all this drags on so long and it's boring who cares who cares who wins you know who wins you know what happens you don't there's no emotional stakes because you don't care about any of the people and then the mechanics of the fight scene aren't any interesting phantom menace i think had a well choreographed fight scene with some interesting things in it uh, that didn't make too much sense. Did you care about the characters? Maybe you kind of cared about Obi-Wan because you knew he was going to be Qui-Gon. I mean, Liam Neeson is fairly charismatic and his character was yeah. vaguely interesting. Darth Maul was a total cipher and was stupid and then they killed him. So, so much for that. Yeah. He was almost like a red shirt. Yeah, he really was. Just yeah. a red shirt. Yeah, it was yeah. just like a big, mean-looking, scary guy who's got like two lines, and the only reason you you think he's intimidating is because like you assume he's a good fighter, and you later see that he is, and that he seems scary. But I mean, Vader had a whole movie to be intimidating before he took out Obi Wan. Yeah. Darth Maul was like, you yeah. saw him briefly. Yeah. I, I feel that that that, that final fight would have almost been better served if just I don't know, like Obi Wan kicks down a door and just eviscerates. Anakin, like immediately, just chops it into pieces, like because that's what you need to have happen, right? Like that's well, I mean, but you need to have the, the you need to have the emotional payoff of whatever their supposed conflict is about, and whatever is like, oh, Anakin, why are you turning? But but they it was just so squandered at that point. Yeah, yeah. It was just like whatever. But I, but like, I feel like once once scene, you've decided, like, once line. once Kenobi has decided, I think there needs to be a decisive thing, and what happened was not decisive, really, you know. Uh, Obi Wan was supposedly holding back. It's like I really don't want to kill you. I can kill you because you're a stupid kid and you didn't take all my lessons. And I'm a good fighter. Maybe, yeah. I can, but I don't want to. I'm trying to convince you and talk you down from it. Eventually, like I have the high ground. If the next move you make is not, he just says to the audience, <laughs> like I'm setting up a scenario in which now this fight is over now, and I'm telling you that the decision Anakin makes now will determine whether the fight ends for him and for me. And the the rash move would be for him. I'm telling him, don't do this rash move because I'm in a superior position. Yeah. Even though that makes no sense in the context of the entire fight, yeah. I'm simply like where where it's whatever the, the script the, the script has run out. So now yeah, 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 I'm just going to tell you. What is going to happen here? I can't so, actually make it happen organically through a story, yeah. you know, where things, where events unfold right. and, and situations arise. We can't have that because that'd be too complicated. I'm just going to tell also, you this is the ending part. Kind of a dick move to, to let your friend slash, I thought of you like a brother, 
to burn alive. Maybe, you know, put him out of his misery. Yeah, like, no, it doesn't make any sense. Like, do I try to save yeah. him? Like, even Batman saves the Joker. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm going to take your lightsaber. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's got to give it to me. Then I come in handy yeah. later. And you, it's like, I don't know if we're supposed to believe that you thought, well, he's a goner or we just let him burn to death. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, there, yeah. it's no, there's no reason it has to play out that right. way. Like, right. they just, it's just, like when you're writing the script, this is the type of thing you think about. Like, you know where you want to go and you have to have a series of events that leads naturally to the, right. the place you, you, you need to trap. You can't, you can't force it. You need to trap your protagonist into a course of action that yeah. leads you down down the path that you've already and nothing was yeah. nothing was forcing obi-wan have like an appointment he had to get to all right well i yeah. would pull you out of the lava but i, I, I it's not it's not even that hard to think of something very close where you are right, you're and and this is one of those things that i don't know if you guys remember but i remember even as a kid that the fan magazines had rumors that if they're ever if they ever made the a prequel trilogy that the way that Vader got the way he was and the whole reference to you know the you know last we met I was but the learner now I'm the master you know that these guys knew each other was that you know there were rumors all the way back then like 8081 that it was some kind of lightsaber duel and Obi-Wan knocked him into lava yep. and yeah. that's what screwed him up Something, something, Vader, you know, Obi-Wan gave him an ass kicking and he fell on. So just make it an edge. You know, you're yeah. on a cliff or something like a volcano and you he cuts off his arm, his lightsaber falls to the ground and he falls into a pit yeah. of lava. And he does, it's unintentional and, effectively, right? Like, Yeah, or not right. unintentional. Like if, if I wanted to do it, what I would have, I mean, you got to have a whole other different three movies in front of this to lead up right. to this. But what you'd want to have happen is to have them have whatever the underlying issue and have it play out through, through a lightsaber thing and have... Basically, have Obi Wan try and fail to save him right. from the lava thing. Like that, it's not like he he like hit him into the lava, then in second thoughts and try to save them. That like the fight right. led to a situation in which Anakin was go was going to have was going to fall in the lava, and the the battle was Obi Wan trying to save him. Right. Not like Obi Wan pushed him into the lava in second thoughts. Because then you have well, he needs to try to save a, him both a, from the going to the dark side and from the the ultimate physical demise. Right. Right, and, and, but it and, depends on what you want the, want the conflict to be. If you want the conflict to be that Anakin feels like he was betrayed by Obi Wan, then you could have it be like you know Obi Wan trying to show him that he wasn't betrayed. If you want the conflict right. to be something different, like a love but, triangle or some other, like I don't know, it depends on what the conflict is how you want it to play out. Right. But, you but really, you've already written a thing where he has to survive, and he's all scarred right. and messed up, and Obi Wan has his saber. Those things were already set, so you have him cut off his hand. His saber's there on the ground. He falls in the pit. And he's gone. And, you know, Obi-Wan's not nuts. He's not jumping down into a lava pit to make sure the guy's dead. He just assumes he's dead. And somehow he's still so powerful and he's got the dark side. He can keep himself alive in a lava pit even while he's getting all burned up. And there you go. You're done. Or, I mean, I think you probably also, I would have Obi-Wan and know that he's still alive and know that he has failed to save him. You know, like, because because, because Obi-Wan is hiding on Tatooine. So he knows, like, who who is he hiding Luke from if he thinks Vader is dead? Well, I I like the idea of Vader being a a thing and then slowly uh, it's, you know, Obi-Wan recognizes it. Like, oh, my God, that's what happened. Yeah, I wouldn't be tied to the lava pit though. Yeah, like, yeah I know the lava yeah. pit is from it's from Lucas, it's from the fan magazines yeah. from way back. But who cares? When. If you what have a to good do story. That, that, that's yeah. pretty yeah. ham fisted because it's like first of all, Lord of the Rings did it first, and second <laughs> of all, uh, and, and and it's slightly differently. Second of all, like anything we've already established, anything that involves like a pratfall or a slapstick or like whoop, I lost my balance and fell right. into this thing. It's like it's such a, 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 a ignoble. Oh my god! Imagine they dropped through. Anakin into like a Solak pit. Yeah, I don't know, someone yeah. bumped into him. Like, he was just walking on one of those various <laughs> walkways that has no railings on it, and, like, they tried to pass each Falls other. Falls into a, a reactor. Well, yeah. yeah. Wheelhouse screen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so the whole the whole prequel trilogy i feel like it's mostly in hindsight it's a like fan fiction-esque trying to write in as many coincidences as possible uh, you know like you've already mentioned don't say uh, C- he, don't, c3po don't, okay. <laughs> made by a boyhood uh you know Anakin, even though he's clearly, as we've seen through all of the movies, like he's right uh, off the assembly uh, line. He's right off the assembly line. There's like other protocol droids who look exactly like him. Anakin was not uh, a very imaginative child. He just made one look exactly like the ones you maybe had like a Radio Shack like kid, a kid or something. Yeah, it's yeah. like a kid. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but somehow he didn't have the outer shell for him. Uh, you know, to Django Fat. Uh, we well, we've killed Boba Fett and he was a badass, so we can't still have him around. But we'll just put his father in, and then we'll say that he's oh, also that cool Fett guy. He's the 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 parent of all the yeah. clones. He's the, 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 the template Clone yeah, Zero. That's horrible. Uh, that, it, it seems like they're getting away from that, and then well, who knows? But I I I, I, I don't even I, you could list them forever yeah. and ever. I'd say flaw number two is turning the Jedi from these like martial artists who are masters of subtlety to superheroes. Right. Like it just suddenly jumped from, you know, like these guys who specialize mostly in like going unnoticed. I mean, that's what Obi-Wan does in like to shut down the reactor beam. It's, it's awesome. It's so cool in the first movie, the way Obi-Wan that's, is how, this lone old That's how he man. deals with the sand people too. He just makes a crazy noise yeah. and they run away. He doesn't go slice yeah. them, dice them. He just, you know. Right. And there's this totally cool scene, you know, super cool scene where there's the two stormtroopers by the, the, the tractor beam control. And, you know, it's like, have you seen the new TK421? Yeah. It's pretty, I heard it's quite a thing to see. <laughs> your your memory like, of Star Wars lines is quite a mishmash. Yeah, TK421 is Han Solo. Yeah. All right. Whatever the model name is. What's the model name of the sky jumper that he's talking about? Syracuse. Whatever. It's like, have you seen the new, the new Camaro? Uh, it's just a cool scene, and it's a nice little – it's like George Lucas when he made films for humans. It's like, well, you know what? That's probably what stormtroopers would yeah. talk about, you know, cool spaceships and stuff like that. But then all he does is make like a little noise, like, you know, they hear something over there. Yeah. They turn what their heads, that? and boom, he's gone. Perfect. That's what the Jedis did. And in the whole trilogy, it's established that they're like Marvel superheroes. Yeah. Well, and they you know, can do, do you things know what like I like jump- when, uh, you know – Growing up, that that line of like, uh, you know, I fought in the Clone Wars with your father. Uh, I never thought of it like they were generals or anything. I just thought that they fought together, and they happened to be we said General Kenobi. Oh, sorry, yeah, I did, but I I, I didn't think that they were um... commanders of troops. No, 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 I no. I yeah. I didn't think that they were outside of the weird general command structure. Right. I just thought that they were Jedi that happened to be part of the army oh you know what i mean like you mean. like yeah, you can I have a general same. that's not a jedi that's not a problem you can have you know but the the prequels certainly sort of preclude that possibility but like yeah when I, when I was a kid when i thought of them you fought fighting the clone wars what i pictured was them fighting in the way that luke was aspiring to fight and that they were pilots of you know x-wings or whatever yeah. and they were shooting things with guns and flying x-wings around and the fact they happened to have the force maybe gave them a little bit better piloting yeah. skills but in general that's how they were operating within the machinery of the war as young men mm-hmm. so that you fought in the clone wars as a warrior of the type that's, that Duke was in that movie. that's exactly it yeah right. and maybe you pull out a blast yeah. and you blast some people but when you need to get the the honor thing going, you can pull out yeah, your lightsaber. Not, not that there were a bunch of uh, priests in robes running around, and that there was some. I mean, yeah. that was the the problem of the prequels is that you know, so it, it, if you're gonna if you're gonna do that timeline, and you're gonna make 
uh, Jedi's normal, and you're going to have a lot of them. They're they're no longer special, and you have to embrace that to a degree that the prequels didn't feel comfortable embracing. Mm-hmm. Like it's as if you had a movie in which uh, one person had a gun, and it was a big special thing, or you know, like the Stephen King, the gun the gunslinger series, where mm-hmm. guns are a rarity or whatever. And then you do prequels to them where everybody has guns. If you're going to do the movie where everybody has guns, you have to do it like Saving Private Ryan, right. where guns are not part of the story at all. It's just normal, and you move on from it very quickly <laughs> onto whatever the actual story is. The story is not, can you believe all these guys have guns? Right. Yeah. No, <laughs> yeah. we know. They all have, like, it's normal. You have to have another story there that's the story of, that, you know, a dramatic thing happening in war or whatever. So if you're going to have a million Jedi running around, the Jedi can't be that special, and you have to have another story yeah. that takes place, and people just happen to have lightsabers in the same way that people happen to have guns I, in I war I completely movies. agree. And one thing that I always liked about Star Wars that I that I feel has been sort of betrayed over the years um, is something that sets it apart from Star Trek. And in Star Trek, each alien species, or they call them races, each alien race has a prescribed set of... Um, sort of values and, and, a, and a cultural aspect to it. Like Klingons are warriors. The Ferengi are traitors. Like the, the humans are vaguely fleshed out. The Romulans are duplicitous. The Vulcans are logical. And I always thought, and I think it stems from the, um, from the cantina scene in Star Wars, that these are just a bunch of people hanging out or aliens. Like it's, you can have, Greedo can be an asshole. But that doesn't mean that everybody that looks like Greedo is going to be a bounty hunter out to kill people. Well, you've got the huts that are all gangsters, supposedly. Like but not in the movies. Family, but not, not in the movies. Yeah. They don't say it. It's Jabba the Hutt. That's all you hear about. Well, no, but they, I did mention that the huts run the show. There. Sure, but I mean, that could be, I mean, maybe the hut is, as far uh, as, yeah, far as I know, that's Maps their is, family. That's his family name. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. You know? Maybe it's just and, a and But there, that's what I mean about it. It's been slowly betrayed over the years of this notion of like, this group or, or you know or this this alien yeah. species acts in this way and yeah. there is a nice touch like that with star wars I, you know if we're going to be be nice and say nice things about the prequels in the in phantom menace one of anakin's childhood friends is a Rudy, yeah ex- ex- except the, i think the, he's greedo yeah, i think I, he's actually greedo well <laughs> oh you do oh, i think they, no, I think they no, call him oh, greedo but, i really do Oh, which is horror. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. No. like don't. The Je- the Jedi I Council appreciate your notion. Yeah, the Jedi Council. Oh my God! No, that's Greedo. Yeah. Oh God, that's horrible. I'll go. I'll go check. I try. I, yeah. I try to forget that it's it's Warwick Davis anyway. Yeah, it's Warwick Davis uh, playing. Oh, it, but yeah, I think they call him Greedo. Yeah. But the the Jedi Council and Phantom Menace though is the kind of the United Colors of Benetton where they're like yeah. anyone can be a Jedi, so they yeah. take every single Star Wars race and they try to throw in one of them, including whatever Yoda is, because they've got yeah. the Yaddle thing. So wait, right. one thing. Oh man, I, I'm just I'm gonna use this just to air all of my Star Wars grievances out. Yoda should not have a lightsaber. I never thought I was eight years old when I was like, no, you, right. there's no way Yoda should have a lightsaber. Or when, yep, whenever no, it came out, like, so would not have done tanned. that. It doesn't. Yoda, Yoda Jonas is too and good. I were like, just I talking about being that. a kid before Jedi came out. Oh no, it was after Jedi. Trying to figure out if Yoda could beat the Emperor, and it was always like, well, Yoda's too good for that shit. Like he he's he doesn't fight. He's he's just he's beyond that kind of level. Like it, it doesn't matter to him. Uh, he definitely does not pull out a lightsaber and try to cut people in pieces. 
I I couldn't agree more, and I was so proud of what Jonas and I were talking about because I've been really on a Star Wars kick lately, and we were just talking. And I was so proud of him. And he said that it, Jonas came up with the same thing that he thought Yoda shouldn't have had a lightsaber because in the first trilogy the Emperor didn't have a right. lightsaber, and wouldn't that be cool if like the top dark side guy is so powerful he doesn't yeah. need a lightsaber, and the top light yeah. side guy that's like that's have for a kids a more elegant like, yeah. an, like an elegant what is it an elegant weapon for a more civilized age they right. don't need weapons. They're, they're, right. yeah. And then sec- secondarily, even if you're going to say, okay, he does have a lightsaber, he shouldn't fight like a pinball machine. <laughs> or like a <laughs> Bouncing frog, around I mean, the like, machine. Once you're going to have him try to fight with a lightsaber, that's really his only viable strategy is to be no, a little Tasmanian devil whirling dervish. Because otherwise it's would, like people have to bend down to even like, so should I, I swing s- at you down there? Somehow or? he should be so powerful if he does have a lightsaber that it's like, it, it would be like, his his battles would be like that, the the first battle between Obi-Wan and Darth Very Vader, slow. It's very simple. Yeah. And it's like, he's just, he's he's one step ahead of he's, you. He's I, just too small. All you can do is cut your ankles off. I mean, like, it's, it's it's a mistake to give him a lightsaber. If you do give him one, you go with the uh, the the anime cliche that they also do in samurai movies where it's like two motionless people standing facing each other, then there's some flash of action, and then one guy falls apart because he's been sliced in half. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. But, I, but I wouldn't do it at all. Yeah. You just should be able to... You, but the you reason that you yeah. said, like, you know, the, the Emperor didn't have one. Yoda doesn't yeah. need one. The, and the frenetic pace of his lightsaber battling is just it, – it just reeks to me of like they, they were so hobbled when he was a practical mm-hmm. effect by the limits of puppetry. And it's like so hard to make him even like walk, right? And they had like seven puppeteers working Yoda simultaneously so that his eyes could move while his mouth moved. And it's a fascinating, you know, backstory of how they made that Yoda puppet as realistic as they did. And clearly they had trouble making him eat soup right. <laughs> in the first one and make him believable. And then all of a sudden they come to George Lucas and they're like, well, as a computer generated effect, he can do a triple somersault right over Count Dooku's head. Well, I think it was led the other way. I think Lucas wanted to see him fight with a lightsaber. Because Lucas, yeah, Lucas I agree. I agree. Ideas, and this yeah, I, yeah, I blame George Lucas entirely. That it was like, but like these, for, you know, that he saw no beauty in in the economy of the limits of Yoda as a practical. No, it it, it, it doesn't. Or, or even like the whole the whole philosophy of the Force as expressed in Empire, which is Lucas's least favorite movie. Wait, is it that, really? Is that is, is he on record saying that? Yes. Yes. Oh, good. Are you surprised? No, I just hadn't heard that. I mean, now I'm in. Right. Uh, like, I'm. I'm st- I still hold a grudge against Stephen King because he doesn't like The Shining. Uh, that is explicable because it's not that i don't think he doesn't like the shining it's that the shining is so different from the book he's like this is not an adaptation of my book and i think my book is good and this movie is a different movie i think he would admit that the shining is a good movie but he would say it's a vaguely no actually he's said that it's a bad movie but because he doesn't think it under he does he's he's a fan of like typical horror movies like he likes darkness he likes surprises he likes i know but i think i think he can appreciate psychological horror too it's just that it's it is it doesn't capture or anything about his book that he feels like there was value in my book right. and this movie captures none of it which is true it captures different value that is not in the book yeah you know is it well actually it's, we know the answer have you guys ever seen his shining miniseries for abc yeah, yeah. which starred the guy from no Wings? because yeah. I, I was angry at him 
the guy from the guy from well, Wings. It's, <laughs> uh, you can see what he th- you can you, we see we we know what Stephen King thinks is a good film adaptation. Oh, I did see. I think it's saw the first one. I, I, I don't know if either that was yeah. good, but at least it's faith more faithful to the book. The book had. I mean, well, I know just, he. And, it's yeah. like loosely based. I know he likes. I know, it, I know he likes the Pet Cemetery movie, and that tells me everything that I need to know about his. It's basically like this. Kubrick's The Shining is based on the book in the same way that Blade Runner is based on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Yeah, that's basically the connection. Yeah. Yeah. Source material. And it's good. Anyway, whatever. I don't want to diverge into that. But uh, how do we get there? Anyway, yeah. So, no, I'm not... Jedi's a superpower. I'm kind of not surprised, but I am depressed that uh, Lucas dislikes Empire Strikes Back. Or it's his least favorite one. That... That boggles my. It it's boggles like it, he my didn't mind. Didn't like I how it turned out. It didn't turn out the way the way like that's the reason he started to take over a little bit more control in Jedi and then total control in the prequels is that he was distracted by you know building his empire and like the success of Star Wars or whatever that he basically had to outsource and he didn't want to direct another movie because it was so exhausting to Star Wars. You should read the book. It's, it's yeah, yeah. J W yeah. Rinsler. They're huge hardcovers. One for A New Hope, one for Empire, one for Jedi. They're beautiful giant hardcover books you can also get ebook versions yeah. and they are long and there's tons of stuff in them about the making of all these movies i didn't buy the red jedi one i have the first two gotta buy the jedi one you gotta have the complete set yeah now at this point i'll probably jedi does do a really cool i mean as as annoying as the ewoks are that um the integration of the stop motion animation of the uh the scout walkers into the forest scenes is bananas uh, Jedi so was like great. the the the, uh, the the top the highest level the peak of yeah. a bunch of model spaceships going oh it's so after that, it was like yeah. all going to be cg and so yeah. it's like this is you know the the most money the most experienced the people who know how to do it best doing the kind of battles that they could have only dreamt of in a new hope and yeah. then after that it was basically like and no one will ever top that because everything else after that will be cg that's space fine yeah. cg is good but but it's a different kind that's of aspect, space and no one is ever going to do that space again. battle blew my mind like the you see it from the front of the cockpit of the uh, the Falcon, like just that swarm of Tie Fighters coming at you. Yeah, or or even just the thing where they where they you know flip over to go into the little tunnel into the Death yeah. Star, like uh, the, the motion control camera moves to you know yeah. point this out so on uh, any camera as well. Yeah. Like that they didn't just do the straightforward easiest things. They wanted to, which is why it's great in the the uh, Force Awakens trailer. Yeah, the ridiculous camera moves and tracing the the Falcon yep. around. That's part of the star the Star Wars aesthetic. Is that unlike, for example, Star Trek, yeah. where the ships kind of fight like naval things, where they're yeah. kind of moving, which is cool too, but it's not the same thing, yeah. right? But it's a whole different right. thing. But in Star Wars, it's like everybody flies fancy, like everyone does everything like the hard way. It looks cool because it looks cool. Basically, yeah. there's no other reason. Like, why do you have to spiral and twist around when you go into the Star? Why does the camera fall? Because it, it looks exciting, dramatic, yeah. and yeah, like the way that Han parks in the Astro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he flies over his yep. parking spot and then like. Doesn't yeah. million yep. like Flip right around, down into it. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, he's got style. Yeah, he's got like a, you. You just know that his signature. Yeah, has yeah. A big he does not fly casual. Yeah, and yeah. and like the the fact that you you know if you think about how the motion control with all these models was done for Jedi that you know everything all shot separately or whatever the way that space battle was choreographed with the the different things mm-hmm. that happen in it and so that you get coherent action. It's just, I mean, it's easier to do it in CG because you can plan the whole thing out and you can put the camera wherever that you yeah. want on the scene. With models, you you yeah. got to shoot each individual model doing its thing, and then know when you put them all together, it's going to make one coherent scene. And if they don't, it's not like you can move the camera to a different position and try it from here. Like, yes, yeah. yeah. it takes ages. Yeah. Much more. You get a you get a sense of spatiality that that it just yeah. you or could physicality. do in like, is there, CGI. You can, you can tell they've got weight. Yeah. You know, I don't know how to describe it. 
Well, and and the thing is, they had you don't realize it, but you, like go if you go back on with the stopwatch and see at how how much time during this space battle scene are models on the screen, and it's incredibly small amount of time because it was so expensive and time consuming to do. Spend a lot of time seeing people's faces and cockpits and stuff like that. And the trick is, how do I make a coherent battle scene where I can only show the models for a total of like. 10 percent of the of the battle time because it's just so damn expensive and so every camera every shot of models has to be like in this scene there's like three storyboards we have to see big ship big ship move this way right. death star fire ship scatter and the message is getting across here is the death star is active it shot a ship ships are scattered is the Millennium falcon this scene yes no like and you get like three seconds of screen time to convey an entire movement of a right. thing and then more a bunch of people's faces and talking and stuff and then you get three more seconds of ships moving and what happened between that one shot of ships moving the other one it's communicated by the people talking by the interior shots by alma akbar yelling yeah. or whatever but it still all weaves together and yeah. it's, it's a good film yeah good world war ii style like, like jaws yeah, you, exactly like yeah, yeah. yeah don't show the shark you make do with what you have yeah, yeah you make do with what you have yeah. and you say how do i how do i make this coherent when I know that I can only show the, the ships flying around the screen for fractions right. of a second, you make every one of the seconds so, count. Versus, like, you know, episode three uh, space battle, even, which things just flying uh, everywhere all the time. Episode one. I mean, whatever. Yeah. So that brings me to my man. I'm basically just using you as my Star Wars therapy at this point. Um, the battle at the end of A New Hope to take out this Death Star is brilliant. You can tell what's happening. Like, the, you know, the, the rebel ships are in a holding pattern somewhere above the Death Star. Uh, and they keep going on trench runs and effectively getting cut down by TIE fighters. So basic. It's it's great. And there's and and there's a map in the rebel base it, that shows how close the it's, it's Death coming Star to the is thing. getting. It is, it which is, all makes no sense if you think about it for three seconds. It's like we can go all across the galaxy, but the last ten meters we have to do in a dramatic. But again, well, whatever. You, Let's you buy it for artistic license. Exactly. And, yeah. and the same thing with like the uh, in broad strokes, a very large space station. Which they were oh, the, not the gravitational against screw small up fighters. Yeah. Well, they weren't careful. They, you know, it wasn't designed for a for an attack like this. And this kind of attack is the only attack the rebels have. It's a typical underdog type story. We're going to attack with a small number of people. We're going to go through this little exhaust port. They never thought like it sure. more or less works in broad strokes. But the, the most important thing is, like you said, once you've established that stuff, even if it's yeah, yeah, yeah. nonsensical. Yeah. The idea that there's a trench, there's a target, we've told you what it is, we're going to make a bunch of runs at it, and it's going to look cool because trenches are cool because yeah. the walls are close to you. So, so, so this is, right exactly, so this is my argument. It's about the battles as portrayed in, in over the Star Wars movies. That battle makes sense. Uh, granted, you know, yeah. your Death Star has a dumb design, and, you know, it, everything that, that, you know, stipulates everything that John just said. Um, the, uh, the Battle of Hoth makes perfect sense. Kind of, I don't know how jumping out of with, with the hand waving of like, why can't we just bring these things down? Yeah, there? well, well there's, there's a shield a and like perimeter. What, what we have jumping to fly, out of we have to land far away, soon, like whatever. But whatever. Yeah, and you, and you like why can't why do the walkers have to walk yeah, to the yeah, place? Yeah. Why can't they just come? Like, they, suffice they suffice that to say, in, they have to walk, and that's fine. And the rebels are fighting a holding action. They they have no illusion that they're going to win, but they're fighting a holding action, uh, mostly ineffective. But they stay in their trench and they start blasting at stuff. Good. Um, the kind of crazy Ewok attack, kind of crazy, a little bit of the insurgency thing. I think it would work if, if those guys were just Wookiees, I think that would just work because you could picture a Wookiee hitting somebody over the head with a stone and it would, you know, you'd be laid down. Yeah. And like in the way that in the first movie, the empire had overlooked the possibility of what do they call them? Snub yeah. fighters 
being something to worry about. Stunt you can say fighters, snub fighters. <laughs> what do they call them? Stunt, Stunt fighters. fighters? Uh, whatever yeah. they call them. Uh, that, that the empire yeah, sort of uh, there's an implicit racism to the empire because everybody in the empire is exactly you could see them overlooking uh, a force of Wookiees as being something that like that and, yeah. and and really if they had a bigger budget or like more Species extras like if they had CG basically they, what they may not realize and many occupying forces don't realize is that you are vastly outnumbered by the native yeah, little yeah. furry thing and you know the, and it doesn't the, matter how much technology and they could have had the Wookiees you know. being used as slaves and then like overthrow the, there, was, there was way more interesting things you could have done with that movie anyway they didn't but that said the, at least that battle makes sense and certainly the uh, the space engagement makes a lot of sense because the rebels get right. totally I mean it's it's a trap it's a trap and, and, and it works it's a good play, you know because yeah. they have a plan they execute on their plan their plan does not go as planned because yeah. the emperor knew about it. That's a typical, you know, like in any type of war type scenario where you, you do the have best a plan plans, in, but yeah. for, for the battle scene to be dramatic, you can't simply execute your plan and then win in the end. You have to have, mm-hmm. you know, oh, things are going badly. We thought this was going to be our plan, but it turns out the Death Star yeah. is active. And, oh, here's the entire uh, Empire's fleet, and we have yeah. a serious problem And they get here. trapped between the Imperial fleet and a, an entirely operational Death Star. Not a good place to be. All of, the, all of these all right. battles make would, sense. But let's go to the, uh, totally. to the prequels. Well, I would say this. Just okay. let me say, before we go to the prequels, let me say this. That in the first trilogy, let's say it takes place over roughly six years, sure. which is what the movies took place, you know, in real life to make them. It takes place over six years. The, the three movies spend an inordinate number, most of their time, on the most interesting things that happened in the whole mm-hmm. galaxy in those six years. The space battles that took place were monumentally important, like historically right. – and the personal scenes are about the most important people in the galaxy sure. at that time, right? Now go to the original trilogy, which takes place over like more more than six the years. The prequel trilogy. Nice. What is it? Yeah, it's like it's uh, got to be twenty something. What did the, well, uh, like Anakin, 15, Anakin is 15, like seven, and then he's like ten years. Okay, ten, ten years. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little. Well, ten to like fifteen. Yeah. At the beginning of it, there's a gap. There's a galactic senate. And there's a Jedi order that seems to order, you know, number in like the thousands. And by the end of it, the entire Jedi order is wiped out and the Republic is replaced by an empire. They spend like a grand total of like two and a half minutes on screen showing the Jedi order being wiped out. And, you know, the Emperor just says he's the Emperor. So they they just, the, the most interesting things that you would think they would show over the trilogy they cover in about two and yeah, a half minutes because they don't know what they're doing so okay the battle in phantom menace one uh the oh god the the gungans the gungans Droid. versus the droids eh, boring right. because you're fighting on a flat plane but whatever you got the shields and it's kind of cool in a weird roman phalanx kind of way until whatever it, until it falls apart and it's a slapstick. Yeah, exactly. It turns into it. They're throwing big glowy purple balls at each yeah, other. Yeah, like it starts out kind of cool when they start deploying the army. It's like I don't know why you'd fight in a well, flat field given this kind of level of tech. And they're whatever. Uh, they were they were right. fighting on the Windows XP back. Exactly. Then. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the tr- and the, you know the idea that they're fighting droids that you know if their control ship goes off their heads. Yeah, fall it doesn't off. make sense. Yeah, so the bad, space bad battle design. is inane, completely inane. They're going after what the control ship, and it's stupid. And and, and, and Anakin gets lucky, like again. he doesn't even get smart. He just it's it's horrible. Uh, so that can't touch, and even can't even touch the Ewok battle. Like it's 
it's night and day worse than that. Uh, I care more about the Ewoks than you do about any of the Gungans or anybody. Of course you do. Yeah, the Ewoks have that touching moment where the guy in the glider gets shot down and the other Ewoks, like... Yeah. yeah, and you'd establish them as characters of like yeah. capturing them and bringing them back and discussing them, being convinced by you know C three PO that he's a god and to let yeah. them go. And and know. I think it works in their favor that you can't understand what they're saying because yeah. Well, and there was the one guy who got there's like an explosion that goes off and the one Ewok yeah, yeah. Rub, oh, and the guy rub, has, he rubs the other one. It's a little maudlin. Like, oh. I mean, they look, it's yeah. a little yeah, yeah. It's getting it's but, getting you know, over there, but but at least it's. At least there's some sense that there are serious exactly. stakes. Yeah, and you killed one of the cutest things on screen. That's you know that's something. Right. Um, in the second one, we have the inane. Yeah, Attack we have the, the inane beginning of the Clone Wars. Whatever. I don't even want to talk about that because none of it makes sense. Uh, what they they? How did all those Jedi's just walk in there? I don't know. Who knows? Why would you? I'm not a really tactical savvy guy. But if I was 500 Jedis, I would not walk into the middle of an arena where everything can just shoot me. It's like they so wanted to have a, you know, Roman Colosseum, good guys versus the lions type of thing. It's alien lions and exciting. You just have it in this big stadium. And uh, like the only the only cool thing about that is that uh, Vietnam era uh, helicopter gunship coming in with all the stormtroopers, the clone troopers basically shooting all the bad guys and kind of trying to dust, like trying to problem, extract the, the surviving battles, that that's the only thing it's I the like. same problem as the yeah. first battles is like i don't care about either side of these battles like i vaguely know that the good guys are the guy with yoda and i know they yeah. want to do like the well the good guys are using stormtroopers isn't that weird but right. they, you don't care it's just a bunch of things it's it's like uh, uh what do you call it Man of Steel. Yeah. Just people banging yeah. against each other. And yeah. But it's more than that. Well, whatever, it's, I guess they'll... But it's more than that. They get tacti- tactically stupider as the movies go on. So as soon as they dust off, they land and the, the Jedis end up taking squads of stormtroopers. And the stormtroopers, the, the clone troopers, are a finite resource. They've been cloned over, what, 10 years? Uh, against an advancing droid army. And what do they do? They just run at them. They just run at them, like flat-out run at a bunch of robots that we've seen a factory pumping them out by the hundreds. Like, it's 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 the dumbest thing ever. It's well, the it's, whole. This is a George Lucasism in the entire movies. The idea, and everybody succumbs to this, especially yeah. older people. But the idea that the uh, well, not everybody. I mean, James Cameron has sure. it. the idea that yeah. the droid army is obviously going to be inferior to even clones because living things are so much smarter than droids. And droids yeah, are but so living dumb. things are smarter and, because they will duck and take cover and shoot at the dumbass robots. Well, but that's the idea. Like, there's so many droids in the droid armies that even the Gunkins can defeat them. And when it's the clones versus the droids, even though there's a factory turning them out, obviously the living things are going to win. And I think the much more likely and reasonable scenario is the Terminator one. It's like, no, the machines win because they're really good at killing. Yes, things. that that. Would be my it's like at least take cover that's why the living thing wins because it's got a sense of self-preservation effectively and here's where we get to where i want to just murder every wookie i see i don't see a lot so that's okay um yoda is on kashik the the wookie homeworld in the third movie and the droid army is coming and for whatever reason um the droid army has decided to cross a lake or a river or whatever it is and um, land on a beach and the beach is covered on two sides by elevated cliffs and on the top of the cliffs are a bunch of clones 
with machine guns or whatever the hell it is, like blasters. And on a trench on the beach are a whole bunch of Wookiees with all of their bowcasters and their, their badass stuff. And then the droids start coming. And as they get onto the beach, the Wookiees in the trench, what do you think they do? They jump up out of the trench and run at the Wookiees in the water. Uh, and run at the droids in the water. <laughs> You're in a trench. Shoot the robots. Don't. Why would you jump out of the trench? Why? It, it's, it's horrible. It's like it is. It <laughs> it's is like. like it's it's the most revolting not not revolting but it's like That's we've it. gone we've gone from a completely understandable really complicated scenario of assaulting a death star with multiple fighter squadrons into such a simple scenario where it's like these living things should probably not jump out of cover why would why did you bother building the trench what? i've often said about like the Roger Moore era bond movies that he he gets you know like when he gets captured and is you know, facing seeming certain death. He doesn't even seem perturbed. He's not worried. Right. He's not sweaty. And he, it's like he acts as though a, he's a character who's read the right. rest of the script and knows knows he's getting out of it. Like it's like the Wookiees yeah. knew. Like, well, we read that we don't get yeah. shot, so we'll just it run right. It doesn't make sense. Bullet. It's it's so they didn't have they didn't have good analogs for the because the other anal- the movies you had analogs for you had World War Two dogfights yeah. or like right. we just said in Star Trek you had naval sure. battles right so you or have an- sam- samurai yeah. sword yeah, fights right so you have yeah. analogs right and so. The analog, obvious analog for infantry, there's plenty of analogs for them, depending on what you want to do. They just chose not to do any of them. So one analog is like the Lord of the Rings thing, where you can do a medieval right. formation yeah. type of, you know... The, Which they kind of did in Phantom Menace, all, right? Of, yeah. of all the Lord of the Ring movies, including the Hobbit ones and everything, like they did a reasonable job of saying, here is something that looks vaguely like a maneuver that might have been done by large standing armies with medieval yeah. weapons. Whatever they may be, protective patterns with shields, the use of your your uh, your bowmen and the use of cavalry yeah. and mounted things, stuff like that. Uh, and there's plenty of analogs to choose from in Star Wars one. Like, they do have trenches. Mm-hmm. Like, they were doing that. And, you know, they, they did it on the house scene. It's just that they're like, at a certain point, they're like, okay, here's a setup. But rather than trying to sort of model footage from similar mo- large infantry battles, we'll just do whatever seems the most dramatic. And Wookiees leaping from the barricades seems it's, dramatic. It's, it's bananas. It. But my, my complaint with that is that I didn't know any, who any of those Wookiees yeah, were. I didn't yeah, care whether they yeah, won. I didn't no. care about it. Like, I don't care about anything that's going yeah. on there. It's just like... Well, that's it. I think... I have more, I have more investment in video game cutscenes. I think... Yes, exactly. I think you might have had they acted in any kind of way that made any kind of sense at all. I think there's probably characters or, or at least... Um, uh, I, I was about to say NPCs, but uh, whatever. Extras in Empire Strikes Back that you are more interested in than any of those Wookiees that, that ju- so all like, the, all the like you know the, the guy that presses that they... the remote control button that fires that that cannon at the uh, the Adat leg in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, but, but that was yeah. But, like, that, but see, the thing is that, that was a battle that was happening around our heroes who we cared yes. about. This thing that the prequels do that they add at the end of Jedi as well right. is it's pointless. There's no a survey a survey of conflicts happening across the galaxy, not involving anybody you care about. It's like they needed to express the idea of we've given this order and everywhere on every planet, any Jedi out there are being killed. And so it's like a survey of like, 
on this planet, these people are fighting. And on this planet, these people are fighting. Yeah. On this planet, and that does not make a movie. That doesn't even make a good documentary. Ken Burns would make <laughs> that slide. Like you have to, no. you have to have investment in the conflict, and you can briefly show that maybe something else is going on elsewhere. Like they do this in disaster movies. Like in the beginning, they show that the 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 crumbling of civilization. But that's just like a brief aside to the main story. It can't be the your climax can't be a survey of battles happening on other planets. To, suffice it to say, the good guys and the bad guys are fighting people everywhere. And we will tell through music cues or whatever which side is winning. Right. Like, I don't care. Is there anybody here that I care about? Where are my heroes? Do I care about any right. of these movies? Oh. <laughs> like, imagine if the first and only time we meet Sonny in The Godfather is two minutes before he rashly leaves and, you know, goes through the toll. They, they would just show all the death scenes. They wouldn't show the movie before, right. and they'd be like, right. these guys killed that guy. That guy got killed in a revolving door. This guy got killed at a toll booth. It's like, yeah, right. so, we, and... We, we care about Sonny in the toll booth because we've seen him right. for two hours and we've seen him before act out of bad temper. And, you know, we don't want him. He's kind of a bad guy, but we still kind of like him, you know, and it's, you know, and, and the, and the, it's like the culmination all of those... Michael's plan is all those right. other people dying. It's because we realize it's the culmination of plan. We know who those people are. Right. We, you know, and, and we understand how he has right. coordinated all this to happen when he is, he is in some place that is essentially untouchable while it's going on. And by the time he gets out, it's all settled. Right. He spent the entire three movies showing the wrong stuff and developing the wrong stuff and then just rushed through with, therefore, with no emotional impact whatsoever, these characters who should have been yeah. developed. We had three whole movies where they could have developed, I, let's just say, six Jedi, six right. different Jedi who, in the course of three movies, could have been made into real characters with varying flaws and personalities, and then they die at the or, end. Or you just show, like, even if you did that, or you just show whatever is happening to the characters that we supposedly care about and have them have them established to be, I care about the Jedi, and have them hear that the Jedi are dying elsewhere. You don't need to show them, because if, if they don't right. care about them, like, you can have heroes in situations where they find out that bad things are happening elsewhere, but you don't need to show the bad things that right. are happening else. You can just show that my main characters care about this, therefore I care about it, but it's not so important. Right. That you need so to how do we how do we feel about me. the execution of Order 66? Because I thought that was actually one of the most effective... Uh, I You know, I feel like there should have been a musical... Uh, you know, uh, like what do they call them? Like a like a, not a segue, like a uh, a motif. A motif like a, uh, yeah, I, I I keep thinking about Goodfellas when uh, when he's trying to get the cocaine, all sort of that. Well, like, I mean, uh, you can you could sell any of that, like, but you have to have uh, you can if you have a better movie leading up to it, how you communicate that. Uh, a coordinated attack is taking place with essentially, you know, brainwashed mm -hmm. clones who are always, you know, it's like the Manchurian candidate, like, oh, trigger this, and they all just do this order. They all have, they all know this order, and when the order comes, they kill all the Jedi. Mm -hmm. Fine, you can you can do that in lots of different ways, but you need to show uh, the people who care about that we care about these people, and these people care that all the Jedi are yeah. being killed, and that's what you need right. to focus. But it on. did kind of work. It was right. it was ham fisted, but we had seen many of those Jedi do stuff. Or at least being in the background, right? Yeah, they didn't have many lines. They sat around a table. They they smiled. Yeah. They they helped out in some yeah. other movies. And now they're now they're getting gunned yeah. down. They played sad music, but it's just like yeah, it, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, and you, some of them you, got you can't yeah. do it. Care. At that point, you've either earned it or you haven't, and they did. Yeah, yeah. So, which which brings us to the end of of that movie, and it's the whole end of the whole trilogy, and it's the whole reason that the tri the prequel trilogy was even made, which was to set up 
the middle trilogy, which was already established, and it had to, therefore, had to leave us in a certain place and had to explain certain things. The whole point of it, this is the whole point, this is the only reason that the prequel trilogy was even made or written, and it makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Nope. So let's just say, let's just give it up that all the most of the Jedi have been uh, extinguished. They're dead. Uh, exec- Order 66 killed them. But Obi-Wan and Yoda are yeah. still together. Well, and yeah. and they figure out what's gone on. They know who the emperor is. So why in the world would they split up? Why wouldn't they either A go get go after I would I would suggest that the first thing they should do is go after Anakin together. Well, the first of all, of I think maybe they think and, Anakin's dead at that point. Or at least a non factor. No, they decide Yoda's going to oh, go sorry. get the Emperor. Oh, sorry. Oh, before Obi Wan's going to go. I thought you meant after, like at the end when they when they uh, rendezvous on what becomes that. No, but that doesn't yeah. make any sense either. But yeah. before that, when they decide who to fight, if they decide we should get the Emperor first, they yes. should go together. If they decide we should go take care of Anakin, either see if we can turn him back to the good side or do something with him. Why in the world would they split? Would, yeah. <laughs> it, it makes, makes no. no sense. Whatsoever, not the the zero. only conceivable the, rationale for that is that if you act swiftly and by surprise and take out both of them, maybe that counts for something. But no, I would just go. I would take you out and go talk to you, Anakin. Like to see right. it's if you, if you have to if you have even, to kill him, Yoda could do it. You, you know, like I'd, I'd, even while I I mean Kenobi even says on stage or on stage on on screen that uh, he can't kill him. And then Yoda says, "No, go do it." Like, why? Why would you? Why would you assign him that? Like, he's already basically said that right. it's not going to. But then, even given the the asinine nature of their let's split up, even though there's only two of us left, and you know, right now we have the we could have the element of surprise and go. To, if there's any chance that one of us could beat the Emperor, surely we have a better chance together. We could do it right now. Even if you take that, just let him do that and say Yoda fights the Emperor and. Obi-Wan fights Vader and thinks mm-hmm. he kills him. Even then, afterwards, you find out, well, Obi-Wan did almost kill Vader mm-hmm. and and like left him yeah. deformed and semi-crippled. And Yoda at least fought the Emperor to a standstill. Kind of. And then yeah. they decide, well, well, now we'll just now we'll just spend 20 years. Yeah, it seems time. like they could have teamed up and taken out the Emperor at that point. Right? <laughs> right. Like Yoda did come like, pretty close to taking him out. Espe- Our especially best. since their plan wasn't, okay, you go take Luke to Tatooine, hide him from the Emperor, and slowly train him as a Jedi. That wasn't their plan either. Because it was no, like, you go, to, you go hide in Tatooine, Luke will be there, keep your eye on him, but don't try to actually train him up for it. Like, what are they waiting for? What was, <laughs> right. what was, their, what was their plan for victory? Right. At the moment that they split up and went into hiding, they both had fought. The, one had defeated the other, and Obi-Wan had soundly defeated Vader, and Yoda had fought the Emperor to a standstill, yeah. I would say. And certainly, I would say, given that he fought him to an almost standstill, if they went after him together, Obi-Wan and Yoda, you, you know, I yeah. like their chances. Right. See, like, in, by the time A New Hope comes and an Empire, what, what those movies say is that Yoda had checked out. He he had a colossal failure, institutional failure, to deal with the whole. You know, he he was he he's failed, and he thought he could you know be the head of the light side, and you know, so he's basically not in exile, but he's like he's given up and he's gone off to live in the woods, right? So he's checked out, right? And Obi Wan, same thing. He's a crazy old man. He lives out, and both of them are like, 
We are defeated. This is our great shame. The best Obi-Wan can do is to make sure Luke continues to hide from the Emperor, hope he never exhibits any Force powers, keep him down on the farm, and then at the very least he can say, at least I'm keeping these kids safe. But the Empire has won. We are defeated. We have no plan for victory. But like you said, at the end of Stupid Episode 3, they're not in that headspace. They're not both so massively defeated and so crushed by their own personal failings that they check out entirely from the conflict and say, well, this is never going to change. We're just going to go off somewhere, hide and die. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I had, I just assumed, even as I was suffering through those prequel trilogies, I was like, something's going to happen at the end of this that's going to leave Obi-Wan and Yoda both like morally defeated. And instead, they both left like, oh, my God, we were so close. <laughs> we- not, not only so close, like if you were going to kill Anakin, he was right there. You could have killed him. Right. And it's not like you didn't know he was still alive. Did you just yeah. assume he would die? It's like a game with a Bond villain. It's like, well, I'll just assume this machinery will kill you, Mr. Bond. I'm going to leave the room now. Yeah. <laughs> when I see you later in the movie, I'll be genuinely surprised. I do I do kind of understand the notion of not wanting to murder Anakin in cold blood, which is effectively what it would have been. But then you save uh, him. Well, exactly. You either save yeah. him or... Once he catches fire, maybe you walk back down that embankment and just... It's like just, the most morally cowardly thing. It's like, I'm not going to kill you, but if you happen to slide into that lava a little farther... Yeah, okay that's horrible. That it's, what it, yeah, it's just awful. No, I mean, no wonder he ends up extra pissed off. Yeah, and I hated that fight between um, uh, Yoda and the Emperor. That was awful. That was just awful. Yeah. I liked when Yoda walked in and just, just totally destroyed the two... Uh, Imperial guards. The emperor is is a emperor is a fun guy to watch fight because he's kind of ugly and he, he was fu- he was fine like, when the four Jedi showed up yeah, when man. the Jedi showed up to arrest him. I was fine with that uh, because I liked the fact that he actually would. I could see him using a lightsaber because well, a a yeah, a normal he's normal height. height, so it's <laughs> not that obscure. But I also like the notion that he's just hasn't quite reached that level of enlightenment yet that he doesn't need one. Yoda always strikes me as somebody who's just well before yeah, the it's like the Emperor seemed kind of like the Emperor seemed kind of feral. Exactly. I liked yeah. when the Emperor and Yoda were fighting and Yoda was like using the force to move heavy things and the Emperor was, you know, shooting at him with lightning or whatever. Yeah, well yeah. yeah. Uh although the lightning ultimately screws him up, doesn't it? He 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 gets he gets thrown off and then his little nails get stuck into the yeah. That's a good question. I, I've never seen a good Jonas and I have talked about that a lot. So that we've never even mentioned Mace mm-hmm. Windu, who who to me I love oh, Sam Jackson. Yeah. A waste of Sam exactly. Jackson. Yeah, a waste. What? That's a, what a waste of him. Yeah, what a waste because he's awesome and he could have been a bad guy or he could have been some kind of weird Ronin Jedi. He's awesome and he's also in. He's also into Star Wars. He wanted to be in the movies, and what he was given is like he does a bad job at the line readings. He adds no charisma to the character. The character has nothing to do. He doesn't seem like a badass. It's just like how can Sam Jackson not seem like a badass? Well, Uh, well, he seems more badass than anybody else, if only because everybody else is completely wooden. So there is a cool thing in that scene where they go to confront the Emperor and the Emperor just t- jumps at them with a weird fighting style. Like you said, Feral yeah. is perfect. And I love the way that he like killed four of them in like 10 seconds. Like he's so badass. And there's never been a lightsaber fight like that. Every other lightsaber fight we've ever seen up until this point was dramatic and had ebbs and flows. And even like when Dooku in the second movie was kind of dominant over Obi-Wan yeah. and Anakin, it took him a while. It took him a while to cut off Anakin's hand. It took him a while to get Obi-Wan, yeah, yeah. you know, pinned under a column. He Whereas just, the Emperor is such a bo- badass, like, him. boom, it's boom, boom. A, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, like, they light their lightsabers light. and then they're on the floor. Like, that's just, yeah. so this is the right. thing about the fight scenes in all these movies. If you're going to have a fight scene 
unless your movie is about fighting styles, unless it's like a, one of those classic kung fu movies where the whole freaking movie is about I'm going to learn crane technique and I'm going to learn the tiger technique and my technique is better than your technique and I'm going to train at a monastery. Like unless your whole freaking movie is about fighting techniques, the fight can't be about who is a better fighter. The fight has to be about something else. And in the case of the the emperor going feral, the, the part of that fight that was dramatic is the emperor is revealed. He's revealed in a sudden fashion. The people who are there are surprised that he's revealed. It is not about how exactly he defeats those people. When you have emperor versus Yoda, it's not about who is stronger and who is not. The fight always has to be about something else. Because, and again, unless your movie is a kung fu movie where you're actually concentrating on fighting styles, you always have to have the fight be, be about something else in the fight because that's what happens. We're not, we're not like... Otherwise, you would just have a movie where people have a conflict and then they just have a long, drawn-out sword fight and the winner of the sword fight wins the movie. That can't be what the fight is about. The fight has to be about something else, and they just have to happen to be fighting yeah. to work out whatever else. It doesn't mean they need to have a conversation the whole time in the fight, Princess Bride style or anything. Right. But like they do, the fight has to be about something well, like, else. So yeah. the, the emperor killing all those people. The fight that that particular fight is about. I am revealed. This is me. I bet you're surprised this old guy can do this, and here I am, and quickly kill them. And once and once that is done, the fight is well. Over. So here's the thing with that. I mean, I I totally agree with you, and I think that goes back to the point I was trying to make about the. The battles is that you know without anything any skin in the game it just really doesn't matter um really the only character that showed up to arrest uh palpatine was windu the the other guys yeah. were just fodder to prove that like whoa this guy's serious and you know sure enough he dispatched them and and you know it, like popcorn it didn't they didn't matter the the actual fight came down to windu and and, and palpatine and i thought it was actually a pretty good fight yeah. I did too. I actually think it was the only, like the the best part of the whole. Because I think they both I had think. something at stake. It, certainly, Windu represented uh, the old school uh, strict Jedi order, and and Palpatine was you well, know more I, so than the Yoda Palpatine fight because it, you know, my interpretation of the way that scene went was that Mace Windu is indeed a badass. Maybe he's even more powerful than Yoda. Because uh, he's at least yeah. at the, at the, the athletic there, there is a line sword in there fighting. That, uh, I think Anakin delivers. It says something like, "I will be a. I, I want to be a better uh, sword fighter than Mace Windu, than Master Windu, something like that. Or maybe, yeah, Yoda, maybe. Right? They definitely shout out to to Windu to be like uh, Yoda was always held up in that whatever this conversation was. Yoda was always held up. To yeah, the, like, there, oh, there, Yoda, yeah, which was ridiculous. Yeah, there is one that shout outs that that. that uh, Sort of props Windu up as being a, a, a badass, and I forget what it is. Yeah, yeah but like, but yeah. but Sam Jackson, the actor, could not deliver no, on no. that because I guess they didn't no. have enough body doubles for whatever, and he just looked kind of old and tired. I like, like the way he moved. Well, I kind of like that because I, I kind of like the idea that I mean, he hasn't really been well. Actually, we just saw him fighting in the second one. I, I was I was going to say I maybe thought it was a touch. Like he, he yeah. I don't know. I liked it because it was less frenetic, and you could just sort of see them yeah. battling with pa- the Palpatine was seething, and my right? interpretation, like like a, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, my interpretation of the scene though is that Windu actually actually got the better of him, and that the Emperor yeah. Palpatine was not sandbagging. He was desperate, and that the only way he could save himself, the only way, was if he could completely, if he could complete Anakin's turn to the dark side. It either he could turn Anakin and and have Anakin you know, knock window out the window or cut off his arm, whatever he did first, or he was dead. Palpatine was a loser. His only chance had nothing. He couldn't beat 
Mace Windu in the fight. He'd lost, so the only way he could win was to complete yeah. Anakin's yeah. turn. That was my, that was my me too. I, I think Windu beat him. I, fair but it, to me, it's a failure of the filmmaking that it's not clear that those right. were the stakes. Yeah, and I, also, I always I, thought he was sandbagging a little bit just because that's kind of his mo, where he was like, you know, it, was it's hard to say. Trying I, to manipulate I, Anakin. That's my take, but I have to admit that the other take that he was sandbagging and he could have up the force on Windu at any moment. You know, yeah, but but it's, it, it's, it's, it's sloppy filmmaking for that to be ambiguous. Yeah. It's probably not intended to be ambiguous. And right. it's like, but and in my reading, it was him exp- when he was shooting the force lightning at Windu, and Windu was successfully blocking it with his lightsaber. It and his that's when he got deformed, and you know I, that was him like depe- depleting his own life force. Like he, I don't think he wanted to be disfigured. It wasn't like it was his true form. He's not a shapeshifter. He was like wrecking himself. Because he was so desperate, you know, he was giving it everything he had, and even everything he had wasn't enough to to beat Mace Windu. That's my take too. Uh, if only because, again, he deforms himself. But I really do think that it's just it's just a, a condemnation of the filmmaking that it's ambiguous. Yeah. Because this, at the same level, when the, you know the the culmination in Return of the Jedi, it's all very clear what the yeah. stakes are. And Emperor, you know, so Emperor couldn't beat Mace Windu in one on one combat. He also couldn't beat Yoda. Like it, at best, you could say both of them came to draws, or maybe Mace had the upper hand. But that doesn't make sense in the context of the later movies. The idea that the Emperor is the top of the heap on the dark side, and you would assume that one-on-one, the Emperor could take out any of the single light side people simply because the dark side, you know, not more powerful, but like, if, in terms of killing people, like, you know, how do you get to be the head of the Sith? You well, we also don't know how good, it works, right? It could be like surprise. the Peter Pan thing, where every time you believe in a Sith guy, he gets more powerful, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know. Like, is, is basically the question is: Is the Emperor at the end of Return of the Jedi more powerful than the Emperor in Episode Three? Right. I mean, who knows? Also, who cares? Because yeah, I would say yes. I, I, think, I, I think so, so too. too yeah. Just because it's like the, the Sith get like more powerful as they get old and more evil. And yeah, because I mean, he's had twenty years to get better right. at being a badass, right? Or maybe not with his lightsaber, but at least with his, you know, his research into being evil. Well, no, because I mean, he, he, you know, they talk about that at the opera. That's a great scene, by the way. Well, great. It's 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 relatively it's as good great, as the, given it. Yeah. It's nonsensical, though. Sure. Like, it's as how are you manipulating him? Oh, there was this dude who could stop people from dying. Did you ever care yeah, about somebody? Maybe you should slaughter sure. children. But it, it's it's tense. <laughs> it's at an opera, which I thought was kind of interesting. I but like the stuff it's going vaguely on. Artistically exactly. interesting. Yeah, that, that's, yeah. yeah, but like. And the actor, what's his name? Ian McDermott or whatever. Good. He's yeah, good. Yeah. He's creepy. Yeah. He's one of the better actors in the prequel trilogy yeah. who, despite yeah. the fact that he's given stupid things to say, delivers yeah. each one. Yeah, I regret saying great. You know, I, it's, it's great in the, you know, in the toilet bowl in which it swims. It's actually a pretty it's – a, it's pretty good. <laughs> isn't it great though? Isn't it so telling though that like uh, in the first trilogy – the original trilogy, everybody was at least clamoring for these backstory prequels of, well, how did Vader get like this? How did Anakin turn to the dark side? Whereas at, after the prequels, nobody was like, well, how did the Emperor learn to be a Sith while he was an up-and-coming no, well, that, politician? That's the thing where you mentioned like in A New Hope, where like they offhandedly mentioned sorts of, lots of things like Clone War or Empire or Mandel or the, the, you know, all these things. And like they laid these little seeds of like, oh, you could flesh those out forward or backwards. What seeds were laid in the prequels? It's like the time began in the prequels. Right. Like there was nothing, nothing mentioned in the prequels well, that, that there was, was a, about things that happened before a, the prequels. Darth Sidious, what was the name? The uh, the previous guy. 
death malice like the plagueis oh, plagueis uh, seriously yeah. right but like but those are that's not that's actually spoken in the thing it's not like you know something casually sure, mentioned yeah. that was like a major yeah. plot point where they're describing right. a backstory and, right you know. like the one and only thing i could think of that i'd kind of wanted to know more about was the Scythe i have no idea who, I, thank you for bringing that up because that none of it makes any right, sense he, I, he was a Jedi who somehow commissioned a building of the clone army. Was he, army or was he killed by Dooku, before. and then Dooku posed as him? It's just too much exposition right. for like. There's just right. too much plot happening, or like the structure isn't sturdy, and then they hang tinsels and right. ornaments all over the freaking thing until it's just a big giant mess. And it's like you didn't even have yeah. good bone structure yeah. under there, and now now you and what seriously you got like is, a clone army of I don't know how many strong. It's got to be hundreds of thousands, right? From what we see, just right. appears and. Galactic Republic is like, oh, cool. Let's just use these guys. What? Like, that's mind boggling. Yeah, like, cl- clones aren't humans. It's, it doesn't matter about the clones. It's, it's it doesn't matter. Even if, even if, too, even it's if like, that many, it's, it's even if that many droids like, showed up to be on your side, it's not well, a matter of well, what they destroyed. are. It's like, a matter of like, it, it, it's worse than that. It's, it's like saying if you wanted to have a standing army made entirely of identical twins, it would be okay if they all got yeah. slaughtered because they're all genetically yes. identical. Well, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> so it's fine. Once you're genetically identical, it's like, well, what There's certainly that aspect. Well, you don't me. even count. You don't even count as human. If anybody shares their genes with you, you don't count as human. Yeah. But even, uh, even a guy like Dooku, who has in broad strokes sounds like an interesting guy, was a real Jedi, turned to the dark side, left the order. Which you know what you know, they make they make quit. sound like no big deal. Oh, he's he's an ex Jedi. He right. can't possibly do that. So that makes me think that ex Jedi's are a thing. Yeah, that's you know some guys leave and get families yeah, whatever or, they do. You know, yeah, go into yeah, go into professional <laughs> sports or something. They're, still, they're so, still good guys, but, but you know, yeah. You in broad strokes, if you just defined the character before you showed me the movie, I would think, "Ooh, that's an interesting guy. I would like right. to know more about him." Then you watch the movie, and you're like, "I would. I am not interested in the least bit in this broad caricature of a uh, evil." Well, I have henchman. something for you, and you know, he's a robot with four arms and eight lightsabers. <laughs> How much? Grievous. How much That's less could you the, care about somebody? Design, I mean, well, I like the idea of taking lightsabers from your uh, that I like, and he, you know what? He worked well in that yeah. uh, in that uh, cell animation one that we were talking about at the top of the show. I like that character, hmm. uh, and then I saw him in 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 film, and he he stinks. He's awful. It's just yeah. He was just empty. He was just empty bad guy, and they even reused the 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 idea of having a respiratory problem yeah. from Vader. You know, it's just a yeah. hodgepodge. I do like the way he's know, dispatched ideas. by Kenobi with a blaster because you get a cute you get a cute action hero line out of it. Yeah, that wasn't bad. well. It wasn't good, but it you know wasn't bad. Yeah. No, well, and it, it raises the question of how many. Um, how many one-on-one duels can you fit right. in one movie? Yeah. I mean, because that's really what that last movie devolved into. It's just one after another. It was another, pretty another, hilarious you know. that um, uh, Grievous just starts shit-talking Kenobi, despite the fact that... And he keeps doing it, despite the fact that Kenobi's chopped off two of his arms already. And he's still, he's still <laughs> giving, like, you can't escape. It's like, I've just started cutting you to pieces. I'm pretty sure I'm doing pretty good here. Like he jumps into like a a, yeah. a, a ring of a hundred droids and then just you know chops up the bad guy and the bad guy is still giving him yeah. shit like you know maybe tone that back a little bit. So there's 
there's Darth Maul, there's Count Dooku, there's Grievous, and even the Emperor himself. You've got four major bad guys in the whole trilogy, and there's yeah. not one of them who I would like to know more about, you know, or how he came no. to be who he is. No, you could in combine the them group. all into uh, uh, Jango Fett, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But I still think it's kind well, of a cheat gets... that they just re- duplicated. He, at least he meets a better end than his son. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we've gone on long enough. This has been everything I could ask for and more. It's a true holiday spectacular. Um, yeah. Oh, I want to thank our sponsors. Man, we we've got to get Marco on. <laughs> Moltz. <laughs> and Dan Morin. That's it. There's Sorry no for joke. Not getting just, you guys. Just, the, yeah. Sorry for not getting you out of the green room. Yeah. Now, I want to thank our sponsors. We had Casper, we had Fracture, and we had Backblaze. Um, this is all I could ask for and more. Uh, John Syracuse and Guy English, thank you very, very much uh, for an enormous amount of your time. <laughs> Thanks. It's been a lot of fun. It's a lot of Star Wars to cover, you know? Yeah. We're still not yeah. done. But it was right. pretty good. No. No. We'll come back for part two. Uh, <laughs> perfect or or empire day all right thank you guys i'm going to bed